This World Games from Atari, the number one video computer system with more games than any other. Everyone's gone Atari, the number one video game. This is the new Frogger home video game, Ribbit. It's just like the arcade game. You have to hop Frogger past these cars and trucks, ha, missed, and back home to his lily pad. The new Frogger home video game. Bring it back to your pad. Also from Parker, Star Wars. You saw Luke Skywalker battle the Imperial Walkers. Now bring the battle home. Play The Empire Strikes Back, where the challenge never ends. The Empire Strikes Back. Ribbit. And Frogger video games. Only from Parker. We have no choice. He can't turn back. Never raid target at 039. Under control. Approaching there's Way to go. Taking West Canyon. Good call. Fuel critical, sir. Chopper's at 3 o'clock. Roger, I copy. Fighter's closing, sir. I direct sir. No, he'll decide that. Fuel critical, sir. He knows that. Sir, he's off for the East Canyon. Negative, that's a trap. River 8, don't. Sweet home, it's getting River 8. Can you make it? River 8, can you make it? It's only a game. River 8 for the Atari video computer system. Designed by Carol Shaw for active... Worry, Solar Fox, the new video game where speed and strategy are all you have to fly through 26 changing solar fields. And if you're really fast, awesome. you'll skip ahead to even tougher fields. Really cool. Solar Fox from CBS Electronics. Can I drive now? Where the excitement <laughs> never ends. So you think you're fast enough to beat the bomber? I don't think so. Kaboom! By Activision. Plug this cartridge into your Atari video game system and get ready to handle high explosives. Don't sneeze. Don't even blink. Because the faster you get, the faster he gets. And if you miss... Kaboom! By Activision. Well, that space game there looks like a thrill a minute. Why not try a real blast? Laser Blast by Activision, a new breed of game cartridge for your Atari video computer system. Battle endless attackers, fight their force fields, and dodge their radar tracking systems. It's light years away from all those other space games. What other space games? Laser Blast by Activision. The underground passage. Oh, yeah. Leap over scorpions. Oh, Swing up the swamp. Crocodile. The gold. Ah. <laughs> Did I mention the carpet? <laughs> Pitfall, a jungle adventure game designed by David Crane from Activision. How far is far? Announcing the Activision Decathlon by David Crane. How fast is fast? Ten events designed to challenge the limits of your ability. How great is great? I never thought I would experience the challenge of the Decathlon again. I was wrong. For your Atari 2600, the Activision Why? Decathlon, let the games begin. They think I'm trapped, but I'll escape. Tunnel Runner, the new video game where you don't look down on the maze. 
your kid. Monster. He's smart. I can't outsmart him. Oh, he's fast. I gotta be faster. Tunnel run with Ram Plus to megacharge your Atari VCS for three times the excitement. Right. Left. Better check them out. It's the exit to another maze. Tunnel Runner from CBS Electronics, where the excitement never ends. I'm not trapped. I'm not trapped. TV. Check. Cosmic Arc cartridge. Check. Power. Yeah, power. Cosmic Arc is a game cartridge for the Atari video system. Meteor! I got it! But Cosmic Arc searches out strange creatures on distant planets. Meteor! But the deeper the arc travels in space, the tougher it gets. We're back. Cosmic Arc by a magic. Video system must be bought separately and connected to the TV by your parents. In each of us, there's both good guy and bad guy. In the G.I. Joe video game, you can be G.I. Joe fighting for right and justice. Or the same thing. You can defend, attack, save, destroy. Play the courageous hero or the unspeakable villain. The choice is yours. G.I. Joe, new from Parker Brothers. video game that people really get into. Good luck. Suddenly you're bombarded by atomic particles. You bounce them against the reactor's control wall. And as the reactor core expands, you face heavier particles and new dangers culminating in the dreaded vortex. Your turn. Me? Reactor. Reactor from Parker Brothers. The ones to beat. Atari Video Computer System is 20 cartridges with 1,300 game variations you play on your own TV set. Don't watch television tonight. Play it. You are entering a battlefield of the future. The Star Wars Jedi Arena. 
Becoming a Jedi Master takes practice. Using your lightsaber, try to penetrate your opponent's defenses. But watch out, the Whirling Seeker can attack on its own. So follow your instincts. Ah, now you're ready to take on any challenger who dares to oppose you. Play the Jedi Arena home video game. Alone or head-to-head, the challenge awaits you. From Parker Brothers, the ones to beat. In a galaxy far, far away, you are needed as a rebel pilot. Become one in the Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle Home video game. Your mission, fly Millennium Falcon through enemy force field while battling TIE interceptors. Ultimately penetrate and destroy the Death Star before its completion. But beware, the Death Ray can stop you. Time is running out. Save the Rebels. Play Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle from Parker Brothers. If you can stand the pressure. Star Wars. It's great in the arcade. Okay, I hope you like that marathon Atari commercial uh, montage there while I was getting the show ready. It's kind of late with getting going tonight, and uh, I needed something long, so I played that. Anyway, welcome, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dan Druff Wittellis. This is the Druff and Friend Show on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Right now, 9.30 p.m. on May 22nd, and uh, I was just informed of something that's a little bit disturbing, that the free roll, which began at 9, and then knowing we're going to be late, I canceled two minutes in and sits at 9.15, I was told that now it's set for next week. <laughs> Oops. So I'm going to fix that. I apologize for that. I just found that as I, as I sat down, that uh, someone informed me of this. So thank you to the person who informed me of this uh, little gaffe. But the good news is if you're not in the free roll yet, now you have extra time to get in. You have a, you'll have 25 minutes from the moment I announce that I fixed it, and then you'll be able to play. And also, because it's late, you're going to have a smaller field to play against. So several advantages here, even if uh, I did make a mistake. Yeah, I see it said for the 29th. That is a mistake. In fact, there won't even be a show on the 29th. So that's especially a mistake. So I'm going to change it back to the 22nd at, uh, make it at 9.35. And then of course, you got the time for the late registration to get in. So you all have plenty of time now to get into the, the tournament. I apologize for that. We have $59 to give away this week, which I asked for at the last minute. We had uh, a lot of money to start with this afternoon when I was putting together the agenda for the free roll. The amount we had in the free roll to start with was... Zero point zero. But thanks to $29 from Frank Rizzo, $20 from I Am Greek... And $10 from Handicap Me, we now have 59 bucks, meaning $30 goes to first, 18 goes to second, and 11 goes to third. Thank you, you guys. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Starts in a few minutes, but you have 25 minutes of late registration. Basically, if you get in there by 10 o'clock Pacific time, you can play. And thank you again to the donors to the free roll. 
You have to go to pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase to know the rules for qualifying for the free money. Otherwise, even if you win, you won't get paid. You've got to know the rules. You've got to qualify. And you also need an account validated to be able to get into the free roll in the first place. If if it says that you have no access to it, that means your account wasn't validated. Please PM Belly Buster. That's Belly Space Buster on the forum to get access. If for whatever reason he's not responsive, you can PM me, Dan Space Druff, or text me at 775-372-8355, and I will put you in for the following week, but not tonight. That's the free roll. Apologies for the confusion tonight between the canceled free roll. Bad guy was claiming he like doubled up and I canceled it. I canceled it like two minutes in. I can't feel too bad about canceling a tournament two minutes in. Had it been going like 10 or 15 minutes, I would have just let it go. But two minutes in, I'm like, you know, whoever busted to get the second chance, whoever doubled up, tough luck. It's two minutes, okay? That's that's the way it goes. Everybody gets a fresh start there at 9.35 p.m. Pacific time. If I owe you money from the free rolls, I, I know I haven't paid it the last few weeks. I've just been busy with other things. I've been preparing a lot of things for my journeys to the World Series of Poker. And unfortunately, a lot of things came up at the same time separate from that, but that have to be handled before the World Series starts. You have to understand, when the World Series starts, uh, life kind of pauses in some ways. You just don't have much time to do anything else. So if you're going to spend a lot of time there, as I am, as I always do, I want to get a lot of things done right before that, and that limits my time. So I I will get everybody paid, though, before I go to the World Series, which is going to be on May 29th, a week from today. So everyone will get paid. Don't worry. I will take care of all that. And uh, thank you for your patience. Don't worry. I'm not broke. I, w- I will be able to pay you your uh, your $25 prizes. You don't have to chase after me for the money. But I do apologize for not paying in a timely fashion right now, but it's going to be done this upcoming week. If you want to call into the show, the phone number, as always, is 775-4855-775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. That's our alternate phone number. 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. It's located in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston, an old 70s rotary phone, which forwards to me wherever I go. It's a separate line into the show. The call-to-listen line keeps changing. I wish it was more stable, but we've just we've had some issues with the call-to-listen line in 2019. I won't lie. It's back to its intermediate phone number, the, the one that kind of came in the middle. The... Uh, Shack in Carroll, Iowa, which I was so proud of, of resurrecting the phone there, it's having trouble again. So you may have called it and received a message to call a new phone number. And and the phone number... Hmm. Should I take this call? What the heck? We'll see what it is. Caller, you're on the air. Caller, hello. Nothing. Okay. Thank you for the informative call. Anyway, we were back to the phone number it originally changed to, which is in South Dakota, 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736. That's the main call to listen line number. The alternate one is 641-741-1095. 641-741-1095. You can find the, these numbers on the radio page in case you forget them, the radio tab on Poker Fraud Alert. If you want to listen to Poker Fraud Alert in the archives, remember, you don't have to listen live. Most of you don't. 
If you want to listen in the archives, you can listen on the TuneIn app, the Stitcher app, the uh, – we have a new one, a bu- the Bullhorn app. I keep forgetting the name of that. The Bullhorn app, you can get that too. You can also use iTunes. You can use Google Play. And you can use Amazon Alexa to listen either live or in the archives. Alexa, you say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast on TuneIn to hear the last episode. And to hear the current episode, to hear the one that's playing right now, the live episode or the streaming rerun, say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio on TuneIn. Just leave out the word podcast. It'll play whatever is currently running on the call to listen line. You can... Always play the MP3 file directly from Poker Fraud Alert. It does not require any players for most devices. You can just click on the MP3 and it plays. It's quite easy. Just go to the radio tab and click on the little MP3 logo, and it'll take you to the little radio forum, or you can click on the thread of the show you want to listen to. It's very easy, very simple. It's the way I usually listen if I want to go back and listen. The TuneIn app can also be used to listen to the show live. There's two entries on the TuneIn app. One is the live entry, which if we're not live, plays the streaming reruns, and if we are, and then there's also the entry for the archive shows, and you can find every show going all the way back to the beginning in 2012, more than 300 shows ago. Yes, we've had more than 300 shows on Poker Fraud Alert Radio we've been running for over seven years, and while I was wondering about the future of Poker Fraud Alert Radio late last summer when I had my issues, my health issues, As you've heard, we're back, and we are broadcasting every week. However, next week is a week we may not be on, and that is because of the World Series of Poker starting and because I'm going to have a little bit of difficulty finding time to do it, but I may be able to squeeze it in. I can't tell you when right now, but I may be able to squeeze it in. It will not be on the 29th, even though our regular day is Wednesday. I I promise you it will not be on the 29th. I'm going to be busy that day traveling to the World Series, and also uh, later that day I'm going to be uh, meeting up with some family who happens to be in Vegas at the same time as me. So that my, my entire day of the 29th is going to be filled, and then, I mean, yeah, I could do it late at night on the 29th, but I, I don't want to because my first event's the next day. I just want to relax and get ready for my 08 event on the 30th. So I'm going to play the 08 event on the 30th. I hope I'll make the 31st and the 1st, the days 2 and 3 of the event. Uh, Whenever I bust, the following day I'm going to play the Big 50 event at the World Series. And whenever I bust from that, I'll see if I have time to do radio. So you will not hear radio again until after I have played two events, for sure. I will have completed both the 08 event and the Big 50 event, whether I win or lose. Whether I win a bracelet or bust both, I will be on next after those two events. So we're not going to have any pre-World Series show except for this one, which I, I just realized right now. I just I just realized this is kind of the pre-World show, Series show. I, I kind of pictured that we had a second one, but we don't. So maybe I'll throw in a World Series topic tonight as well. There's also a bonus topic that we may do tonight uh, about Bitcoin, which has shot up in value. But believe it or not, we're not going to talk about its surge in value. It's near 8K last I looked. I haven't checked today. But we're actually going to talk about it at a listener request. We had a listener wanting to hear about how to use Bitcoin if you're a beginner. So at the end of the show, we're going to do a Bitcoin beginner's primer. And if you know about how to use Bitcoin, it'll be a very boring segment for you. And you may want to just skip it. But 
that's at the end of the show. I'm placing it at the end. So this way, for those of you that don't want to hear about that, don't have to, and you won't miss anything else. So I, I'll try to st- stick that at the end, provided we have time. And, and the reason this person wanted to know about it, and I think it's a valid topic, is that this person wanted to play online poker and deposit with Bitcoin and withdraw with Bitcoin, but doesn't understand how to do it. And I, I can't take for granted the fact that not everybody is all that technical and not everybody is that familiar with Bitcoin. They know it exists, but how to use it. Like if I told my mom, who's a very smart woman, if I told her, you know, go, go sign up for Bitcoin and pay me in Bitcoin, she'd probably have a hard time. She just isn't familiar with that sort of thing and knows nothing about it. And it would take a long time for her to figure out what to do. So I, I, I want to give information to people who could potentially use it and could potentially understand it, but just don't know much about it. That'll be a bonus topic tonight. But but here's the agenda for everything else. By the way, you can chat in the chat room if you want. Chat room is... that has people when we're broadcasting live. When we're in the archives, no, you won't find anybody there. But if you're listening live, you can go in. You're going to mainly chat with the other listeners. I don't check it very often because I'm just busy doing everything on the show. We're going to have Trader Ruski on tonight, by the way, in case you're wondering. We will have a co-host until the tea takes hold of him and he falls asleep. We will have a co-host. And let me get to the agenda, and then we will get going. Daniel Negreanu and Amanda Leatherman got married. Yes. Moved pretty fast. We just heard about his engagement on New Year's, and now in May, he's married. He is now officially married to Amanda Leatherman. I'm sure, as you know, I will have my opinions on that one. (laughs) I think you might be able to guess what some of them are. I'm not going to shock you with any of my opinions, I can tell you that. But uh, there's some interesting topics to discuss regarding the marriage. I'm actually quite familiar with the venue where they got married, and it was not in Las Vegas or anywhere near Las Vegas, but it's somewhere I have been a number of times. You probably have not, but I have been there. I was actually kind of surprised to see... What he chose. It, it was a nice place. I'm not going to criticize the venue, but I'm surprised to see what he chose and because of where it was and that he even knew about it. So we're going to talk about the Amanda Leatherman and Negranu marriage is our first topic. Topic number two. A poker player claims that there was a break-in to his room at Bally's and a theft of various valuables and equipment he had in there which totaled about $5,000, and that Bally's refused to do anything for him. And in fact, refused to take any kind of responsibility, even though he is sure that Bally's poor security was partially at fault here. I'm going to read you the tweets from this guy, and I'll tell you who he is. I'm saying this guy, but I'll I'll tell you all about who he is. Not a really well-known poker player, but some people know him. And I will analyze this. I will fairly analyze this. Some people want to use this as an opportunity to bash Caesars, which owns Bally's. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be fair and honest about it, which I always am with these type of topics. I have no agenda here. You've heard of Hollywood Dave, perhaps, the former poker and blackjack player who uh, was pretty well known on the scene in the 2000s. I was even friends with him at one point. 
We're not going to talk about Hollywood Dave tonight. We're going to talk about someone sometimes confused for Hollywood Dave when talking to poker players. We're going to talk about Vegas Dave, who's not really a a poker player. Vegas Dave is a sports betting tout, a guy who sells sports betting advice. He was arrested two years ago, and he just recently made a plea bargain to the federal charges against him. We will discuss the case that was against him, the plea bargain, and Vegas Dave's tout service, which itself was quite controversial even prior to this arrest. We're going to talk about Vegas Dave. I've actually had listeners before ask me to talk about Vegas Dave, and they wanted me to talk about him because they thought he was a fraud. Tonight, we're going to talk all about Vegas Dave for the first time on this show. Viffer, remember him, David Pete, pretty well-known high-stakes player in the 2000s, even in the early 2010s. What has happened to him? A listener of Poker Fraud Alert Radio found him in a card room, not playing very high stakes, and took a picture of him, which was kind of surprising to see that picture. So I'm going to tell you what I saw in that picture. I'll tell you where to find that picture, which is only on PokerFraudAlert.com. The WSOP final tables, if you enjoyed watching those on Twitch last year, I have bad news for you. There will not be any more WSOP final tables streamed for free on Twitch. It will require a subscription. So I'll tell you about that and that disappointing news if you enjoy watching WSOP final tables without having to pay for it. It would also be disappointing for me if I make a final table and people can't watch it easily. So to be honest, I'm not going to be thinking about that. I mean, I'll be annoyed if that if I make a final table, there will be some slight annoyance that people can't watch me that are going to want to watch me. But I'll mainly be happy I made a final table. I'll be honest with you. The public was being asked to vote for what is being called the first 50 honors for the World Series of Poker. I'll explain what that is when we get to that segment. Resort fees. Another resort fees topic. Booking.com is clamping down on hotels trying to stiff them, that is, trying to stiff Booking.com, out of commission on resort fees, and this could have a ripple effect to perhaps reduce or destroy resort fees everywhere. I wouldn't go so far to say this is likely, but I'll tell you about why Booking is doing this and if there's any impact on you, the traveler, and what ripple effect it might have. Since we're getting close to World Series time, since this is the last show before the World Series starts, since by the time we have our next show, I might have some bad beat stories for you and some heartbreak stories for you, which seem to come every World Series. So before the World Series starts, I'm going to start the whole thing on a negative note by telling you about my biggest poker tournament heartbreaks in my poker career. I'm going to tell you about seven of them, seven which are very memorable Seven, which were very painful at the time they occurred. And I will not claim that I am unique in this sense. Everybody who's played a lot of tournament poker has their frustrating tournament stories, whether it's from bad beats, coolers, just missing a final table, just missing the cash and being the bubble boy, uh, just missing being the winner, whatever it might be, all of you have your sad tournament stories. In fact, some of you might even have sad tournament stories from the Poker Fraud Alert free roll. In fact, we we may have some heartbreak tonight in the free roll that started 13 minutes ago. But I'm going to tell you about my biggest tournament poker heartbreak. Some of them are quite interesting stories. I, I tried not to just list you know stupid bad beats. I mean, there's some listed there too, but I 
I racked my brain about this a few nights ago and came up with the seven most disappointing incidents in my tournament poker career, most being the World Series of Poker. Party Poker is coming to Nevada. This is not for certain, but there's all the signs it's going to happen. And there's already been some motions here that have uh, occurred, which make it very likely. But the question is why? And I'll tell you why that question is on my mind when we get to that topic. Two more states have legalized sports betting. I talked about last week how Montana has legalized sports betting, the first new legalization of sports betting in 2019. There were a bunch in 2018, but none in 19 until last week. Now, two more states have legalized sports betting. I'll tell you which states those are. Finally, as I said, the Bitcoin primer for beginners. If you are not needing such a thing or not interested in such a thing, if you don't either know how to use Bitcoin or don't want to learn, you will hate that segment and you can turn it off at that point. By the way, it's it's uh, too late now if you haven't caught it yet, but I recorded on my DVR the All in the Family and Jefferson's remake. And I mention this because we play the All in the Family ending theme song to end this show. And I'm a big fan of All in the Family, a series uh, very successful in the 70s. I'm sure all of you have heard of it. In fact, since we have a fairly old audience here, I'm sure a lot of you watched it. In fact, some of you even watched it first run. I saw a little bit of it first run, but to be honest, I was too young to watch it and really understand it. I think uh, All in the Family ended in the late 70s. In fact, I know it did end in the late 70s. It became Archie Bunker's place for a few years after that, which is kind of a kind of a spin-off from it, but Archie moved over, as did uh, some of the other characters. I didn't really see many episodes of that until later on, because I was too young. But I, I became a big fan of it, even though I was mainly watching it long after the series was over. And I was very interested in this remake, but I was afraid that it was going to be crap for various reasons. And I, I don't want to make too many comments about it until I actually see it. But that that was tonight. I guess you can go try to find it somewhere online if you missed it, if you have an interest to see that sort of thing. So I'm going to try to locate Trey Ruski, our co-host. And... I have to assume I'll see him soon at the World Series of Poker, where I will be a week from today. Still kind of hard to believe I'll be there in a week, because it's, it's just been so cold in California. It's like we've had an extended winter. It's, it rains. It's uh, in the 60s every day. It, in the 40s at night. It's just it's like we've still got winter here. What's so. happening, Jeff? At Trader Ruski. Hello. So when are you going to be at the World Series? I'm going to be in, I think, around the 24th. Oh, okay, okay. So I won't see you there for a while. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be there too but at that time, but I, I won't see you for a while. So, Yeah, I mean, possibly I'll go earlier, but I've got a wedding on the 22nd, so I was just going to wait. When is the seniors' that. event? What's that? When is the seniors' event? You know what? I haven't even looked. Oh, so you may not play it this year. I may not, but actually, yeah, now that you mentioned that, maybe I've added yeah, another trip. Maybe I've just yeah. added another trip for Trader Risky to the World Series. Very possible. I just, you know, I have a, I have a big, I have, I'm not going to be done with my big work stuff till like the 12th and 13th. And then my cousin's kids getting married on the 22nd in Seattle. And I just know if I end up going to Vegas anytime before that, I'm definitely missing the wedding because I'll be there for like three weeks. In Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> trying to hold out. Yeah, that, that's the, the seniors event is the only thing I'm looking forward to about being 50. Other than that, I'd, I'd prefer not to be 50. I know you're already there, so I don't want to make you feel too bad. But uh, 
you know, I'm only, I'm only three years away. I'm less than three years away now. And I'm starting to feel it come closer. I'm starting to feel more like I am 50. And uh, for some reason, that affects me more than turning 30 or 40, which I really didn't care about too much. But turning 50, is, it's, it's, it's starting to make me feel old. But the one good thing will be getting to play the seniors event. Now, the super seniors, I have to say, I'm not looking forward to at all because I'll, I'll be 65 at that point, And uh, I, I really don't want to be 65. Though, I, though I, I hope I make it to 65. I don't, I don't want to not ever be 65. That would be a bigger problem. We're going to talk about a break-in at Bally's that has allegedly occurred. And I, I believe it, by the way. I'll, t- I'll tell you the story in the words of the victim who put it on Twitter. This is a poker player named Clayton Fletcher. I had not heard of him before. I will be honest. He is at Clayton Comic, exactly the sound, Clayton Comic on Twitter. His description on Twitter is, I am a comedian, writer, raconteur, bon vivant, poker player, not a midnight toker. And then he gives his email on there. And he, his website is ClaytonFletcher.com. C-L-A-Y-T-O-N, Fletcher, exactly as it sounds, dot com. Claims to be from New York, New York. This is all from his Twitter bio, by the way. This is what uh, Clayton Fletcher tweeted on May 16th, 2019. He put, for every retweet, I will donate $1 to Matt Stout's The CSOP, which is kind of some kind of charity tournament that uh, Matt Stout's running. Max $500. So he's, uh, he's offering for up to 500 retweets. He's going to donate a dollar for every retweet there to this charity tournament Matt Stout is running. Why? In March, I stayed at Bally's Las Vegas and was the victim of a burglary. No one bothered to contact me to make sure I was okay or offer me a new room. I was told that someone from risk management would be in touch. For five weeks, I left voicemails and emails. Desperate, I asked a powerful lawyer pal for help. Amazingly, I got a phone call from the company the next day. No apology or explanation why it takes a lawyer to get a response. I was told that there would be an internal investigation. A week later, the internal investigation concluded that Bally's is not at fault because I must have let my door unlocked. That's not true or even physically possible. What is true is that there's no cameras in the hallways or security at the hotel elevators. So I'm out almost 5K in property, and the hotel where it happened, which is Bally's, claims no responsibility and has shown no sympathy to a customer of 20-plus years. Police determined a burglary occurred. Bally's simply doesn't care. Please don't ever consider staying at this awful hotel. Hmm. Pretty bad. So I posted this on Poker Fraud Alert. You can see this in a, in a thread on the Scam, Scandals, and Shadiness forum called Poker Player Clayton Fletcher Alleges His Room Was Burglarized at Bally's. Uh, so I posted questions to him on th- in the thread where I, po- I posted his tweets and I posted follow-up questions. My questions for him were the, follow- the following. He answered them, by the way. Number one, key card locks usually have a log of when they're accessed. Did they show you? Did they show any cards accessing the room at the time that the stuff was stolen? Number two, you said that they that you claim that you said that they claimed you left the door quote unlocked. What do they mean by that? The doors lock automatically. What was their response when you presumably brought that up to them? And number three, have you spoken yet to the hotel manager about the matter? 
So here are his answers that he posted on uh, Poker Fraud Alert. As far as the keycard lock and the logs, he says, no, they claim that this proves I left the door unlocked. So they actually did tell him that they looked at the logs and said it showed nobody accessed the room. Uh, as far as what they mean by leaving the door unlocked, he said, I brought that up to them, and they just reiterated that the key is computerized. Basically saying, look, we see that nobody entered, so nobody entered. You must have left it open in some way. And, and as far right, as... But I think if those older hotels, though, too, drop, you really got to be careful to pull the, push the door closed. Right. Well, we're going to get to you that. Know? Yeah, yeah, we're going to get to that. Yes, you're, you're totally correct. I was, I was, we're going to totally get to that. And, and number three, when I asked if he's spoken to the hotel manager, he said, no, I can't get my phone calls returned. So let's let's go over this all right here. And I'm sorry, Drop. What did he say he lost? How much got stolen? He didn't lose Just any cash, it? but he lost he lost uh, stuff like like a laptop and other things that that he claims is worth five uh, k. But he had he didn't have any cash in the room, so no cash got stolen. But he like five k worth of stuff was stolen. So my okay, ga- so small claims court thing. Yeah. So so, so I, I this is my and a lot of people retweeted this and a lot of people responded to bashing Bally's and said how awful they are. I want to start off by saying I believe this theft happened. I don't know this Clayton Fletcher at all. I'd never heard of him prior to this, so I can't speak about his character whether he'd be the type who could make this up. But my gut feeling is that he is telling the truth that he really did get his stuff stolen, and that uh, what he claims was stolen. Really was stolen. That he's not exaggerating. He's not putting stuff on top of it, claiming extra stuff got stolen that didn't, and that he didn't lose money in the pits and trying to get it back this way. Is it possible? Yes. But do I believe that's what happened? No. I think he was really burglarized, and I think uh, he came back and found his stuff gone and was very upset, understandably. So I, I don't have proof that this is what happened, but I, I believe his story. But let's go on and talk about what Bally's response is. Now, let's talk about the unlocked thing. Trader Ruski, it, it registered in his head right away, just like it did mine. While there isn't a way, to my knowledge, to leave the door unlocked at Bally's, if you don't pull the door shut really hard, sometimes you can just push it back open. Sometimes the lock won't latch, and you can just push it open. And there, you, you, that, it's not actually being un, it's not unlocked, it's just not all the way closed. So I think that's what they mean by unlocked. I've seen that at many hotels. At the Rio, there's this problem. If you stay at the Rio, make sure when you leave your room that you pull the door closed really hard. You don't have to slam it. Just close it, and then after it's closed, kind of pull it towards you as hard as you can, and then try to push it back and see if it opens. I obsessively do that whenever I leave because I'm so afraid that my door didn't latch shut and that someone can break into my room. So I always pull it closed and then try to push back the other way and see if it opens. I have usually I close it well, but I have seen it on occasion where where uh, I pull it and I hear like like it's latching. Like like had I just walked away, it would have been able to be pushed open. So uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that's what happened. And when they say that he left the room unlocked, that's probably what they meant. They just didn't say it very well to him. That's my guess of what they mean by that. Now, as far as his phone calls not being returned, I totally believe that because. Phone calls are rarely returned from anyone at any Caesars property. They're terrible at returning phone calls, as are many businesses, not just Caesars. I'm sure everybody here has had many experiences when you leave a message at a business and don't get a call, especially big businesses. And you can you can call and call and call and leave voicemail after voicemail uh, and, and say, call me, call me, and they, they just don't. 
And it's very frustrating, especially when you leave a message with someone who's swearing they're going to put the number right on the person's desk or tell the person personally to call you. You still don't get a call. So this is a big problem at Caesars Properties. This is one of the businesses that does have a lot of hard time uh, calling people back. So I believe that he's not getting his calls returned. So if you're ever in the situation where you need to talk to someone at a Caesars property, do not leave messages. Do not send emails. You need to aggressively call over and over. I don't mean over and over like uh, consecutively, but I mean once a day, at least, maybe even twice a day, separated by some hours, and reach whoever you can that's as close as the person you need to talk to, like whoever you need to talk to, find the department or employee that works closest to them that is there, and and keep persistently saying you need to talk to them and you need a call back and that you've not been getting a call back and can they please find that person or tell you exactly when they're going to be there or make sure that person calls you. Because if you hassle them over and over and over like this, they're finally going to go to that person and say, look, I'm getting so many calls from this person. Please just call them back. That's what's going to happen. If you just send an email, yeah, you know, I'd like to talk to you. They're not going to call you. If, if you leave messages, they're not going to call you because they don't want to talk to you. You're, they get claims all the time like this of people that say that stuff got stolen, stuff disappeared. Some of the, some of the claims are true. Some of them are people making it up because they lost money and want to find a way to get compensated and get, basically get the money back they lost in the casino. So they don't want to take calls like this. They, they know that these are not going to be pleasant phone calls and they know what they, ha- they have a policy about this, what they're going to do. They know the answer is going to be something the caller's not going to like, and there's going to be a lot of yelling and a lot of frustration and a lot of threats, like legal threats. I don't mean like, like physical threats, but it's, it's a call they're not looking forward to making, and, and they just don't make them. So you've got, to, you've got to be a real pain in the ass to reach the right person. And not just about matters of like theft, anything. I've, I have had to be very persistent to reach hotel managers at Caesars before, any Caesars property. So just leaving messages, never going to do it for you. And, and by the way, when you call persistently, it should be during the business hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific time, Monday through Friday. That's when you should do it. Like twice a day. That's what I would suggest. Unfortunately for Clayton, while I believe this theft occurred, and while he claimed in another tweet that uh, there was some kind of wires kind of like sticking in the door, like someone used that in a way to break into the room, he didn't go into that much detail, but he said there's some kind of like wires found that looked like it had to do with the break-in. So it's possible he didn't leave it open and just someone has a way to uh, get past the locks of a Bally's room. Someone once posted a video. They tried to make it look like the room was being broken into as they were there, but it was misleading. It was actually just uh, someone uh, from the Rio getting into the room from security that they, they had actually called but uh, there is a device, not even a device, like, like a wire thing, that kind of a, a wire that can bend upwards that you could put under the door of a room and then use it to open the handle of the door. It was kind of a disturbing video just for that reason, even though it was security doing it here, so it wasn't someone breaking in his room. But yes, your, your door actually can be open from someone on the outside who has one of those things without them having a key. And... It would not be that hard to make that same little wire device to do it. So it, it's not hard to believe that someone... It, when I say a wire, it's kind of more like a, like a hanger consistency, like a wire hanger consistency. 
but it's not hard to believe someone could have such a thing and break into your room that way. So it's, it's first of all, when you're in the room, it's very, it's very important to latch the door for that reason, so people can't do that, and, and also put on that uh, um, every way to lock it, both the deadbolt and the latch. But the the second thing is that keep in mind that when you're out of the room, you can't put on the deadbolt and latch. That that people can break in that way, so you have to be careful what you leave out. As much as it sucks, you you may want to take things with you, even if it's a pain in the ass to carry them around. He was only gone for a short time, he claims. So that's really crappy. But sometimes what happens is, is uh, would-be thieves are milling around the hallway and, and just uh, pretending like they're getting ice or whatever. And as soon as they see you leave the room, then they, they act very quickly, break in your room, steal stuff, and get out before you can return. So they can, they can do the whole thing in far less than 10 minutes. That's how sometimes these thefts happen in such a short time. Uh, it's also not good to, uh, well, I'll get to some suggestions shortly about how to uh, prevent these break-ins. But let me tell you why it's not looking good for, for Clayton in getting anything back. He has several factors that are working against him. Number one, there is no proof that he ever had any valuables in there. For all they know, he could be making all this up. I believe him. I believe what he says was stolen was really stolen, but they don't know that. For all they know, he could be just making up the whole thing. So, If he logged into the internet, Trump, would they be able to see that it was a laptop rather than his phone, or would it not even recognize what the um, oh, yeah, they can see, device they can, is? Yeah, they can see, yeah. If, if he right, went, so that's one way to prove he had a laptop. That well, sort of, but let's see that. Let me, let me uh, play devil's advocate here. Let's say I bring my. Let's say I just lost at the fifteen hundred oh eight event at the Rio, and I go fuck. I lost fifteen hundred dollars. Well, I want to get that back. My laptop's worth around that. Oh, I have an idea. I'm going to log in to their internet, and then I'm going to take my laptop and give it to a friend to hold, and just say it was stolen, and then I'll say, look, no more laptop here, and you can see I logged in with it. So there's, there's a lot of ways where you just stuff it in your car and hide it. You know, there's a lot of ways you can have something at one point and just hide it and say it was stolen. I'm not saying he did this, and I'm, I'm not even like not saying he did this in a wink, wink, nudge, nudge way. Like I think he's cheating them. I don't. I think this really happened. But as far as their perspective is concerned, they have to have a protocol in the way they deal with these things. And if they just compensate anyone who shows up and says, "Hey, stuff was stolen out of my room," oh, okay, here's five k because you claim the stuff was worth five k, uh, then you can imagine there'll be tons of people doing this to them and just hitting them for money whenever they want free money. So they they have to come up with a policy to handle this. And by the way, I'm not I'm not defending Bally's further uh, fully. I will explain at the end of this where I do feel they're at fault. But uh, they do have to put their foot down where people can't just walk in and say, oh, stuff was stolen. Give me the money for what was stolen. Uh, it's, uh, th- there's reasons they can't do that. N- n- number two, hotels in general state that they're not responsible for valuables left in the room. You, see, you usually see that on the door. They have something printed on the sign about how they're not responsible for valuables, that, that they're willing to hold the valuables for you if you give it to them. But if you leave anything in the room, that uh, if it gets stolen, they're not responsible. And th- this has been the law in most states for longer than just about any of us have been alive. In fact, some of these laws go back over 100 years. So they do this exactly for that reason. So they limit their liability both from theft, actual theft, and people pretending there's theft. They just uh, 
they don't have to worry about reimbursing people when they claim things were stolen and they have no idea if anything was really stolen or not. So the, the law is generally on their side here. Number three, they can hide behind the possibility that maybe he did leave the door not fully closed. Maybe he didn't close the door hard enough and, and, and people just pushed the door open and walked right in and, st- and stole stuff. I think that's probably what they were saying to him. And number four, the value of what was stolen from him is fairly high. When I say fairly high, I don't mean like a devastating amount of money, but I mean, as far as thefts from hotel rooms are concerned, that's 5K worth of stuff is a lot. If he had gone to them and said, hey, uh, something worth $200 was stolen, they wouldn't hand over $200 to him right away, but after a lot of pressure, they might be willing to give him uh, the, the equivalent in free room nights or food credits or something like that. He could probably find a way to get $200 out of them, even if it's uh, through rooms or, or food. But there's no chance they're going to hand over 5 k or anywhere near that. It, it's one of these things where it's just too much, and they're just going to give you a, a no right away. This is one of these things where the, the smaller the, the damages are that you're claiming, the, the much better chance you have to succeed there. And I, I've used this argument, by the way, not with hotels, but when, when something happens and I'm, I'm looking for some kind of small compensation from a business, I'll bring that up to them. I go, I'm not trying to get rich off this. I'm not trying to get 5K, 10K out of you. I just want you know, $80, whatever it was. Like the, uh, something that comes to mind right away is when I, I parked my car at this parking place by the airport and they tam- and someone some employees there tampered with my car and uh, and had some kind of party in my car and leaned the seats way back and changed the radio station or something I'd never listened to and someone screwed with my car while I was gone. It wasn't damaged but it was screwed with and it was it was tampered with and pe- they were doing things with it they should not have been doing while I was on their lot. So I, m- what I came up with then was that they should just refund the amount I paid. I, I'm not looking for d- damages or a settlement. I just w- I just don't want to have paid them which I had to do to get out of there. But once I was out of there and, uh, and talked to the manager a few days later, I said, look, how about you just refund my money for the parking there because you didn't do what you were supposed to there. You didn't protect my car from your own employees. So, And, and at first they said no, but I, I kept repeating to them, I'm not looking for damages. I'm just looking. And they wanted me to do an insurance claim, which of course would have been denied. I just kept repeating to them, I don't want an insurance claim. They're going to deny it. I don't want any money from you. I don't want to make anything out of this. I just don't want to have, have to pay you for this because you didn't. I didn't get what I paid for. So please just give me the exact amount of money I paid back. I'll sign anything you want that I waive my right to sue you over this. And so that's, exactly, that's exactly what they eventually did, is they gave me my 120 bucks back that I paid to park there. And uh, and they had me sign a, a release saying that I will not sue them for anything that occurred. And we did that, and I was happy, and we were done. But if I was asking for $5,000, even if there was damage in there, uh, there's no way they would have given that to me. They would have told me, go through insurance, sue us, whatever. They, there's no way they would have just handed that to me. But they gave me the 120 back because it was a small amount of money, and, 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 and basically they were just refunding what I already paid them. So in this case... He, the amount he wants is so far above what they could possibly be willing to give, they're just going to say no. Because they know if they're going to offer – what if they say, hey, we'll give you 500 There's no way he'd be happy with that if it's 5000 worth of being stolen. And in fact, they feel like if they're going to give him 500 that's like an admission of guilt. And then he's going to say, well, you're giving me 500 so you knew you screwed up in some way, so why don't you give me the full value of my stuff? It could even look worse if they're paying him something but only 10% of what it was worth. So they just have to dig their heels and say no there. And I don't even blame them for this. I, As far as this, because there's no proof that theft occurred, even if there's proof a break-in occurred, 
with his wire, or I wouldn't say proof, but he said the police determined it looks like there was actually a burglary and it looks like there was actually a break-in. And I'll, I'll believe that, okay? There may be evidence a break-in occurred. But again, the law is on the hotel's side, and he can't prove what valuables he had. And also, you can't just leave stuff in the room and make the hotel responsible for it. Like, what if he left 100000 in there? Would they be responsible for 100000 there, There's There's some limit to it, of course. So the hotel is saying, look, our limit is we're not responsible. Don't leave stuff in the room you don't want stolen, which, which can be very inconvenient. I'll, I'll say that. But unfortunately, that's the position they have to take in order to protect themselves from liability and from scammers, even liability of those who aren't scammers. I don't think he's a scammer. So it sounds so far like I'm on Bally's side, but not completely. I do think it's unfortunate that they don't, number one, have better surveillance there. Vegas hotels don't like to put cameras in a lot of places because people have privacy concerns. If, if some guy's uh, cheating on his wife, he doesn't want video evidence of, their, of it there. But but the fact is, the truth is that in, in casinos, you cannot even get to your room without being seen with someone you're walking up with. Uh, there's there's cameras all over the casinos, which you typically have to go through to get to your room. So who cares if there's... A, I, I, I always thought there should be cameras in the hallway. That would really make things a lot more secure. Especially if the criminals knew there were cameras in the hallway. A lot of times there are not cr- cameras in the hallway, which in fact is how those two people who robbed Greg Raymer all those years ago got away with it for some time until they were finally found. And they were only found because they had been milling around the poker room watching Raymer, and they found it on when they went back to look at the video in the poker room and found these guys milling around and following him out. And then they uh, their pictures were circulated, and finally they were found in San Diego and, and shipped back to face trial in Nevada. One of them died, by the way. I, I mentioned on the show, I think, I think it was last year, one of them, one of those robbers of Greg Raymer actually died. And surprisingly, someone who listens to this show knew him and put out a Kind of uh, glowingly positive obituary for the person on Facebook, saying that he that was like the one mistake in his life the guy made, and it, this really wasn't him. He just did one thing really stupid. I don't know how true that was, but that was uh, it's a little aside there. Anyway, I do feel that. How did he die? Uh, it's I think of a heart attack or no, it was it was some kind of natural cause. I think it was like a heart attack or something. The guy wasn't that old. I think he was like early fifties, but uh, the wow. but yeah, he, it was it was some kind of natural cause. You know, who knows? It could have been from you know, drug use or something. But it was something something that was like a heart attack that just abruptly killed him. A- anyway, it, w- it wasn't in the commission of a crime. And, and as far as I know, the guy stayed out of trouble after serving some time over what he did to Raymer. So, getting back to this. I do feel hotels, given especially with these casinos and people keeping money in their room and the fact that these tend to attract more crime than the average hotel, that they should have cameras in the hallways, that they should have cameras in the elevators. And that would really eliminate a lot of the question here as to whose fault these break-ins are and also possibly lead them to the culprits. 
But here they just have to take guesses and say, well, you know, we don't see anyone enter your room. So uh, I guess it's your fault. Like, that's kind of crappy. Like, like think if you were in Clayton's shoes there, you go in the room. You, you're smart enough to take your cash with you, which he did. He said he had cash on him, but he, he took it with him. But you leave your laptop and other things which are valuable in the room. And you figure, hey, I'm just going to go out for 15 minutes. And you come back and it's all gone. What did you do wrong? Assuming he really closed the door well. You come back and it's gone. How can you really blame the guy? And it would suck. And then you go down and tell the hotel and they blame it on you. I mean, it's very frustrating. And then well, they. Can- I would think too, in some of those older hotels, I mean, these doors are fucked up. The right. Carpets too low. You know, you should not have to. You shouldn't. You should, like you said, check it. But you shouldn't have to like every time you're like pulling it closed. Right. And that's that's. And if there were complaints, you know. That, and that's my that was gonna be my next point is that the, I I think they probably are not maintaining these doors well enough. I, I and I don't just think I know because I get the Rio. A lot of times the locks are a disaster. I've, I've, I've gotten to the Rio and, and had to sit there for hours waiting for maintenance to come and fix the door, uh, the door locks because they're screwed up. And I, I obviously not gonna have a room like that. And, and so I'll either switch rooms or I'll actually wait for the maintenance to come and, and fix the door. I went to this, com- uh, 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 almost like a, almost like a comedy sketch uh, of a guy coming up for maintenance in the Rio telling me the door quote is supposed to work this way. I tell him I've stayed there so many times. I know it's not supposed to work this way, and we go back and forth about it. And then he, then he's trying to demonstrate to me of when you try to close the door the way it's supposed to be. And I go, well, what you just did, it doesn't usually do that. I've tried like a bunch of times before you got here, didn't do it this way. And he says, no, no, watch, I'll do it again. He does it, and then it happens the exact way I say. It. And I, I waited for like a laugh track to come in the background. Uh, so, so, and then they fixed it, and then right after he fixes it, it happens again. It was it was it was a, a huge mess. So these doors are not maintained well, and I've had it many times. We're in hotels, Caesar's properties, and others where I've had to have them fix the door lock. And I can't imagine that I'm just really unlucky with that. They probably are not maintained well, and then that sucks that people who don't obsessively pull the door closed can get burglarized for that reason. And that's that's and they don't give you any warning. Hey, make sure to pull the door really hard shut. This is just like you got to learn this for yourself. So that's a problem. Uh, also, they should make these rooms hard to break into. They need to make it much tougher. Now, it's a double-edged sword because they make it too hard. Then if there's a problem with the lock, they have to find a way in. But they should they should come up with some way, and there's plenty of ways to do this to where. Criminals cannot break in, and to where if maintenance needs to get in, when let's say the door the door lock just stops working, that automatic key lock just stops working, they need to find a way in. That it should be some effort for them to get in, where they can do it, but it would take a long time. They have to completely dismantle something. Not where you can just stick like a, a wire hanger type device into the door, and if it's the right device and you and you practice enough with it, you can open anyone's door. And I, I saw the video of that at the Rio. How security does that. And it wouldn't be too hard to duplicate such a thing. So I, I have a feeling something like that probably did happen to Clayton here. They probably someone did was watching the hallway, watched him walk out, watched him go down the elevator, and then very quickly, you know, watched. No one was in the hallway. They they, they knew there was no cameras. They they shoved that wire thing under there. They opened the door. They grabbed whatever was out in plain sight that looked like it had any value and ran. And then he comes back 15 minutes later, and his stuff's gone, and it sucks. So they're also at fault for not making more secure rooms. Now, 
Here's some suggestions that were posted by Poker Fraudler radio listener Shiz Money, which I agree with. He said, for those going to Vegas this summer, here's some precautions I use. Number one, make sure to try to fit as much as you can in the safe before leaving for extended periods. I'll even go as far to say before leaving for any periods, uh, other than for like two minutes getting ice. Other than that, uh, anything like like ten minutes or more you're leaving, uh, try to fit as much in the safe as possible. He's right. Now, you may say, well, I've heard all these stories of these safes getting broken into. Yes, and, and he actually acknowledges that. But it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to break into these safes. And when someone breaks into the room, they're looking for the easy target, the laptop sitting out, cash sitting out, iPad sitting out. That's what they're looking to take. They, they, to, to have to screw around with a safe and, and try to find a way into it and have a way to get into it, it's a lot harder. So it's, a, it's not foolproof. Putting stuff in the safe is not uh, prevent stuff from getting stolen. But first of all, keep in mind that a lot of the things that have been said over the years about safes being broken into at the Rio are made up. Uh, what is this in the background? Trader Risky, what's going on here? Oh, my, my bad, my bad. <laughs> and, and, and then, uh, so, don't be afraid of the safe. Use the safe. It's not going to completely protect you, but it's, it's going to protect you a lot more than anything that's sitting out. And, and thieves are not superheroes. They can't just waltz into your room and say abracadabra and the safe just opens. It's a lot of effort to do. It can be impossible for them to do. It can be very difficult for them to do. It's an extra layer of difficulty. It's a big extra layer of difficulty. And they don't, they don't know when you're coming back and they don't want to go to jail. So they're, they're not going to just hang out in your room for an hour trying to find a way to get into the safe. They're, they, they are going to try to get in and out very fast. And if you have stuff in the safe, they're usually not going to go for it. So he's right. You put stuff in the safe. Uh, sometimes laptops won't fit in there. That's, that's, that may be it. But as much as you can fit in there, you should fit in there. And that includes anything that you think they could be interested in. Your wallet, your keys, uh, a laptop if it fits, iPads, um, anything that you think they would take. You don't have to put your clothes in there, your toothbrush, things that a thief would never want. Even your razor or something they're probably not going to steal. But anything you think a thief might want, try to put in the safe. He says, what about laptops or anything valuable that can't fit in the safe? He said, uh, back up any useful data, which is a good idea. Before you leave on your trip, do a backup on your laptop of anything that you would not want to lose. Pictures, important data, whatever. Uh, Make sure you back this up somewhere before you leave. Uh, you then also you can leave stuff at the front desk but only if they have a policy that uh, where they store it somewhere safe now I agree that bringing your laptop down to the front desk and having them store it every time you leave the room is, is not really practical but if you're going to leave for 8 hours 10 hours may, maybe you should but uh, you can also he doesn't say this but this is something I'll suggest take it with you I've done that before. I, when I've left the room for a long period of time, I have taken my laptop with me. I, I have a backpack, and, and I, I'll put the laptop in it, and and I'll take it with me. Why? Because uh, no one's going to mug me in the casino to steal my laptop off my back. But uh, my room's unoccupied for a long period of time. Uh, a lot of times the laptop will get stolen. 
So, so by the take way, a, take everything with you, Druff. Just have like the bellman following you around. <laughs> I was thinking of getting one of these like hiking backpacks that uh, that people take on uh, long term hikes for for like weeks at a time. Just like uh, giant packs on my back and just bringing that around the Rio. Right, or they can make razors. You know, the the, the are those the cars that the old guys drive? <laughs> you know, and then but have like a little trunk thing where you can store your luggage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then. There's also hidden cameras, which won't prevent stuff from being stolen, but uh, you can hide cameras in the room. You can buy little things that you can plug in that'll just look like uh, the surge protectors or whatever. You can plug things in the room that wouldn't likely be stolen, but are hidden cameras that you can then access later and then give to the police to track down the person who did it and also prove to the hotel if if these break-ins really occurred and how they occurred. Uh. He says, before leaving the room for extended periods, leave the TV on loud, the bathroom fan on, and the lights on. I don't know why he says the bathroom fan. <laughs> Unless it's a really thin door, they're not going to hear the bathroom fan on. Uh, the TV, though, and the lights are a good idea. If you leave the TV on, now don't make it too loud, because otherwise you can get complaints by the, ne- the rooms next door, especially if you're out late, and then security will enter your room. You'll actually have someone entering your room. And for a valid reason, and if anything gets stolen, then you're going to really have no uh, recourse. But leave it on at a volume enough to be heard through the door and and the lights on. And and this way, a would-be thief doesn't know if there's someone else in the room. Because remember, if they see you walking out, they don't know if your wife's in there, if your brother's in there, if your roommate's in there. It, it could be anyone. The thieves do not want to come in and have a confrontation. They want to come in and steal stuff with nobody there and run away. They're, they're, they're not looking to come and rob someone at gunpoint for the most part. So so leaving the TV on leaves leaves a question. Yes, they know people could just be leaving the TV on, but then also you may not be. There may be somebody in the room with you. They don't know. So that's that's something you, you can do. He says, before leaving the room for extended periods, leave the do not disturb sign outside the door. He does mention that do not disturb doesn't mean much anymore at Caesar's properties. It's only like a room occupied sign now, but it's better than nothing. Uh, the maid can technically come in, but this at least is saying don't come in this room. And if they do, then security has to come in and log that they came in. And it's uh, it's not that likely that someone coming in at that point is going to steal anything. Otherwise, if the maid comes in and finds valuables. The maid can steal. You may say, well, then I, then they'll show the maid come in, came in with her key and they can blame her. Well, they can, but the maid was supposed to be there. If the maid came in to clean and they ask her, did you steal this guy's laptop? She'll say, oh, no, no, I don't steal laptop. No, I clean. I clean. And, and that's it. If they showed she cleaned the room and the room was clean, they'll say, look, no proof. You may say she did it, but we don't see any proof she did it. But if she was not supposed to be in there and you had a sign up there saying room occupied, then she won't have an excuse to come in to clean. And then the only ones who can come in through that sign would be the uh, security. And it's not that likely security is going to steal from you. So put that sign up for sure when leaving. He said, before leaving the room for extended periods, take a video leaving the room, locking the door, and literally tugging on the door to show it's locked and closed. That might be a bit of overkill, too, but if you are paranoid about your room being broken into, you can do that. It will show at least what you had in the room and showing yourself that you're forcing it closed. Of course, if you come back to the room and everything's fine, you can delete that video. So you don't have to store like t- 
tons of videos on your phone of you leaving your hotel room. You can just delete them every time you come back. So these are good pieces of advice. And I'll give you a few more pieces of advice. Number one, don't tell anyone your room number. Because if you tell people your room number, then when they know you're not there, they can break in the room and know very well that nobody will be there. Uh, Another piece of advice is do not have a roommate that you cannot completely trust. Every year at the World Series, we have stories of thefts that occur where it's not clear whether or not the roommate was actually the one guilty. And there's no way to tell. So if you're going to have a roommate, make sure it's someone you really, really trust, not just a poker player who seems like a nice guy. Now, if it's a poker player who's been around for a very long time and the person has a very good reputation and they they have a big bankroll, they're not likely to steal uh, steal from you. Like it's it's not likely to happen. But but truthfully, most poker players, even ones with a decent reputation, I I wouldn't really trust as my roommate there. Just because you never know. So if you have a roommate, be very careful who it is, because there's always stories of people getting stolen from by the roommate and they can't prove it. Do not bring yeah, it. And, and if something does happen, then there's well, your buddy must have done right, it. Right, right. The, the hotel so is always the out. Right. The hotel loves to loves to blame that uh, the roommate, and sometimes it's true. Then also, do not bring people to your room that you don't trust. They could, uh, first of all, they'll know where your room is. They so, could have a hooker come up. You don't know what the person does. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, definitely don't leave them alone in your room. But, but even if you're with someone, even if you're with someone that you don't know very well, number one, now they know your room number. And number two, uh, they, they get to see what you're keeping there. They, they get, uh, they get a much better idea of what to do. Also, then they can come back later and, uh, and, and they can break in or have someone they know break in. Uh, they could even do something to make it easier to break in. Maybe leave something to, uh, on the door to where it doesn't close as well. Uh, you, you, I'm not saying bring nobody to your room. I'm saying just be careful. Don't, there's also stories of people bring strangers to their room. There's a story, I don't know, a year or two ago, about a, a guy who brought someone else to his room, left for a short time, and then uh, stuff disappeared from the safe. Like things like that. You, they definitely, if you leave someone, if you bring someone to your room, do not ever leave them alone or go to sleep with them in the room unless you know them well. Because stuff will happen. Like if you bring a hooker to your room, make sure you're watching the hooker the entire time. Make sure, forget a hooker, any girl, a hooker, a, a, a girl you just meet uh, somewhere in Vegas. Make sure everything's locked up in the safe. Make sure that you're you're watching them, even when they're going to the bathroom. You don't have to follow them into the bathroom, but you, you just make sure you're keeping track of what's going on with them, and do not go to sleep when they're there. Well, Artie from Howard Stern used to say, like, if if he had to go to the bathroom, he'd have them clap and keep clapping. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's, I mean, stuff happens when they go to the bathroom and when you go to the bathroom. They can steal when you go to the bathroom and run out, and then when they go to the bathroom, they can steal stuff while they're not from the bathroom, but if they see something like an open safe or they can grab things and then uh, while you're not looking, just say, oh, hold on, I gotta go to get medication out of my car and then leave and never come back. So there's been that type of thing happening too. So just, just for the most part, 
don't bring people back to your room you can't totally trust. And if you do, you got to watch them like a hawk the entire time. Don't leave them alone for even five minutes. Don't don't ever go to sleep. Don't don't let don't let them ever have access to anything you eat or drink. You know, don't don't make a drink for both of you and then and then go to the bathroom or walk away for a second where they could uh, drop something in it. If you, if you do make a drink, make sure you make it and and you hold it the entire time until you're finished with it. This may seem like it's it's paranoia, but a lot of stories about uh, people getting their drink spiked and they they wake up and find their stuff gone. And, and also, very important, if there is a girl who is really into you that you cannot figure out why it just doesn't make sense why she just likes you so much and she's not a prostitute you're probably being set up for something and there may be a situation where she lets dudes into the room to tie you up and rob you at gunpoint or even worse there was a murder that occurred in 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 london just like this so if, if you're a 55 year old guy and a hot 25 year old girl just seems really into you out of nowhere and wants to come back and have sex with you and you and she's not a hooker. Uh, you may give yourself credit for being very handsome for fifty-five and very charming, and maybe she just likes older men. And uh, you know, of, of course, you know, you're a great guy. Of course, she likes you. No, you're probably being set up for something. So keep in mind if something weird like that happens, and it's it's a girl that normally in everyday life would never give you the time of day, especially on her own. Then there's probably something going on that's not good. And you should just stay away from it. So those, those are all pieces of advice based upon stories that we have told on this show. Bad stories that have occurred over the years. Fortunately for Clayton here, he was only burglarized. He was not uh, the victim of any kind of uh, robbery or violence. So it's unfortunate for him. My heart goes out to him over this. I don't want to make it sound like I'm blaming him. This is very frustrating. This could happen to anyone. This could even happen to me. If it, you know, For 15 minutes, you don't, you don't lock up your stuff very well. I, most people aren't going to lock their stuff up very well for 15 minutes. And... Uh, it's very sad this happened, especially if, if he did close the door well and someone broke in with, that, with some kind of wire device. Then, yeah, it just sucks. It just stuff's gone. and But, but the hotel's not going to do anything for you for the reasons I already stated. And it's it sucks and you feel helpless and you feel like they should do something, but they don't. And it's not just Bally's. No hotel's going to do anything for you in this spot. To show you how hard it is to get anything out of hotels, you may remember when we had uh, William Sansegard on this show who was assigned, uh, who's double assigned a room at the Rio where they gave him a room and then they stupidly checked a second person into his room thinking he was empty. And then while he was gone, that person who was given a key by the Rio to enter his room entered, found cash and his iPad and stole them. And when he went back to the Rio and complained, they realized what happened. They didn't tell him. They just said, oh, we're going to look into it. They figured out what mistake they made. They, they they brought the guy and said, hey, uh, we know you stole from this guy, and and we're about to call the police, and the guy who, you know, the guy who, who was the thief like, okay, okay, fine, fine, I'll give it back. And he gave back the iPad and $1,000. So they, 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 they go to William and say, hey, great news, we have your iPad and, and $1,000 back. And he's like, no, 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 I had, I had uh, $3,000 there. And they're like, well, no, he said there was one. Well, yeah, he said there was one. He probably lost the other 2000 in the casino already. Well, sorry, that's all we're giving you. That's all he said there was. And it took a lot of shaming, and this was totally the Rio's fault. It took a lot of shaming publicly to make them finally give it up. And part of it was his appearance on this show. And and he told them. He told them he appeared on this show. And I gave him advice of what to threaten them to what he was going to do further as far as 
media appearances. And finally, they realized that they, they screwed up and this would look awful. And they backed down and took his word for it that he had that 2000 and gave it to him. But that was an unusual circumstance. This, when you just go, oh, yeah, you know, someone broke in my room and took my stuff. Uh, they're never going to give you a 5000 back. Never. So he's unfortunately screwed. Okay, bad guy just tried to call. Um, we're going we're gonna to call him back here. Uh, this should be good because he got second. Uh, okay. Your call has been forwarded Uh-oh. to an automated voice. Well, I tried to call. I'm trying. One more time. Your call has been forwarded nope, I tried. to an automated Sorry, bad guy. I mean, it's... I'm trying. I, I, can't, I can't get a hold of you. Oh, I think he's calling you now. Bad guy, hello. Bad guy. Yeah. So what happened? You finished second? Is, is it the bad beat portion of the show yet or what? Sure, go ahead. Tell us the bad well, beat. Well, first, I have an inquiry. I think I'm already first place. I'm, I'm, this is like the Kentucky Derby. Who the fuck side effect? I think he's a fucking fake. Side, and a side effect, he's, he's a poster on the site. He's real. What? Yep. Uh, he tricked me. He kept sitting out, sitting in. I thought he was in his mom's basement like I'm usually. <laughs> okay. What the hell, man? Are you kidding me? No, yeah, I can't. Listen, man, it's hard to win two tournaments in a night. I won the first one, and but, then I have to win the second one. Did you ever do that in your life, win two tournaments in one day? I, I finished third and first at the World Series one time. That's, uh, that's, well, that's how I feel right now. I finished first and second. Where's my money for the first tournament? The first tournament did not conclude, so you, you don't get... What do you mean, bro? I, was, I, I had like a 6-1 to one chip lead. I doubt that in the, first, in the first two minutes, he didn't have a six to one chip lead. Bro, I've been a freaking. Po- I went to jail for this site, man. This is how I get treated. <laughs> so, so, so you. I'm serious. I did. Well, listen, you're, you're going to get something. You're going to get uh, like, like I think eighteen dollars, yeah, well, seventeen dollars. What happened? I got after I knew I had a fifth guaranteed. I got sloppy. I had a two to one chip lead. This is no lie. I went on with ten three. He has ace ace. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and I was way up on. I swear to God, he just fucking beat me. Who's side effect? I want his poster name, or I'm calling Belly Buster, man. I, I think he is. I think he's side effect on the site. I think that's his name on the site. I don't think, man. I think this guy's a fucking fake, and I'm no, going to move I, up I, like the Kentucky Derby. I, I'm pretty sure Everybody's he's going to move up. I'm pretty sure he's real. I, I remember side effect on the site, unless something's confusing me. I, there's a side winder, but we also have a side effect, I believe. So. No, yeah. this guy's fucking not real. I've never seen this guy's well, name in my life. Well, there's too many so sides on the site. The first place money is that how it works? The, the, if he's is disqualified, this like the Kentucky Derby. Listen, I'm found in the yes. If 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 he is dis, if he's not able to if he's not qualified to have won the free money, you would go to first. But see, we have a lot of sides on the Hell site. Yeah. We, we have we 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 have the side dish. We have side winder. And then we have side effects, so I think it's right. confusing. No, there's no side Dude, side effect is what's going on with your pills. There's no side effect, bro. <laughs> I'm going to look this up right now. I'm just about <laughs> is, sure. This. Is, he, is, he from, is he from that uh, town in Well, bro, I'm bad guy 2-3, and I'm too sweet on here. That This guy's fake, or he has four accounts. I'm found in the quad. Dude, I'm kidding around, dude. Like, seriously, I'm not, I'm not being fair. Yeah, no, there, there is a side effect. I just looked him up. Yeah, but who, that might not be the same guy. It's got to be the same guy. He has posts, too. Has... No, bullshit. All the drug acts have been on this site. I'm sure someone called himself okay. side effect before Listen, this guy. This, this the side effect. Let me tell you about side effect. Times. Side effect posted back in June of 2012, but then as recently as, as today and and, uh, and a year ago. So, okay, Is it the same IP address? There's no way it would be the same IP. No, there's no way he has the Bro, same IP as seven years ago. I tell you, in 2012, people were coming over from Donkdown 
there's a bunch of drug acts they were having side but he's posted drugs they were but on. he's he's posted uh, he's posted over the years he's not a super active poster but he's posted sometimes at various points over the years including well, I today he was playing poker tonight. he was sitting in sitting out i thought the guy was a i think it's a bot man yeah, he has he has nine. Said, I'm calling Maven. I'm done with this site, man. He has, you know, I can't even win the championship legally here, man. I'll agree. He doesn't post that often, but he has five posts at various times since 2012. Dude, I'm the fuck around. You say, you you take me serious here? I'm just I'm for the for the listeners so they understand. For, for for the listeners so they understand. The side effect is a, a real guy. Okay. The listeners don't take me serious, bro. You only do. Well, they 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 may Let's talk about something real. Now that bitch is a skanky whore, by the way. I heard what you said after I got off the phone. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, don't fucking talk about it because it makes you look crazy. I have That's to. Why you need me as a co-host sometimes, man. You need me to reel you in a little bit. Some listen. It did sound a little bit fucked up. I'm telling you. It if, may have sounded fucked up. To the show for the first time today, they got a little bit fucking off by it. Well, there's always segments like this on this show where, where people can be turned off by no, things. I like the segments, man, but, like, it, it went on for, like, an hour. Like, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm trying to play this poker thing. I'm looking at the time, like, Jesus Christ. Well, it's, it's, a long, it's a long foreign show. It's a, still talking about this wedding. It's, it's a long show. didn't even last that long. <laughs> it probably didn't. But you, you, know what, you know what I'm wondering here? Not only did the wedding not last that long, I think it's possible that the marriage is going to last a shorter time than the segment about it. Right. So, listen, you got it all covered. You got all the over. Okay. We, we have another anyway, call. That's why I call. I called to be a dickhead and say I'm moving up like the Kentucky Derby. Okay. We, we, we have another derby. caller. I tried to win it, though. You did piss me off when you did that. And no, I, this said, is safe. Usually I just throw Oh, hold on. Hold on. We, we have the side effect. We have side effect on side effect. Hello. Oh, here's side hey, effect. Man, how's going? Right. Yeah, nice hand. Hey, bro, come way. on. Tell them that you just joined like two days ago. No, I I played before. I, um, Trey Ruski and I went heads up last year. I I think this guy's real. Man, I was hoping you were. A fi- I, I think I he's a real deal. Seven horse man. Yeah, Trader Ruski. I need the thirty bucks to get a to get a thirty pack. <laughs> Jesus well, Christ, sorry. man. No, brother, was, tell, uh, tell him how I won with 10-4, bro. No, no, I'll let I this guy talk. Here, look at this. I, I get new. Ch- had to go to the grocery store. I told you <laughs> oh, yeah. he's in and out. Wait, so hold on. So side effect, you you went to the grocery store during the tournament? Yeah. And still won? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, he did because he had a bunch of money and he was sitting out and then he came back. That does not speak well. Yeah, for the, I saw the, my bike playing on my phone at the same time. You know what? That, that, from the store. that doesn't speak very well right. for the uh, for the competition on this site. If you can go to the grocery store during the tournament, nah, so listen, listen, I fucked up at the end. I had a ten fucking no, three, and I went on, and he woke up with an ace. <laughs> Tell him. Yeah, you could have sucked that on me on the river too. Maybe if you would have hit a. No, no, I almost burning. got there, but now he deserved it, man. He played good, especially he's riding on a fucking bike. I'm glad he won. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... bro. Here's the bad thing, though. I can use that. I don't even have a bike. Well, side effect. Let me Jesus ask you about this, Christ, man. I need that thirty dollars. Hold on, side effect. I've got a question for you here. We we had uh, Larry Laffer, who doesn't. I don't think he listens anymore. I think he's gone. But Larry Laffer, he he was a famous uh, bike rider on the show. Uh, so, so why do you ride a bike there? Do you not have a car? I I don't own a car right now. Hmm. This kid's like 16, bro. Is there a rule on that? Because if he's not over 18, I should get the... Well, I don't know. He, he would have been really young back in 2012, then. No, you're the same age as me. your ID, bro. I'm pulling out all stops. I'm like William Hill here. Well, I have to say, he sounds pretty young for 47. I'll give him that. Are you really 47? October, October 71. 
Wow, he's older than me. Wow, oh, wow, he's he's forty seven and, and gonna be forty eight sooner than me. So so yeah, side, I give side effect credit here. I, I'd like to think I sound young for forty seven, but this guy sounds even younger than I do. Amazing. You sound younger than me. But at least, at least uh, I do. I still sound do I still sound black to you, Drew? Uh, no, because I know you, but uh, I, I could believe it if I didn't. Uh, if I didn't know who you, you did were, believe it. I, as I'm saying, I could still believe it. If I didn't know who you were, I could still believe it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I did sound a little black. <laughs> yeah, and it was raining too. It was raining on me, and I rode my bike in the rain with an umbrella on one hand and my phone on the other. Really? Well, you got to get a car. Did you ever drive? Well, looky, thank God that this guy yeah, won. He really did all that. I'm giving it's just, uh, I just test my job and, uh, I'm gonna, 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 well, look, I, I I could never stand it. Even when I travel, I've got to get a car. I, I can't stand not having a car. I've got to have a car everywhere I go. It's, yeah, there's times when I definitely wish I had one. There's fucking Uber now, bro. What are you talking? No, about? I see. I hate that shit. I want to. I want to just get in the car and drive where I'm going to go, and then drive back. I don't want to wait for people to come pick me up. And so here's my question yeah. to you now, Jeff. When you're driving, do you have to listen to your tunes or what? How's that fucking work? Well, you, when well, who's with me? If I'm by myself, yeah, I listen to what I want to listen to. No, 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 no. If we're on me, fucking side effect, or in the car with you, what are we listening to? <laughs> oh no, we, I'd probably just put on nothing. And you're I, driving. No, I don't force people to listen to music I listen to. I usually put on no music if someone's in the car with me. I mean, we're not listening to fucking super break out of Tari shit. I hope. I mean, I hope you can put some John Denver on at least. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't put anything on unless someone's going to want to listen to what I want to listen to. I just put nothing. Why on Why did it. I get clowned and left behind? Yeah, why, why wasn't Trump? I love John Denver, man. No, but why? Why was Trader Ruski not in the car with us? Why? Why would we leave him? Up, why no, we leave him at home? Well, Trader Ruski's in the car, but he never says nothing, man. He never even slows you down. Walk in the truck. <laughs> Trader Ruski wanted to stop that fucking marriage segment like twenty fucking minutes ago, and you kept going. Well, look, it's 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 in the past now. We're done. No, I love Trader Ruski. Trader Ruski. Trader Ruski put on. I believe Trader Ruski is to tell you to. <laughs> Put that shit. We're not listening to that shit, Drew. We're putting on Trader Rusty. Put on his music. That's how it would work. Well, he can. He, not the two can. miles, dude. I'd be like, man, we gotta listen to fucking something else, man. Well, I see. I don't. I don't do that. This I don't put music on for other people, knowing that maybe they won't want to listen to what I listen to. So I, I don't do that to people. So what the fuck do you put on AM radio? No, I put on nothing. Uh, no, you put on nothing. I just talk to the people so in the we car. Don't listen to anything the whole time. Well, unless there's an agreement. Unless there's an agreement about what we're going to listen to, I don't just force music on. We listen well, bro, to you back. Hold up. We got to put some music on. I'm not going to just listen to you talk about a wedding for three hours. That's how far we're going. Well, you just did. So oh, maybe, maybe, maybe you do have to listen. If we have to go on a road trip, we're going to have to have some ground rules before we go, bro. Okay. Well, you should take a road trip to Vegas. Because you're going to have to drive. I don't drive. Okay, well, you, you need to come to Vegas at some point. You're, you just never, you never leave Pittsburgh. Oh, you're crazy. I was in Vegas many points before, man. It just, you know, I, I didn't know about you guys. Though. It just doesn't, that's, that's a long time ago. Free, dude, and I have a drinking problem. That's 11 years ago. You, you want you me to go to Vegas with you? You gonna, okay, here's the deal. I come. You, you gotta hang out with me the whole time. I wouldn't say the whole time. It's I, you can't leave. <laughs> no, 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 no. The night, no, the day you meet me, you can't leave. No, it depends how drunk you get. I may have to leave, but, uh, what are you crazy? I don't get crazy drunk. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely meet drunk. up with you and, and spend some time with you if you come. I, I definitely would do that. And look, look even you have the best time of your fucking life. Even even Josie has you come have to a Vegas. Perspective of me. Even Josie's you come really to Vegas in, in the last few years, and you haven't. 
Uh, well, whoopee doo! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah, and, and that's good. Did you meet her? No, I've never met her. Okay, so what the hell? You're gonna leave me? You're gonna leave me high and dry? Like I'm TML gay? No, but I've known you way longer. You came to Vegas, and you guys let them high and dry. I know that was that was. Uh, he didn't attempt. He got, he tried to call Mike on. It was so hard to reach. And he didn't try to reach me. I would have totally met him. Mike hey, on bro, is hard you to let reach. Me high and dry. Believe me, I make my own entertainment. Know it. I, I would meet I, you if you came I, I to Vegas. You, you tell me when you're coming to Vegas, provided I'm there, I will meet you, for sure. I know you would, man, and I, I have a great time, man, but you can't be fucking talking about fucking people getting married and shit. We'll go piss on them people. Okay, well, you we can do that. I don't give a fuck who is. No, we will, because who cares who they are? <laughs> fuck them. They're nobodies. Seriously, outside of the poker world, I mean, like, yeah, people know who he is or whatever. Fuck it, man. I'm in a Leatherman. I mean, what the fuck? Her pussy's probably like leather. I mean, like, get out of here, chick. It's been beat up. Yeah, that Daniel can't even get it up. She's missing some of those favorite parts that he there has. There you go. He can. I got the Viagra for him, kid. But he, he seems to have I done mean, so in that, in that you're picture. You're 47. You, sound like, you do sound like you're about 20. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to lie, bro. Why all that bike riding? <laughs> Yeah, you yeah, know what? Saw my bike, do you believe this guy? Listen, yeah, the PFA tournament's fucked up. This kid was riding a bike with a fucking umbrella. Where the hell do you live? Oklahoma, <laughs> Denver, Denver, Denver. Oh yeah, it's always shitty weather in Denver. It right? is always shitty weather in Denver. That's where John, uh, uh-huh. John Denver. Nice. Look, when, whenever uh, I, I, I got to agree with bad guy here. Whenever I've flown through Denver, I, it always gets delayed because there's there's rain and thunderstorms and all this other crap. Yeah. And and you just got. I, I hate going through Denver because there's always some kind of delay, and I, I hate the fact that well, United bro, has like a hub John there. Denver says it rains a fire in the sky, brother. Yeah, United has a hub there, so you're you're, right place, you're forced to go through there a lot too. Does, right. No, I don't really like hot, steamy weather or freezing cold weather, so it's just right here. Well, don't come to Pittsburgh, then. In the summer, it's fucking horrible here, bro. The humidity. I bet. Yeah, hey, I, plus, don't come here ever. California it's a fucking shithole. No, I agree. The, the weather in Denver in, in the summer is nice, but uh, yeah, if you come to L.A., uh, other than uh, the fact that it's it, you don't get the spring that you the spring is kind yeah, of I've still LA like four times man it's good nice in la well the thing it's is not, people, it's nowhere near as humid as here no but a lot of people think that la is like florida and just like warm all the time and it's not and if you uh like like the spring a lot of times it isn't much of a spring like like the spring and the winter have been very similar here this year and it, it hasn't even reached 70 for the most part but uh and it's in the 40s right. at night but uh in the summer it's very nice you know, yesterday here in denver yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like in the, in the summer, it's very nice. Like we don't, we don't, get, and we don't get that here. So it's uh, L.A. has well, we get it both here, man. But in the summertime, when it's fucking hot, it's fucking nasty. Yeah, that's what like like the summer in some of these places. Some of these East Coast humidity is nasty. Yeah, right, I was going to say there. that the, the, yeah, most that most of the East in the summer is terrible, absolutely terrible. So I I stay away from there. And Missouri too, like the middle of the country. Missouri is terrible in the summertime too. Right, so that's super duper hot. Well, right. You might get fucking smacked up by a tornado there. At least here, man, there's few. Yeah, at least but we don't have that here either. Here. There's no tornadoes in L.A. You do get earthquakes, but no, no tornadoes. Yeah, when I was there the one time, there was a little earthquake. The first time I was there, I was 21 years old, man. I'm not even kidding you. I know. Yes. I, I, because around here, man, there's fucking trains. Because you know, I don't live in the residential neighborhood, man. I live like by the trains. <laughs> Sometimes they'll shake your house a little bit. Yeah, do you live on the no, right? I'm not even kidding you. I, I think, I'm not kidding you. That happened the one time I was there. Look it up, man. It was a it was a small earthquake. 
so when I was, I was like, uh, man, I wasn't even 21. I can't even fucking remember. 20 or 21, man. There was a little, it wasn't a big one, but I was like, what the fuck was that? The whole fucking place? You were 21 in Vegas. No, I wasn't, no. You, I, you, you know what? I think I was like 20 then. Actually. You weren't old You know, I loved about yet? LA. It was, it was so more advanced oh, than Pittsburgh back then. When I was 20 years ago, I mean, probably still is now. Not as much. We got a sports book at least. <laughs> but <laughs> that's one thing I can hold over you guys. Now. Yeah, that's right. We don't have anything but like no, that I'm here. Seriously, I mean, like, around here, bro, you can't even get fucking, like, beer in the fucking grocery store and shit. You know that? Really? Right? No, I didn't now know you can a little bit. Like that, for, but, it was like that here, too, until about two years ago. It changed it finally. Really? Yeah, it was like, on, you know, on Sundays. Sundays, you had to go get six packs. It was all fucked up around <laughs> here, man. No, I'm not, yeah. not even saying beer. It was just weird, man. I mean, it's just it's like fucking. They were still in like the Amish. Yeah. Well, okay. So, well, hey, yeah, yeah, I see it all through, now. bro. Well, well, we got gambling. We got a guy on the phone that won the tournament in a fucking umbrella, Mary Poppins. We got to give you a new nickname. <laughs> and that's <laughs> it. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Well, congratulations the to Mary. Fuck is Mary Poppins, man. I, I was hoping to move up in the ranks, but I no, no, he's he's real. So con- congratulations here to Mary again for second. <laughs> congratulations to Mary Poppins and 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 uh, bad guy for almost getting there after getting the tournament interrupted the first time. So you you kind of won twice, not really, but you kind of won twice. So I did. Thank man. You. I won two tournaments in one day. So I'm a it's it's now twelve oh nine here, which which I realize is earlier than both of you. But I, I want to go. I got a bunch of more topics to get to. So I got to get. It's fucking three oh nine here, yeah. motherfucker. I'm I'm a loyal yeah, listener. Don't ever. one night on your. Okay, but I've, I've got to move and I on here. Expect the fifteen dollars in my Bitcoin account tomorrow. I I can't promise that. I'm trying to chop that shit and make you do eight fucking Bitcoin transactions when we're down to eight people. I swear. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have honored that. It would not have been honored. Why wouldn't it have been, if we all agree to it? Would not have been honored. Can't cannot say it would oh, be honored. I tried to do it, man, just for the record. So you might have to ban me from that poker room. I might have to. Anyway, no, I'm kidding around. Hey, thanks for letting me call. Hey, great job, brother. Side effect. And I'll talk to you guys again. And everybody, God bless and good luck. Okay, good night, bad guy. All right, bad guy. The bad guy is gone. I think we, we just kind of, side effect just kind of fell off. I don't even see him anymore. He's just gone. So anyway, yeah, I think he said goodbye. But it was oh, he said goodbye. Okay, I didn't hear that. Well, okay, that's that was that was interesting. At least we at least we proved he was real. He wasn't a bot. He wasn't a multi-account. He he has five posts since since June 2012. The guy definitely doesn't. I knew the guy was a poster. I just I was, I was trying to go like, wait a minute. I don't remember anything he's posted before, but I know he's posted. That was the weird thing. Like I I knew he posted, but. I couldn't think of anything that he'd actually written, so I, I didn't want to seem. I didn't want to be made to look stupid. But then I looked it up and I saw he, he was there, so he's real, and he he rides a bike for some reason. Okay. Sports betting tout Vegas Dave, not Hollywood Dave. Important distinction here: Vegas Dave. Two years ago, was arrested. Now, before we get into that. I want to talk a bit about sports betting touts. You've probably seen, if you if you bet sports, you've probably seen services out there that can be very tempting, especially when you're on a losing streak, that claim to have winning picks. They claim to have cracked the secrets of sports betting. They know who's going to win. They've got their lock, their three-star triple locks of the day. And... It's tempting to think, well, maybe these people really are the wizards they claim to be in sports betting, and maybe you're tired of losing. Maybe you're tired of 
occasionally running hot for a short time before going on brutal losing streaks and just not winning in sports. If only there was some person who could just tell you what the locks are and just has just a magical ability to know what's going to win and lose. And that's the way these touts position themselves as experts who are selling very valuable advice. And they're surprisingly successful. And they use various tactics, some of which would surprise you, to get clients. There's one tout service that, uh, I forget the name of it. I I couldn't even name it with a gun to my head. I don't remember it. But uh, I was told recently by somebody I know in Vegas who actually was, uh, they signed up for one for a short time because following the person's free picks, they seem to be doing pretty well. So they signed up for a short time for like $100, something that they didn't put a lot of money into it. And after about a, I don't know, a month or two, they decided they were done with it. I forgot how the person did. I think the, the, I think the tout kind of just did okay. They didn't lose their ass, but they weren't the, the geniuses of sports betting they portrayed themselves as. Anyway, they, uh, they weren't going to renew. And the tout called him up and took a very adversarial sort of approach. Instead of saying, hey, would you like to renew? We'd really like to keep you on. Not like a friendly call. The tout called him up and said, you know, I don't think you're serious about making money in sports. You know, I, I don't even think I want to get a renewal from you because it's, if, if you're going to not renew for a hundred bucks, clearly you're just, you're just some kind of low rent sports better who does, you know, who's not serious about actually making money. And I only want serious clients. So you know what? Uh, you don't know what you're doing. I don't want someone like you anyway. Uh, so I'm just letting you know, don't bother renewing with us. He was trying to, he, it was like a reverse psychology where he was hoping that the, my friend who was getting these calls and you know, that my friend was going, oh, no, 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 please, please take me back. Please take me back. So it, it makes it look like they're the ones getting broken up with, so to speak. And they're going to beg them back because obviously if, uh, if they only want to take serious clients, then that person must be really good. So you'll see tactics, weird tactics like that. You'll also see where once they realize they've gotten their hooks into someone who is betting big, they start charging them outrageous sums of money. So they, they, they know their audience, that some people are, are low-limit sports bettors and can't afford more than like 100 bucks a month, sometimes even less. And then there's others who are betting, you know, these rich guys who are, or, or even guys who are comfortable but just have a big sports betting problem are betting thousands per game, Sometimes tens of thousands, and they go, "Well, I'm not going to sell this person my advice for a hundred bucks. I'm, I'm going to sell them my advice for thousands or tens of thousands of dollars," and basically tell them, "Hey, look at all the money you're betting. If you want to win, it isn't ten thousand dollars a month? Isn't that worth it? Since you're betting that on, on individual games, and usually these touts are not winning sports betters. There is a reason why, in most cases, they're selling their picks now." The answer that comes from the touts as to why they're selling their picks is because they're just doing it for variance control, that they bet on their own picks too, but because you can't ever guarantee anything in sports, that they also want to have the guaranteed income of, uh, of the picks they're selling, but that they've, they've been winners for, for the last 10 years or whatever they want to claim they've been. But that this is kind of just a side gig, and, and hey, you know, once they get their own bets down, they don't care if, if, if other people bet, because the only ones who are going to lose there are the casinos or the bookies. 
So it sounds reasonable. Like, think about if you were a winning sports better, and you knew you were, and every year you're posting winning numbers, but once once you bet, then it doesn't matter if others bet after you, because your, your odds are locked in. So why not share it with people who are willing to pay you for it? No skin off your ass, right? Once you get the bets down, you, you give it to people that, that have paid you for the information, then they can stomp on the casinos of the bookies, too. So that that's the way they explain why they are uh, selling the picks. And a lot of times they will claim outrageous records, like that they're 75% winners in the NFL on spread picks, or uh, 69% in the NBA. And I don't just mean after the first week. I mean like deep into the season or lifetime, they'll claim that's their record. And it's so funny because it's not possible to do that. Nobody can do that over the long term. You can't. There, there's too many variables in sports. There's too many ways you can lose, even if the pick was great. And it's also very hard to beat the books, because the, the ones setting the lines tend to be very, very good at what they do. So usually the lines that are being set, especially in high-profile games, but even in non-high-profile games, are pretty good. And to beat those lines, uh, you can. If you're a good sports better, you can sometimes uh, by concentrating on a few that seem to be off. You know, because you're you're the, the advantage the sports better has over the the book is that you don't have to bet on every game. Every game is offered with a certain line, and then you can go down them. And go, let's see, these all look like fair lines, but I look at this one. This one looks like it's wrong. I'm going to bet on this one. And and that's your advantage. Their advantage is they take juice every time. Plus, they're more knowledgeable than you are. You may not think, but but they are. They're more knowledgeable than you uh, with setting these lines. But the, the disadvantage they have is that you can just cherry-pick the few that you feel like they got wrong and and pass on the rest of them. But, of course, then there's the house of juice, which really will eat you up over time. So it's very hard to beat the books at all, let alone post some kind of insanely good record of like 75% or 68%, you're just not going to do that over the long run. No one does it. Even the greats in sports betting have not done that. Now, I'm not talking about props. Props are a different story. But those are also hard to get action on. Especially uh, in live sports books in in many places, including Nevada, uh, most props are illegal. But I'm talking about just, just basic... Sports bets on, on money lines, on sides, on totals. You're not going to win 75%. No one's going to win 70, 75%, 70%, 68%, 65% over the long term. They just can't. Uh, someone can win 65% just betting on favorites on money lines, but that, that'll sometimes still be a loser. If you bet on a minus 200 money line every time, if you win 65% of the time, you still lose because you're only getting paid uh, one to two. You have to bet $2 to win one. Just like if you bet on underdogs, you don't even have to win half the time to be a winner. But what what I'm saying here is that it's not just so simple to just make sports bets and just crush the books over the long term. It's not that simple. And anybody who claims they're they're winning at that rate is lying to you. And they're not lying in the way like, well, they're winning 58% of the time they're claiming 68%. They're probably not winning. And that's why they're lying. They're just they're just selling you an idea 
of what you want to believe they're doing. And, and it's very hard to disprove. It's very hard to say, no, you didn't win this. You can say, well, no one manages it, and you can show mathematically how hard it is to, to pick at that rate. But you can't prove they didn't. Um, I went through a, a, a lot of picks in the NBA, not last season, but the season before, the 17-18 season. I went through a long stretch of a lot of picks where I picked at 61%. Eventually, I went through some losing streaks, and that number went way down. But I, I even knew, I, I knew I was going to maintain 61%. I knew that was not, even that was not going to continue. It's kind of like when you're playing poker and you're on it's a big run and you're winning every session and you're sitting down and you're, you have some insane win rate. Uh, it's not going to last. I remember when, like poker table ratings when they used to track the games of uh, the cash games online and I'd go look at my results and sometimes I'd, I'd, ha- I'd be on a new site or on a new account or whatever and, and I'd start off extremely well and I'm winning like 14 big blinds per 100 hands and I go, there's no way I can continue that and sure enough, I don't sure enough, it goes way down from there after I put it in a volume it's the same thing here so most of these tight, these touts who claim to have these insanely good records and, and have this very slick kind of uh, sales spiel to you, you're really being sold a fantasy by a clever salesman, not by a genius sports better. And you need to know that. The few touts that are any good are actually the ones that are least gimmicky that are at least aggressive. Just guys who kind of just quietly put out picks every week and just quietly do well and seem to have a realistic record. So you, you see a tout that's winning at uh, 56% long-term. That, that That's maybe who you should sign up with. Not, not the guy who, who's, who's got the flashy advertisements and the outrageous claims and, and saying he's winning 75% in the NFL lifetime. Never pay those people anything. And also never give them any idea how much money you're betting if it's a lot because they're going to find ways to squeeze you. So Vegas Dave was very controversial. He was a tout who who's well-known in Vegas and not in a, in a respected sort of way. He was known as one of these snake oil salesman touts, which most of them are. His His real name is... Dave Oansia, that's O-A-N-C-E-A, Dave Oansia, he's 40 years old now, and I'm going to play you from his Facebook, he has two Facebook pages, by the way, one of them is facebook.com slash Dave period Oansia period 9, that's Dave, D-A-V-E period O-A-N-C-E-A period 9, so there's that, and then there's also facebook.com slash it's Vegas Dave. He has two Facebook accounts. Here's here's something from his Facebook page, a video that he released on uh, actually earlier today. All right. Oh. All right, guys, listen very closely. Max bet hundred thirty unit max bet whale play. This game does not win. The next five whales are for free. Game starts at four thirty p.m. Pacific time. Also, for the daily card, if you missed the morning games. 
I'm so confident we're going to make money. From all the games starting at 4 p.m. on in the daily card, we have 10-plus parlays. If you don't make money in the daily card, tomorrow's daily cards are free. All the games start at 4 and 4.30 p.m. Pacific time, so if you miss the morning games, no worries. Again, the guarantees are if the whale does not win at 4.30 today, p.m. Pacific time, it's a 130-unit max bet whale. The next five are free. If the daily card doesn't win... What is the 130-unit max bet whale? Can you hear this guy, Trader Risky? Or did it cut? Did it cut you? This, did it cut the sound for you? It 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 cut the sound. It cut the sound. I, had okay. to li- I was listening to, to the browser. Though. Oh, okay, okay. Back. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to uh, let me put put this. Uh, wait, I think it took away this ability for me to do it. Wait, hold on. No, I just put <laughs> put on my video. Let's see, how do I? It looks like it took away the ability. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call you right back. I can't see why I can't add this. Not letting me share sound with Trader Risky. I don't want to hear this stuff. It just, it just took away the option to share the desktop with him. I'm back. Okay, here we go. Now I have the, I have the option again. Let me start sharing. Oops, hold on. Stop sharing. Start sharing. Share sound is what we want. Okay. So anyway, he's saying so a 134 bet unit. How can you bet 134 units on something? For those of you that don't understand sports betting, which I, a lot of you don't understand the terminology that well because you only play poker, a unit in sports betting is is that's how you track your success because you don't know how much the people are betting who are following you. You don't know if if their typical bet is ten dollars, five hundred dollars, fifty dollars. So you you can't really talk in dollars. So what you do is you do units. And for example, if you bet uh, if you're if you're betting uh, like like something minus one ten, which means you're you're betting a dollar ten to win a dollar and it wins. Then what you do is you you give yourself credit for having won zero point ninety one units because you're betting a unit. It's minus 110, so you're winning 0.91 units because it's it's 1 divided by uh, 1.1. And let's say you bet a, a plus 130 underdog and you win. Then it's plus 1.3 units. Let's say you bet anything and you lose. Then it's minus 1 units. So that's how you track it of, of how much you're up. And in baseball, that's important because you're usually betting on money lines in baseball. So it's important. You can't just give a record. You can't say, oh, I'm 10 and 5. That doesn't mean anything because you could be betting on heavy favorites. So that's... Uh, so that's where units come in. Some touts will assign strength to certain picks and say this is a five-unit pick, and this way it's like, it's like a five-times pick. It's like betting on this pick five times. The reason I hate that is because that's a trick that certain touts will use to get out of the hole or establish some crazy record. So this way they just say such and such units. And so let, let's, let's say they're, uh, they're already ten units in the hole, Oh, I have a 10-unit pick for you tomorrow. Well, this way, if it wins, he's out of the hole in one shot. If it doesn't, then he's down 20 units. Then he can claim the next day it's a 20-unit pick, and eventually he can get himself out, though. And if he never does, if he gets so far in the hole, then he can just say, uh, then, then he can get just uh, disappear and, and, and start up somewhere else or, or, or start up as a different name. Now, I, this, guy is, this guy is not starting under different names. He's starting as, under Vegas Dave. But the fact that he's claiming it's a 134-unit pick is crazy. That Maybe that is what he's doing. Is he's, he's so far down in units that this is the only way he can get back positive. So, And and so this is another thing they do. You, you heard there where he talked about how if it doesn't win today, that you get tomorrow for free. 
And that's a guarantee. That's not really a guarantee. This is just, it's going to win sometimes. He's not going to lose every time he makes picks. So if it wins, you say, oh, great, he's a genius, and you pay him. And if he loses and he gives you tomorrow for free, well, it's no skin off his ass. He just gives you tomorrow for free, and then maybe tomorrow will win. Okay, great, then you pay again the next time. So this is the way he keeps you on the hook, even if he's not winning. So that's no, they like to do that, too, where they claim they're giving you. Yeah, it actually says in the description here, max bet 130-unit whale play. I've never seen 130 units ever. From any town. That, that, that's a new one. 130 units. I've seen things like five units. I've never seen 130 units. And he talks about whale plays. I, I assume this, that's what he means by that. Just wonder you bet a ton of units on it. Very gimmicky. Very bullshitty. The way someone should really post picks and keep track of picks is just by making everything a function of one unit. Like I was just describing earlier. That's what I do. And this way, what people want to bet on them is up to them. If they want to bet extra, you can say, oh, this is a stronger pick than usual. And you may want to bet extra, but that's up to the person who's taking your pick. You, you shouldn't be assigning units or you can, you know, you could lose 9 out of 10 and claim the 10th one is 10 units and be and claim to be ahead. So that, that's just something he put out today. There, there's tons of stuff he's put out like this over time. This is on his own Facebook page. Uh, he got in... He got in trouble two years ago, not over stuff like this, though there's been many accusations over the years that he's a fraud. But he got in trouble two years ago over providing phony Social Security numbers when making large bets at the win. When you are making large bets you need to fill out something known as a cash transaction report, which is called a CTR, which is required by the IRS. And that is to prevent money laundering. Anything more than $10,000 in or out of the casino in cash from an individual, you need to fill out that type of report to alert the IRS that money that, that type of cash is going in or out from you, from you or to you. So what, what Dave was alleged to doing is using multiple social security numbers at the win to dodge having to do that or having it actually go under his own social. What I don't understand, and I, my, I didn't spend a ton of time researching this, but in the limited research I did of, of this Vegas Dave situation, I don't understand why he was betting – two things. I don't understand why he – was doing this, I guess three things, why he was doing this, number two, why they didn't catch it. It's not every day someone comes in and places huge bets that end up totaling $3.5 million. How do they not recognize him and say, oh, that was the guy here a few hours ago, now he's got a different social? Now, I guess it's possible that they didn't remember the previous social and just uh, uh, maybe he was giving one that sounded similar and he was getting away with it that way, but... He gave up like, like eight different socials uh, during this time, which is illegal, by the way. And then uh, I also don't understand what money he was betting. Was this his own money? Was he betting it for other people? I don't know. It's possible, by the way, and I've seen this before, where he was betting other people's money and that he actually was taking bets himself but then was laying off action at places like the win. Some bookies will do this. 
some bookies, they, they'll have a whale who likes to bet really big, but they can't quite take the variance of, of, uh, of that whale. So let, let's say you know a guy who's, who's, who bets very big. Let's say you're a bookie. You know a guy who bets really big and he wants to bet a hundred thousand per game. And from your knowledge of this guy, he's not a winning sports better. Since you're taking juice, it's very good to have this guy betting 100000 with you. You'll make a lot of money. The problem is if he goes on a hunt streak, you're going to get clobbered. Unless you have a super deep bankroll, you're going to get clobbered. If he, wins, you know, if, he, if he gets 10 units ahead, he's going to be a million bucks up on you. But you don't want to turn him away and say, oh, I can't take that type of action because then he'll go to somebody who can. So what some of these bookies will do is they will claim they're taking the action and then what they'll actually go do is take the money that they're given and bet off most of it back at a, at a sports book. So it appears they're taking all the action. In reality, they're just going, you're carrying it over the sports book and betting it through that way. That may have been what he was doing, and that may be why he was doing it under phony socials because he didn't want any kind of winnings on his social and make it look like he's winning when he's really doing it for people he's betting for. That's very possible what he was doing. Uh, that's what that Adam Meyer, who was convicted of all kinds of crimes, including extorting money out of someone. That guy was really real piece of shit, Adam Meyer, uh, another tout. Uh, he was doing that at uh, Cantor Gaming Books, uh, laying off action on them. He was also a phony who didn't really know what he was doing, but pretended he was a, a, a master tout. But in 2017, Vegas Dave got in trouble betting, uh, with providing these different social security numbers to bet $3.5 million worth of bets, not all at one time, but over a relatively short period of time, at the win. And the reason this is a crime is because the government needs to be able to track money going in and out. And if you're giving fake socials, then you're defeating the whole purpose of doing that. And since they could tell he knowingly gave fake socials, he was arrested and charged for this. And this happened in 2017. The reason we are talking about this now is because there has been a plea bargain in this case. Now, first of all, he was uh, represented by probably the two most famous defense attorneys in Las Vegas, the same ones who defended Brian Mikan, Chesnoff and Schoenfeld. And I have to admit that if I were to get in trouble in Las Vegas and need a really good defense attorney to get me off the hook, as expensive as they are, and believe me, these guys are ridiculously expensive, I would hire Chesnoff and Schoenfeld. A friend of a friend got in trouble, a kind of a drug-related offense, Again, this is someone I don't know well, but it, but is a close friend of someone I do know well. And Chesnoff and Schoenfeld charged him 50K, but got him off. I've even wondered if there's some sort of, uh, uh, some sort of corruption going on or something going on to where Chesnoff and Schoenfeld are just always doing so well. But whatever it is, whether it's, uh, on the level or not, Chesnoff and Schoenfeld, and I, I, just to be clear, I have no, knowledge of their process, but all I can tell you is they're incredibly successful. And if I were to, it's going to sound like an ad for them, but if I were to get in trouble and, and really want the best chance of beating the rap or getting the charges reduced as much as possible and have the lightest sentence, I would 
spend the Jew money and hire Chesnoff and Schoenfeld. Not kidding. These guys are miracle workers in Vegas for a defense attorney. I've seen it time and time again. So they were representing Vegas Dave in this case, which has been going on for two years, which is not unusual. And, and you know, these cases can drag on sometimes. Well, the recent news here that uh, just came out, and the reason we're doing this segment, is that uh, Vegas Dave has, this whole thing has come to a conclusion because he has done a plea deal. And he made out pretty well. He has been sentenced to only three years probation and has been banned from sports books for three years. Despite the fact that he was originally charged with a 19 felony indictment for using the fake names and fake social security numbers to bet at Las Vegas sportsbooks. He ended up pleading guilty to a single misdemeanor charge of causing a violation of record-keeping and procedures. He faced up to 40 years in prison from those 19 felony charges. Now, he was not going to get 40 years, but he was, you know, there's a decent chance he would have gotten some real time in prison real substantial time in prison. But uh, thanks to Chesnoff and Schoenfeld, this got reduced to a single misdemeanor. Similar to what happened with Brian Mikon. He got his charges reduced to single misdemeanor. They're, they're really good, these guys. They attack this from an interesting standpoint, an interesting legal standpoint. They claimed that he was not doing this to deceive or, or, or to deceive the IRS or to launder money, that the reason he was giving these fake names and fake social security numbers was because Las Vegas sports books do not want winners. And he's saying he's a winning sports better, and the only way he could get action down was to give phony names and, and phony social security numbers when he made these bets. And there's an assumption that perhaps it went down this way where this was reduced to a single misdemeanor because Nevada sportsbooks may have not wanted a high-profile case like this to be tried in court where that is argued. They, they don't want it to be heard that uh, sportsbooks are only taking bets from losers. Or people who are placing bets, they go, wait a minute, why are they taking my bet? Oh, I must be a loser. Fuck, I'm not going to bet anymore. Like they, they just, they don't want that. They want to make it look like they take all comers. Winning or losing. They don't want to make it look like that winning sports bettors. And, and I, I don't even believe Vegas Dave is a winning sports better. And we'll get into why shortly. But they, it, he, he claims to be, he's a high profile sports better or at least a high-profile sports tout who may not even bet much anymore, aside from maybe laying off action on these books. And they don't want that to be the defense, that he's a winning sports better, and that's why they're banning him, and that's why he had to resort to these measures. Even though they could probably beat him in court, this could be embarrassing for the casinos and make them look bad. So it's possible that the casinos didn't want to go to court 
and have this whole thing drag out that way. And even though they weren't in control over this, this was actually a violation of of, uh, of money laundering standards. But they may have said, uh, "Look, let's just how about just let's <laughs> let's let this guy off." They may have put some pressure in to have the the charges reduced. He did pay five hundred fifty thousand dollars in a settlement over uh, some sort of matter related to this. Uh, Let me read to you a statement he made on Facebook on, I think it was on the Dave, yeah, it's on on the Dave Honest Say a 9 account that I talked about, facebook.com slash Dave period O-A-N-C-E-A dot 9. This is what he wrote. He wrote this yesterday at, uh, or sorry, you know, he wrote this, you know, it may have been actually, since yesterday, but I think I may have brought this up before midnight. Yeah, it was yesterday. It was May 21st. May 21st, 4.04 p.m. Pacific time. What does the Birkin bag represent or symbolize in this video? I don't know what he's talking about here. Comment and share this video if you know someone going through some really hard times to inspire them that life is not always easy, but with determination and a strong mindset, he or she can make it through to prosperity and triumph. For the last three years, I've faced the biggest gamble of my life, being indicted by the federal government on 19 felony counts, carrying a potential sentence of 40-plus years in federal prison. But true to who I am, a gambling man, I bet on myself and decided at the moment, at that moment to stand up for my constitutional rights and defend my freedom and innocence. But let's stop right there. It, that's not true. He's, he's got 19 felony counts against him. He's going to try to defend himself so he doesn't go to prison. It's not like they offered to him... Uh, well, yes, he was taking a chance, uh, maybe not pleading to something greater, but this didn't go to court. It's not like he, it's not like he fought this in court, possibly going to prison for 40 years and won. He ended up pleading it down through through his attorneys. That's not taking a brave stand. That's just trying your best with your good attorneys to, to get this pled down to something very minor, which he was successful in doing. So he, there was no gamble here. It was the opposite. He was trying not to gamble. Today, I walked out of the federal courtroom, a free man with zero felonies and zero prison time. This three-year battle has really been the biggest blessing in my life. Truly it has. I hope I can inspire just one person out there that is reading this to never quit and to never give up on your dreams. Never dream, never give up in your dreams to go into casinos and give phony social security numbers violating federal law. If your dream is to do that, never give up on it. You can do it. Don't be afraid. You can do it. Give those fake social security numbers. Give those fake names. Violate federal law when, when doing huge cash, tra- cash transactions at casinos. Follow your dreams. Don't let them tell you you can't. <laughs> Life is rough and not easy. Hell, if it was easy, we'd all be self-made millionaires, right? The issue in society today is that so many people want to accomplish impossible things living a possible lifestyle. In this world, you have to get a little uncomfortable to get comfortable. Too many people give up on their dreams because they listen to others. It may be your negative parents, your negative brother or sister, your negative spouse that tries to crush your dreams. Trust me, I have been laughed at, mocked, and called crazy my entire life because my dreams were thought to be unattainable. 
but I'm okay with that. Why should average minds believe in above-average dreams? So my message to all of you today is don't try to make average minds understand your mission in life. If you're going to live an above-average life, then you won't be able to relate to average people. I, I like how this is aimed at the reader who believes that he's smart and everybody else is just average or stupid. So you're supposed to come away from this going, yeah, I'm the smart one here. All the people doubting me, they're the average ones. They don't understand my genius and my innovation. That's, that's what he's trying to make people think. And these, the funny thing is when he's writing this, he's really writing to people he hopes are average and he hopes are marks and will not think about this too much. Some of you may think life is over if you lose your job, get a divorce, or lose someone special that is close to you. Most of you simply quit on life and settle for mediocrity, but life goes on. It really does. If I could create massive success and create a global empire all while facing 19 felony counts and 40 plus years in prison, then, and he wrote then, T-H-A-N, instead of T-H-E-N, surely you can make it through your hard times as well. As I said before, it's not the obstacles life throws at us, it's how we respond and persevere through these drastic times. And he wrote, God is great to enter it. God is great. He finished with God is great. He throws that in there just in case there's any religious people following him who want to say, well, he believes in God. What a good guy. Uh, this is kind of, <laughs> I mean, this is such a self-indulgent post. And it's it's not even, there's nothing to be inspired about here. He hired attorneys that are expensive with money he probably made from selling these picks that probably aren't worth very much or anything. These attorneys who are experts at getting criminals, especially white-collar criminals, off of severe charges in Vegas and have done so time and time again. And that's what they did for him. This was not anything brave he did. This was something he did to stay out of prison. And paid dearly to his attorneys to do so. And he didn't use this to become huge. It's not like he got he was a nobody who got arrested and then now he's blown up huge. He, he's been a tout before this and after this. And he's continued with all his touting since then. The funny thing is, none of these charges had to do with his tout service, which which is very questionable. It, it was all about this thing that he did with with uh, with, with these uh, transactions. This article from 2017 on the Las Vegas Review Journal said that the 19 count federal indictment accuses him accuses him of using other people's social security numbers to make nine transactions totaling roughly 3.5 million at Wynn Las Vegas and Westgate casinos. As a result, he caused the two casinos to f- file false currency transaction reports. And I guess he's not 40. I guess he was 40 back then. I guess he's like 42 now. But here's some background on Vegas Dave, in case you're still wondering, could he possibly be a winning sports better? Let's look at some of the plays he has. I found on sportsbookreview.com, which is a very big sports betting forum, Someone named Patrick Sarney on November 21st, 2017 posted the following. This is the thread called Really Sick Handicapper. 
he's ripping people off. His name is Vegas Dave. He puts, there are a ton of handicappers who either lose consistently or rip people off. It's Vegas Dave, real name Dave Onesia, is proving himself to be the worst of the worst. Prominent on Instagram and Twitter, he makes great claims and flashes money like there's no tomorrow. From what I can tell, number one, his parents appear to, to own tons of land and are developers in Hawaii and either hand him money, hand over foot, or he inherited millions. He's not making it gambling. If you listen to him, he's dumb as a rock. Tracked his games in baseball from August and August on and now in football, and he's getting destroyed. He's had too many 2 and 14 weekends to count. <laughs> so, like a... Like a 16, uh, 16 game weekend and he goes 2 and 14, the person's saying. Even though he's getting destroyed, he will come on after the weekend and claim a winning weekend. Two, how do I know how dumb he is? He buys points in college football like there's no tomorrow and plays teasers in college, which is an absolute no-no 98% of the time. He's right about that, by the way. Uh, usually buying points and teasers are, are sucker plays. So you, you have to really know what you're doing and, and teasers, if you're going to do them at all, you have to do them in the NFL and you have to do them under very specific circumstances, which I think I've discussed before here. But just doing random teasers, it's, it's a huge sucker play. There's no way to beat them. And buying points, especially in college football, that's that's also a sucker play. So he's doing that, and that's, that's a good point Patrick's bringing up. Number three, he's not only charging for picks, he's selling a mentorship program. I'd love to hear that spiel. Once people pay and start losing, if they contact him, they get no response or, or, or emails back from him. So that that's what one guy posted, this Patrick Sarney. Uh, but you may say, well, maybe Patrick Sarney is just bitter that he bought a few picks and lost and is making this stuff up. Let's go to something a little more concrete. This was also after – both of these were after the indictment, by the way. This was uh, These are both in 2017 after the indictment occurred. This was from August 5th, 2017 from a person named uh, CF Ball 2014 on a forum called therxforum.com. This person wrote, In effort to pass time until college football starts, I have been betting baseball this summer, with decent results. I've tried a few different touts along the way. Currently, I'm getting system plays from the hated Vegas Dave. It's a Vegas, uh, it's a basic chase system that essentially if his team wins one game in a series, it's a system win. But if you lose, then you've got to double your bet plus juice with the goal of always netting one unit. I will post the welcome email below that explains everything. Earlier this week, had a winner in game, game one with Texas over Seattle. Dave, Dave claims a 32-0 and win record this year for his system plays. I cannot vouch since I've only been on it this week. Tonight we're going to system game three with Baltimore minus 156 versus Detroit. I've dropped both of the first two games of the series, so the quote perfect record is on the line tonight. Now, I don't know how this turned out. I guess I could look it up on August 5th, 2017, but I won't bother. That's not important here. What does this already sound like to you? Uh, Trader Risky, are you still here? I'm here. What does that system sound like? It just sounds like nonsense. Well, this is what's called a martingale. The martingale is a betting... Right, we just double your bet every time. Right. That's a betting strategy that goes way back that has been proven to be something that uh, has a gigantic flaw to it. Martingale means you bet. Your goal on each uh, series of bets is to win your original bet. So you start let's let's Martin Gale with five dollars, for example. You can do it anywhere. Blackjack, crap, sports betting, whatever. You, you you bet you bet five dollars, you lose. Okay? Now you double your bet. Next next bet you make is ten dollars. 
If you win, then you're up $5 because you lost 5 then 110 And then you, you start over. You bet $5 on the next play again. But if you lose that, then you double it again to 20 If you lose that, you bet double it to 40 So let's say we win the 40 Well, then you go bet to bet, betting 5 And what happens from winning the 40 Well, you've, you've won $5 again because it was win 40 minus 20 minus 10 minus 5 equals plus 5. So you've won $5 again. So the, the Martin Gale strategy is you just keep double, 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 double every time you lose. And once all you have to do is win one, and then you've won the original bet. And then you just start over back at that at that first number. Uh, at first, in fact, it, it, this is so simple, I actually came up with it as a kid. I actually had this like like fake money units I was doing. I did one of these with my brother. And I thought I was so smart for coming up with this, and I hadn't figured out yet the, the big flaw in it. We weren't betting real money, but the, yeah, it was a, th- that's how simple it is to come up with, that I came up with as, as a pretty young kid. The problem here is eventually you'll go on such a terrible streak. I call it reverse insurance, where insurance, you're paying a small amount of money to insure against something catastrophic. Here you're winning a small amount of money most of the time but are eventually going to be devastated by a catastrophic losing streak. So the problem is at some point you're going to have a, a streak that is so bad that you would never expect could happen that will wipe you out to where all these small units you kept winning are not going to mean anything. And if you keep doubling, it gets big very fast. So let's look at this. 5, 10, 20, 40, 80, 160, 320, 640, 1280. Uh, 2560, 5120, 10,240, 20,480. Look how quickly we got to 20,000 from five. And let's say you start higher than five. Let's say you start at, at 50 or 100. Then it gets high really fast, doubling it. You're probably not going to be bidding $5 on sports. You're not going to want to win $5 at a time. You're probably going to start out higher. And so so it's 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 very easy to where the amount you have to bet to continue the martingale is either so high that no book will take the action or where you run out of money or you get scared and and go, look, this is my last money. Trying to win, let's say you're trying to win 100 at a time and then you're having to bet 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 just to have won that 100. And at some point you get scared and give up because you don't want to bust your final roll. That is the problem with Martingale is that most of the time, you're going to hit one of them and win, but there's going to be that one losing streak you never saw coming that wipes you out. But then there's also table maximums for that reason and, and book maximums for that reason where you just can't get the action down. That's another problem. So listen to this. And so, so no, no serious sports tout who knows what he's doing is going to offer a martingale system. Any serious sports gambler knows martingaling is not a winning system. So listen to this. This is someone who, who posted a copy of the email sent to him from Vegas Dave in 2017. After, after the indictment, by the way. Welcome to the 2017 Major League Baseball package. As many of you know, and most of returning players in Major League Baseball is my best sport. This package is for the 2017 Major League Baseball regular season only. Not sure if I'm having a playoff package yet. I typically stop playing one month after the All-Star game, then just root for my World Series futures. I will have a thir- I will have 30 to 50 system plays this year. Last season with these system plays, we finished 34 and 1. <laughs> well, right there there's a problem. Even if he's telling the truth, 
he doesn't mean that he won 34 of his 35 picks. He means that uh, after doubling the bet, however many times you need to do, then you're just taking the gigantic loss. So that doesn't mean you won 34 and lost one and you're up 33 units. That, that means uh, the one may have been so devastating that uh, that you ended up losing. I, I, I th- I'm not sure when he stops. Um, maybe we'll figure this out from reading the rest of this. I haven't read the whole thing yet. But but he, he writes that uh, plays can be once a week, twice a week, every two or once every two weeks. We had a period last season where there's no plays for three weeks. I picked them carefully. I played a win, not for action. Do not email me asking when the next plays are. Just be patient. System plays will be emailed out Sunday night or by Monday at 1 p.m., blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, below is how the system w- plays. I will tell you in the emails if we're playing one or two units per series. So he says, one unit is 5% of your bankroll. So he's actually telling you what to bet. So that you just, uh, If your bankroll is 10,000, your one unit is 500. So he says, we'll play one to two units per system series. I'll let you know in the email. Uh, and then I'll, I'll skip this next part, but he, he gives the example. Game number one, bet one unit. If the team wins, we stop betting the series. We've won. Game two, if we lost game one, we bet two units on game two. If the team wins, we stop betting. We've won one unit. Game three, if we lost game two, then we bet four units. If the team wins, we stop betting at the series. Uh, g- game f- game four, if we lose game three, we bet eight units. Also note that if we go to games two to four and the game's even money or an underdog, you simply double your bet. However, if it's a favorite, you need to lay the juice and double, which he's saying like if, if the game's minus 160, you also have to uh, bet enough to make it like the, the, you have to bet that additional amount as well. So then he goes on about, about about how you bet favorites with this. So anyway, it's a Martingale system. That's all it is. Some people are responding, Guy's system is a fucking joke. Props, though, for getting people to pay him. Such a fraud. Uh, so then he, he, he also wrote, uh, this is another email from him. I'll jump to a portion of it. I have eight spots open for the college and NFL mentorship program. (laughs) The rest are taken already. This is another trick. If we only have this many spaces open, you better hurry up. It breaks down to $62.50, that's $62.50 a week for the 16-week program. I I make it very affordable, so if somebody really wants to learn the the, the industry, they can. If interested, email me. So what what is $62.50 a week over 16 weeks? That's a thousand dollars. So basically, each person who wants to be mentored by him has to pay a thousand dollars. Also, many of you are now believers that you can make some serious money on sports betting after being with me for the MLB season. The majority of you do this as entertainment and secondary source of income, and that's great. An extra five hundred to one k a week is life changing to some people. I have a handful of people that up over a hundred k with me this season, and two players up over two hundred k with me this season. With that being said, if you want to treat this like a real business and make six figures a year, there are packages that are get you can get you to those levels. You have to be able to wager two to five k a game. Those packages start at twenty five k. I don't really advertise them as most people don't treat this as an opportunity like a business. So if say. He's selling packages for $25,000 for people who are, quote, serious. And he's saying, look at this. I don't really advertise them as most people don't treat this opportunity like a business. So he's he's mocking those who are just doing this for entertainment. But if you're real serious and you want to make it like a business and really make real money, well, then contact him. He's like, I don't really advertise this. But 
if you really want a system that can make you huge money, like 100K, 200K, let me know. And for just 25K, I'll get you there. I have had many people tell me that betting with me is way better than the money sitting in their 401k. (laughs) And I totally agree 100%. Oh, my goodness. So here's here's some of his analysis. And this is for 2017. And interestingly enough, it has to do with the Dodgers. The bad thing about Major League Baseball now is the trade deadline. All the big market teams can cheat. Yankees, Cubs, Dodgers, Nationals, Red Sox, they all have the money to pick up any players they want. The Yankees pick up four players. The Dodgers get two great lefties in the pen and and an all-star like Darvish. Talking about you, Darvish. Uh, Teams are able to change their whole dynamics with this deadline. Uh, You can't do this in football, which is why I like football futures better. He's talking about the futures bets on Major League Baseball the year, 2017. Bad teams can salvage their farm system to get a bunch of pro uh, to get a bunch of pro bowlers. Uh, he's talking about uh, football. With, with that, with that being said, the Dodgers are the clear and heavy favorite to win the World Series. You know, that worked out well. They, first of all, they weren't the clear and heavy. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the, what the what the odds were listed, but I can't imagine. I didn't look back in August 2017, but I can't imagine the Dodgers, even though they were having a great year and they hadn't yet gone into, into a slump, they were really having a, a, a Amazingly good year. Um, I don't know how clear and heavy because they still have to win the World Series against some very good teams in that year. But, uh, however, there's no value at the two to one odds. That's just not worth it. I'd like to take long shots with bigger payouts. Anyone can pick the Dodgers at two to one. That's not handicapping. Also, here are my other reasons why I don't love them while the rest of the world does. Kershaw just doesn't win in the playoffs. He's going through a whole analysis about the Dodgers. So, yeah, they ended up not winning the World Series that year. But uh, um, he uh, let's see let's see who he bet on. The Houston Astros ended up winning. That's funny. It looks like he may have picked this one right. He may, um, it looks like he did. I, I think he did pick Houston, which which isn't amazing to do because there, there was. I, I thought they were going to be the team the Dodgers faced anyway. They were a really good team that year. It's still good, obviously, but. Uh, so he was saying that uh, if you want, you can bet Boston to win the AL pennant one unit. Yeah, he said he said bet three units on Boston to win the World Series at eight to one odds. Four units on Houston at four to one odds. And then bet Boston to win the pennant one unit and the Ashers to win the, the AL pennant one point five units. So uh, actually, this did well, funny enough, but that can happen. It's, it's not like he was picking the, the Kansas City Royals early in the season when that one when they ended up winning that year. This is, Houston was one of the, the the best teams in baseball. They didn't have as good of a record as the Dodgers, but they were in a different league. So, um, I mean, props to him for forgetting that one. But but uh, he was also saying delay money on Boston as well. He's just basically saying fade the Dodgers and, and bet on the uh, the good AL teams, and that doesn't take a genius to do. And it was one game away from being wrong. Uh, but uh, but then he talks about how they're going to go for thirty five and zero on this system. It's such BS. Let's let's see what bad guy who's a sports better has to say about this. Yeah, I assume he's calling it about this. Bad guy, what do you have to say here? Yeah, did you ever watch the? I'm listening to the show still. Did you ever? There's a show out now. It's, it was like a four part like series called uh, Action on Showtime. 
No, I meant to watch that, but I didn't. I I, I heard about it. Well, he's all over this show, bro. Yeah, he's on there like from start to finish. I heard about that. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot to watch it, but yeah, that's uh, um. No, he he he, well, dude, he's a fucking tout, man. I mean, they're all fake, but like, they have a guy like like he's on here the whole time. This guy, he's got money, but he like lives with his parents and shit. Well, the person—it's like, weird, man. Well, the person who who uh, posted about him on on sports sports book review was saying that they think he just has family money that uh, his fa- his family owns real estate all no, over no, the world. No, fa- no, they they talk about they got him out of hawk. They talk about the whole thing, man. Like how he lost a bunch of money, but he did win a ton of money on those futures, man. Like he won money on uh, Kansas City Royals the one year. Oh, did did he actually based on Holly Holmes fight and all that shit? Like he turned all that and Denver Broncos and all that. But dude, he gives out picks on there the whole time. He loses every one of them. <laughs> yes, every well, one of them. Well, so that's no, the point. He so, does. He loses every one. So 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 he happened to luck into some of those future, but it sounds like he's he's saying he loses uh, everything else. Well, yeah, he loses every pick he gives out. He goes, if you guys are around, I lose all the time. It's just like any tout. But, yeah, he loses every pick he gives out on the show. And But, dude, the dude got money. Like, at least it looks like he does. Like, he has a thing out in Mexico, and they make him look like he's, like, the big guy, and there's some guy writing a story. you got to watch it. Trust me. Yeah, there was something about him traveling to Mexico. If you this, you would know more. I had seen that because there was some – he was trying to fight the request, and he successfully fought it, that he can't leave the country. And, right, they and, were talking about that on there, but he didn't go to trial yet. Yeah, they were talking. He yeah. even talks about that on he- because he used that like for his tout service. Man, he would say they banned me from all the casinos in Vegas, dude. It's just like Stu fire them back in the day. Listen, there's a new sucker born every minute. I remember when I first started sports gambling. This is a true story, and I used to have the 900 numbers. You remember you call up, yes, yes. and you used to you used to see these guys, Jack Price, Stu Finer, Ron Bash, all those guys that were on everything absolutely free. I go five and zero, oh, blah blah blah. You believe that shit, but especially if you're new to the game. So with all this shit coming out, this guy he supposedly makes a ton of money, man. Oh, I believe that selling these picks. Oh yeah, yeah, because of social media and all that. Oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm not saying sucker born every minute, brother. Oh yeah, I'm I'm not saying that that he's not been successful selling these picks. I'm just saying that I I don't believe the picks uh, are I winning. Know, but if his if his people that are buying these picks would watch would watch this, he pretty much says that on there. Like <laughs> he don't like after they he loses the game, he like turns the phone off because everybody's going at him. Then, like you said, he has a million followers or whatever. And everybody starts calling him a fraud. He goes, well, if I'm a fraud, how will I be driving this uh, limited edition car? Blah, blah. He pretty much says, like, yo, he don't know what the fuck's going on. And his fucking, like, when he, like, um, deciphers a game, it's so stupid what he says. Well, that's what but people are saying on there. I know they're, we're going to throw it here. And then, and then, well, not only that, but if he if he actually just had winning picks, he wouldn't have to do these nonsense Martingale systems and claim he's thirty five and zero. Here's my old saying in the fucking the tout world: if you had a pick that you knew was going to win or something, or you had inside information, you ain't going to tell me. You ain't going to tell you. I'm not going to tell my mom. You're going to go bet at Vegas with both hands. You're not going to tell anybody. So I mean, it's just a fuck. Listen. You, but the thing is, the reason this works is you're selling uncertainty in an uncertain world. I mean, that, that's a true story, man. Like these people are desperate because they keep losing, right? You know and, 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 right. And, and, somebody coming on a rut yapping. 
Yeah, right. He's a salesman. That's what he is. Yes, and 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 the thing is that you, you're. It's it's hard to do anything if he gives you losing picks because he's not guaranteeing it's going to win. He's just positioning himself as he's an expert. You just have to trust. But of course, since uh, sports right. is uncertain, it, it can. No, of course, well, it can. No, lose. here's what they give you. This is what he did on the show. I'm gonna, I remember this vividly. So he does like the AFC champion or the Super Bowl. If he loses, he has to give anybody that buys the package today. He calls them well picks or some shit. Yeah. He says that he'll give them the next season for free. Dude, why the fuck do we want your next season for free so you can lose for us? Well, that's what, he, that's what you just so said on that segment. So that's what he said. I'm going to lose. I'm gonna lose mil- he, he claims on there, bro, he makes 10000 or $30,000 or something a day or some crazy shit. I don't believe that. But he shows some of the shit. Like, these people are playing like $500 a pop for these picks. And I believe if you're on social media nowadays, back in the day, you had to have people call you. You had to have, Then you had to call them back and sell them. Now with this social media, people are that dumb. And then, you know, he won a couple bets. His his business, but, it, you know, it's going to fizzle out. But you know what? There's a new sucker born every minute, I'm telling you. Right, and and that's that's the other thing is if if he goes through a lucky streak, and that's why these these touts. The thing is, there's right. always new people finding them. So so even if he gets his ass kicked for a while and loses some people that that bought his picks, they're not going to do then it again. He wins for the next guys coming up. Yeah, then then he went. He, yeah, then he goes through a good a good week or makes a good futures pick and that yep. wins, and then people go, oh wow, he's a genius, and then he gets uh, this crop of suckers buying in. Then finally, then he loses again. But then there's some new people who who join in, and if 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 he keeps his name out there as a, a known tout in Vegas. He he can keep getting a steady stream of these suckers buying into his picks, especially ones that see him temporarily winning. So that's that, that, exactly. And listen, this guy has all that social media heat. I mean, look at Stu Finer and them. They made a movie about those guys. I mean, the two for the money movie. That's a true story. That whole bullshit, man. You seen Stu Finer? The yeah, big fat guy. I mean, that's um, Sam Lamar's guy on his uh, avatar. That guy, but they didn't. Even, those guys made millions of dollars, bro. They did because listen, gambling's a fucked up business. You know it. I mean, people they need someone to believe in, man. And this guy's fucking telling you, hey, yo, I went eleven and one last week. Everything's absolutely free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you said, dude, there's people that never bet games. I've watched documentaries that believed in these motherfuckers on those TV shows that were screaming. I mean, I'm talking like professors and stuff that gave these people south, and then at the end of the day, they're make and they're betting tons of money they never bet in their lives, thinking these people are real. It's a, dude, it's a, it's legal though too. He can't get in trouble for that. He's probably making more money now than he ever did at gambling. Yeah, well, maybe it's possible. Maybe it's true that he that since he got uh, charged that this has helped his business. Maybe that's he's what still- he said on the thing, man. That, that he uses that to his advantage. It's like a sell point. Oh, I got banned. They banned me from the casinos because they don't want me to bet there anymore. They're making up stuff, so he could use that as a selling point. Now, now this is what I've wondered. I said it earlier in the in the segment here. Maybe you know here. What was he really doing there with with all those so, fake socials? Was was he laying off action? What what was he doing here? He, with- he said that he act, he said that they that no he 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 bet those futures at like five different books or something. And he said that they put the number down wrong. That's what he says on the show, at least. No, there's they no chance. They're not all on the show. You got to watch the there's show. There's no man. chance they put the number down wrong. He was a he gave fake well, names. Here's the thing. He said three books paid him, and then two didn't. He says the books too on the thing. Like, well, I believe that, but what, I, what I'm saying is that they it, follow him around the whole time. What I'm saying is that he, he they're saying he gave fake names and fake numbers. There's no way that was. 
Uh, they didn't just, say fake names. They said he says on the thing that a couple of his numbers and his social security number were wrong. Well, that's what he says. Okay, on the it, sound, it sounds. To, one of the articles said fake names. So even if it's wrong, if he gave that, that could be on purpose, where he transposed a few numbers on purpose to. Uh, Listen, I heard this guy before, and I thought it was a different guy. I thought it was the guy with the mustache. I never even knew it was this guy. I heard of Vegas Day before because I see it on the forums too. I didn't know it was this guy. I mean, like the guy's like a like his parents are like half Asian, and I don't know what his dad is. I mean, they might be both. Yeah, he Asian. looks like he's half but Asian. They, but listen, I'm not, I'm not kidding. That's not against Asians or anything. But like they don't put him in a great light on that show either. Like both, there's both. Like they put him in a good light showing how rich he is or whatever, but. Then the parents are on there, and they're hilarious because they're like telling her how it is. Like they had to bail him out for seven hundred thousand. They had to give him a ton of money because he was he had to go to Gamblers Anonymous. It's a good watch, man. If you watch <laughs> it, like the whole thing's pretty good. Yeah, it's amazing people put this type of money. And I, I like the my guy's fa- a fucking dude. The guy's a salesman now. He admits it too. And, and you know what's what's funny is is where he says that if you want to make the serious money, my packages start at twenty five k. Wait, wait yeah, I thought I heard you, you just say that. That's all touts, brother. Well, That's all. Touts, well, but, but the funny yeah, thing is, wait, I I, I I thought you're right. buying winning. I thought you're buying winning picks from him for for much less so, than yeah, that. If I'm buying the picks for a hundred dollars, you're going to give somebody else different pick. I mean, how many games? Yeah, are you uh, not only that. If if these are joke. if these are winning picks for a hundred dollars, why not just bet more? in them, and then you're supposed to win, right? right. <laughs> like, why would he have to buy the no, 25k but, package? Yeah, well, he, well, so he's saving his better picks for the guys. That, yeah, yeah. That's how they do, dude, they <laughs> must. It must work, man, because they've been doing that since I started gambling, and that's fucking twenty some years ago. Yeah, I mean, the, the, they all used to do that, man. They just, it, they're like car salesmen, bro. I mean, that's what they are. Yeah, I know. It's, it's you can make a lot of money doing that. You should do that. People will buy your picks. <laughs> We well, have a great reputation. This guy doesn't have a good reputation. He's selling fucking millions a year. Yeah, it's crazy. Hey, new sucker born every. I just called in because I heard you talk. You should watch that though. I don't know if you have. I will. I, I, I will watch that. Internet. Yeah, I've I, I, I meant to watch. It. I just haven't watched it yet. All right, bro. That's why I called. Okay. Well, Fuck thank it. you, Becca. Don't ever buy tau picks, man. If I'm not. I've never. I've never bought them in my life. Never bought them in my life. PM me and Peter DC. We'll give you all the picks you need. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you. All right, man. brother. All right, man. Bye. Yeah. So, I guess it did help his business. I guess you you can use the angle of hey, I'm banned from sports books. They're 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 not letting me bet. They're arresting me. They're trying to stop me from betting these winning picks. And now I'm giving them to you for just twenty five k for my best my best picks. It's it's funny, you know. Bad guy says, you know, I, I should become one of these touts." And so, last year, I was doing well in both in both uh, Major League Baseball and and the NBA, and uh, over a lot of picks. And, and towards the end of the season, I started to tail off and kind of started returning to closer to even. But uh, for a long time, I was doing well in both sports. This year, it's, it's, it's been more of a struggle. I've kind of just up and down, up and down, kind of circling around even after the, after the house juice. But, uh, what, what I was somewhat, I'm doing is I enjoy it, but also because, uh, I, I, if I could establish that I was able to pick well enough to win, that, uh, I, I was considering selling them, not in this fashion, but just in an honest, straightforward fashion. Uh, but but I said to myself, and I still say this, that in, until I could see that I'm establishing 
a winning record and seem to have a winning strategy over quite some time, not just uh, you know, two-thirds of a season or even a full season. Even yeah, just I'd have to see something that really convinces me that people are going to win with them. Uh, I'm not going to sell anything, even if people would buy it. I, I would not be able to sleep at night doing that. So uh, it's one thing to make my own money on them. But there, there is a increased opportunity for this with the expansion of sports betting that is occurring around the country. And what we're going to have probably is a sports betting boom that might have some similarities to the poker boom of the 2000s. And that might be a way one can make money, but but I, I really discourage those from making money in a dishonest way, selling picks that you don't have any real proof they're, that, that have any real value. That you just say, well, these are my picks, I'm selling them, but without a real track record to show that you're a very consistent winner over a whole lot of picks. And, and without gimmickry to claim you're putting 134 units on a certain pick to get yourself back over even. 775 fraud 55 775 372 8355 in the chat room saw 24 says martin unless you have an infinite role sports betters are the dumbest yeah if you have an infinite bankroll then the martin gale will work and, and if they'll take your action up to infinite then it will work uh trader risk are you still with us It is one sixteen a.m., so he may have he may have taken the tea. And I think we lost him. I think there's no more Trader Ruski. I'll give him a minute with his mute button before I drop him. Sometimes he's just slow with the mute, with the unmute. We'll move on to Viffer. Viffer, whose real name is David Pete, P-E-A-T, took the poker world, the televised poker world, by storm by showing up to high-stakes, no-limit games and playing a very aggressive, unpredictable style, which seemed to work. And he he had a fearless style at the table that seemed to run over a lot of these big no-limit games. I originally encountered Viffer in, I believe, 2004, and I knew him as the sit-out guy. He would show up to PokerStars 100, 200, and 3060 games, sit down at the table, I'm talking about limit hold'em, sit down at the table and sit out. And he had a picture of like, an old picture of like buckwheat from the little rascals. So he would just sit there and sit out. And I said, what's with this Viffer guy? And I had no idea who he was in person. I'd never met him. He wasn't well known by anybody. I said, who's this guy Viffer who's always sitting out? And I always made jokes about that in the chat of, oh, Viffer's here to sit out again. I didn't meet Viffer until the $3,000 limit hold'em event at the World Series in 2005, the event that I won. And he came and sat at my table. He wasn't playing the event, but he knew who I was and saw I was there playing it, saw that I was fairly deep in the event, and he sat in an empty seat just for a second and said, is it okay if I sit out here? That was my first time meeting Viffer. And yeah, that was kind of a funny joke, but uh, he still wasn't known at that point. We used to talk sometimes on AIM, AOL Instant Messenger. His name, I think, was X Card Player X. That is like letter X, Card Player X. And we used to talk on there. 
I had remembered asking him how old he was, and I remember him answering 26, and I think this is in 04. I remember this, I'm not sure why I remember the exact 26, but I, what I know is that when he told me how old he was, it was he wasn't that close to my age. And in, in 04, I was 32. And I, he didn't say anything like 29 or 30. I remembered him, I remember noticing at the time that he was somewhat younger than me. Like, like someone who, who wasn't really close to my age. Or if he was three years younger, I, I would have seen him at that point as close to my age. It's like when I was 32, a 29-year-old seemed kind of like the same age as me. 26? That seems kind of young. Uh, you know, it always depends how old you are. The older you get, uh, the more of a range you have of what you consider close to your age. So if, if, if you're 90, someone who's 80 kind of seems like they're your age. If you're 20, obviously someone who's 10 seems nowhere near your age, even though it's the same 10 years. Like at this point, if, if anybody is over 40, I kind of see them as my age, even though I'm, I'm 47. Yet when I was 32, if someone was 25, that seemed a lot younger than me. So when he said he was 26, I know that I, I had thought he was somewhat younger than me. And I'll get to in a second why that matters. So he, this was before he got to be well-known on, on these televised poker shows and was successful at these high-stakes, no-limit games. Once he became a known player, he kind of became a jerk. And... Uh, he used to like to taunt both me and Neverwin as we'd walk by in the Bellagio because he knew we were limit players. So he'd be in some kind of high stakes, no limit game there. And we'd walk by on our way to the 100, 200, 200, 400 limit game. And he'd say, seat open, guys. Sit right here. Come on. Oh, you don't want to play? Why don't you guys want to play? Come on, seat open. And it was very obnoxious. He's trying to show off that, like, oh, he's, he's willing to sit in this big no limit game and we're not. Like, like he's better or something. And I, so I always said back to him, well, see, so would open up the limit game too. Come on over here and play with us. Cause he, he, he was no good at limit hold'em and I was, I would have been happy to have him over there. So that's what I said to him. And I talked about this to Neverwin. He goes, he does the same thing to me. Like Neverwin was, uh, he told me the exact same story. And I think Neverwin, he said he told him the same thing. Come on over and sit with me at the limit game. And and he wasn't even doing this so much in a joking fashion. It was kind of like obnoxious that he's just trying to taunt us with it. It was weird. Uh, I remember seeing Viffer at the Bellagio boxes in the main cage. I had a box there because the poker room boxes were full and still are full, unfortunately. I had a box in the main cage from 2005 all the way until 2019, and they closed it on me. They closed it because they are doing away with all the permanent boxes in the main cage. It's becoming uh, temporary boxes only, and I, I knew that day would come eventually, so they just shut it down on me, and I uh, showed up there and collected my money, and uh, and that was that. So... Anyway, I I used to go after every Bellagio session and before every Bellagio session and, and bring money to and from that box. So one of the times after a session, very late at night, 3 a.m. or something, I'm going to my box to drop off money there, and I hear a male voice saying, so you want to come in here? You want to see what a lot of money looks like? So, of course, I look over it what this person's saying and who it is, and it's Viffer with a really, really hot girl 
who looks like she's in her 20s and is dressed in a really short skirt and uh, I'm guessing was a prostitute. And I'm guessing was like a high-end prostitute. And uh, he was trying to show off what a, quote, a lot of money looked like. He was going to bring her in the room and show her these big stacks of cash in in his box. As I guess it was going to impress her, but not for the reasons that he should have wanted to impress her since she was probably a, a hooker. But uh, Viffer was never an attractive guy, even when he was younger. Uh, he, he was always overweight. He just, he just wasn't a good-looking guy. He never has been. And it was clear that this girl was not with him, this super hot girl. There's no chance she was with him just because she liked him. Clearly it had to do with money and maybe it was a, to me it really looked like a prostitute. But anyway, I thought that was funny that he was bringing this girl in there to show her all the cash in the box. Uh, I, kind of lost track of what he was doing for a number of years. I wasn't even sure if he was still playing poker or if he had gone broke. I had heard rumors that he had gone broke. Uh, with his crazy play style, it would have been surprising because he was introducing huge variants in the way he was playing, and you just really would need a deep bankroll to withstand some of the swings that he would have had the way he played, especially once people kind of figured it out more and could adjust to him. And then he got married and the the girl he married, I was having remembered that stripper story, or that story, what I witnessed of the stripper, or the uh, I think she's more of a prostitute than a stripper, but whatever she was, that, that girl who was there, who probably didn't have the most noble of intentions in hanging out with him. Having remembered that, I had wondered about uh, who he was marrying. Was it going to be someone like that girl? This was several years later. This was in 2015. The girl's name was uh, Katie Burns, and uh, the uh, from from what I can see, they're still married. I guess I'm giving it away, but uh, there was a girl named Katie Burns that he said he was engaged to, and uh, I'd wonder well, what's her story. So I, I went to her, I found her on Facebook. I forgot how, but I, I found her on Facebook and I looked her up and I, I found her and she didn't look like what I expected. I thought we were going to see some sort of you know, trashy, but hot kind of like stripper looking girl. This girl didn't look like that. This girl kind of, she was pretty, but she kind of just looked like a normal, pretty, respectable girl. And, of course, looks can be deceiving, but she she didn't have that fast look to her. It wasn't what I pictured to be with Viffer. And I was well, okay, good for him. You know, they, Now I kind of believe more that this girl really is with him because she genuinely likes him. Good, good for him. Good for him uh, probably settling down with a nice girl. Because that's not what I pictured for him. And she was pretty, too. Uh, I, I had wondered if that was going to work, but, uh, that was, uh, 2015 going back a little bit in 2013, July, 2013, he had posted on Facebook, my poker career is over, just not fun anymore. Time for new adventures in life. 
Now, whenever anyone posts that, that almost always means that they're getting their ass kicked at the tables. It's rare that someone is just destroying poker and winning money hand over fist and is like, ah, no more. I'm, I'm tired of printing money at the poker table. I'm, I'm just done. My poker career is over. It's not fun winning every day. It's, it's not fun just walking out with huge stacks of cash. No, nope, no fun. I'm quitting. I'm going to do something else with my life. No, Very rare. Occasionally someone will. Just because they get sick of the game, usually when someone goes from a professional poker player to it, quote, not being fun anymore, it means that they're either not winning anymore or they just can't find the games anymore at what they used to play. So I had to guess that this was a sign he was broke. This was in July 2013. So now in June 2015, then he got married, and I had wondered what his financial status was then. Then in uh, in 2016, he uh, let me see this. 2016. Uh, never mind. I'm seeing something. I got the wrong information here. Never mind. Let me see here. I had the wrong date. This one. I'm confused for a second. Um. Yeah, I can't find much here, but uh, I guess that was the last we heard in 2015 when he said his poker career was over. Sorry, after he married the woman two years after he said his poker career was over. And that was it. Uh, Taking a look at his, and I'll I'll tell you in a second why we're uh, talking about him here. Taking a look at Facebook, there is a kid. So it looks like he has a kid who's pretty young. Looks like, I don't know, less than a year old. It's a baby. Actually, there's two kids. So he has two kids. He uh, is still with her through this. Uh, there's an, a, a picture on Caitlin Burns' uh, Facebook page. Uh, she and, and Viffer together. He looks quite overweight. Seeing the, the play The Book of Mormon on April 26th. Uh, she actually still looks pretty good. She's actually in, in kind of a weird outfit. <laughs> she she kind of does look like a stripper in this outfit. But uh, he's with her there at the Book of Mormon. And uh, the other picture, she looks normal, though. She doesn't look uh, trashy in any of these other pictures. There's a picture of them together with uh, with a baby. He's got a big neck tattoo now, by the way. He's very large. And I see a picture of him in, in uh, July 2017 of both of them drinking wine, and she looks good. And he looks fat, but he doesn't look like that old yet. Like, he looks kind of his age, which I believe was uh, 42 at the time. 41, 42. I found out that 26 age he gave me back in 04 was false from looking some things up. I believe he's really 44 now, which would have meant he was 29 back then. I don't know why he lied about his age by three years. But uh, anyway, in this picture in 2017, someone told me this guy here in the picture, without knowing him, someone said this guy in the picture is 41, 42. Well, he looks a little older than that, but but close. But then I saw a picture of him. Could have been a bad picture, but I saw a picture of him that was sent to me by a Poker Fraud Alert listener. They played poker with Viffer just the other day, 
And I was pretty surprised as to the way he looked. I couldn't believe that was Viffer. He looks like he's in his mid-50s or, or, or older. He looks ancient and just kind of worn out, worn down and beat up in this picture. Now, sometimes people play long poker sessions. They don't look good. Uh, it, it's taken at a bad angle. But he looks really bad in this picture. Uh, there's wrinkles all over his face. He just He looks really old. He looks really old now. He looks much worse than he did in that picture two and a half years ago. Um, it, it does seem like he's still with uh, with this girl. The funny thing, though, is the, the picture of him at the Book of Mormon, which I just found now. Otherwise, I would have. Well, it's kind of distant. Yeah, you can't see him from. It's kind of a distant picture, so it's kind of hard to tell. So maybe that's why he doesn't look as old in that picture. He doesn't look. He looks fat, but not like that old in that picture of the Book of Mormon from the April twenty sixth. So obviously, he didn't age like massively in the last few weeks. But in this picture at the poker table. He barely has any chips in front of him, and he just looks really, really old, like 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 he's over fifty five. And I thought, wow, that's that's what poker does to people. Someone even posted in the thread, the faces of poker. He really does not look good, and he's got like a small stack in front of him, and it's it's not a high limit game, from what I can tell. Maybe it's two five. It might be 2-5. It's not a super low-limit game, but it's definitely not a high-limit game. Yeah, my guess is it's 2-5. Well, you know what? Maybe it's more. I see some green chips. So maybe it could be 5-10. It's probably 5-10, actually. So it's a, it looks like he's playing 5-10, which is not low stakes, but and maybe that's the highest he can find is at the Twin Rivers Casino. Where's the Twin Rivers Casino? Where's the Twin Rivers Casino? Let's see. That is in Rhode Island. I did not know that. I'd never heard of it before. So he must be living in Rhode Island. I wonder if he'll be at the World Series this year. But he has a, it looks like a short stack in front of him. The person taking this picture actually has a pretty good stack. This person taking the picture has over a, like $1,200 in front of him, or almost like $1,500 in front of him. Viffer looks like he's got like a few hundred at most. He's got his hands covering some of it, but. But this person says it was Viffer, and it does look like him. It's got to be him, but he looks really bad in this picture. And again, could have been a bad picture. There's been bad pictures of me out there that I wish uh, weren't taken, like during the World Series, where I don't really look like myself. But uh, yeah, poker takes its toll on people. And, and sadly, poker players don't tend to live that long. There's a lot of poker players dying early. I mean, yeah, we have guys like Doyle Brenton who live pretty old, but there's a lot of poker players dying in their 50s and 60s, even if not from, like, drug use. I'm not talking about the people who die of drug abuse, but just there's poker players who just die at a pretty young age. And some of it is because it's not the most healthy lifestyle. First of all, there is a lot of alcohol and drug abuse that takes place, that even if that doesn't directly kill you, that will damage your body to where you die early. There's also, usually players don't get much exercise. Usually it's uh, poor eating habits and sleeping habits. Often they neglect their health and don't get proper tests done when things go wrong or visit the doctor or the dentist enough. So there's a lot of reasons why poker players die early. 
And uh, Viffer's been overweight, it looks like, his whole life. So he's got one of these guys who has to watch out. But yeah, I'll, I'll give him credit. He's still with the woman. Still with the mom of his children. I asked in the thread, is he still with her? And someone said no, but they're incorrect. They're definitely still together. So here's another picture of him on Facebook, March 19th, at the Capitol Grill in Providence, Rhode Island. She's got her Facebook wide open, so I'm, I'm looking at it. Oh, no, no. So see this, see, this is not a recent picture. It says, five years ago today. This is what she wrote. Five years ago today. So this is actually a picture taken in 2014. After about 200 terrible pickup lines and dozens of awkward faces, I finally let this dude take me out on a proper date. In case you're wondering, he only had 200 pickup lines. Good thing I didn't hold out any longer. Actually, I don't know if this is... You know what? This is probably more of a recent pick. I think she's saying this is like a five-year anniversary dinner or something. So I think this is more of a recent picture. I will say to Viffer's credit, in these pictures I'm seeing here, it's, it's not like he's a good-looking guy, but he he doesn't look like he did in that one poker picture. So I, I probably wouldn't have done this segment if I had seen these other pictures because, uh, like, what's the news here? Viffer's fat? We've known that for how long now? For 15 years. But uh, these other pictures, he doesn't look that old, if, especially if he's 44. Like, I wouldn't look at this and go, oh, look at this old guy. In the, in the picture in the, in the poker room, he looks old. But maybe it was just the lighting, and I don't know. There's no way he aged tremendously in the last few weeks. So now I, now I kind of wish I could erase this whole segment. I, I do wonder if if his wife works and if he has any kind of money now. I, I really wonder that. But at least, at least he's managed to stay with this woman for four years, and he's had two kids with her, and he couldn't be a complete screw up, I guess. <laughs> it's it's better than I thought he'd do. Could be doing much worse. And he married someone pretty. She seems fairly nice from these Facebook photos and pictures and. Updates, and I know it can be misleading, but it's just kind of the vibe I get from her. Looks like they're in uh, Massachusetts now, according to her Facebook page. By the way, it's not smart to leave your Facebook page wide open for this reason. Look at this. I, I, I'm able to deduce all this just from going to her Facebook page. Like, like she shouldn't let me do this. She should close her page up so I have to guess at everything. People, they, they're too much of an open book on social media. Yeah, you gotta... Be careful in this information age. So nosy people like me can't find this stuff out. But I, I guess I guess it was helpful in this case because I found things. If I was just going by this one picture, and it's not just me. Like everybody in the thread thinks he looks awful. But if it was just going by this one picture, I go, oh, my God, Viffer looks like he's like 60 years old. He's, gonna, he's probably going to die soon. And I look at these other pictures and I go, oh, you know, he's fat. But other than that, he kind of looks like a normal guy in his mid-40s. Like that's if it, I guess her leaving the page open, which showed that he's still married, has two kids, relationship seems okay. Uh, the wife looks good. Uh, he doesn't look, he doesn't look 60 in these other pictures. Like, you know, it actually improved what I thought his situation was. So this actually was a positive for him that I could be nosy. So never mind. Never mind this whole segment. I, I withdraw. 
completely withdraw. I, I just didn't think of before the segment to go, you know, find the wife's Facebook page again. But I, I, I did because there's an old thread I made about her when they got engaged, and the Facebook is still accessible. Okay. The WSOP final tables. If you enjoyed watching those on Twitch last year, you're not going to enjoy watching them this year on Twitch because they're not going to be there. There has been a decision made to no longer provide the coverage of the World Series of Poker final tables for free. Not good. As you might remember, uh, Poker Central has the rights to a lot of these final tables, most of them. In May of 2018... Just, for, just before the World Series, May 26, 2018, there's an article on Poker News I have in front of me saying that PokerGo announced their plans for the World Series of Poker. The company announced it's doing a lot more than just the full feature broadcasts on their streaming platform. They partnered with Twitch.tv, the popular v- streaming video site. Uh, they're going to bring live coverage – this is 2018, not 19 – of 31 tournaments and 21 fi- 25 final tables with live streams broadcasted June 2nd through July 14th, 2018 on twitch.tv poker central. David Tuckman was to be the lead commentator and uh, poker player Jeff Platt was going to be also providing commentary. And uh, people enjoyed it. And uh, there, were a, there were a lot of different events that were listed that were going to be covered. Uh, the 1,508 that I finished 59th in last year. If I had made it farther, I would have been on there. Uh, next day, 100K, no limit, high roller. Next day, 10K, 08. Uh, two days from then, the no limit hold'em day two. I'm not going to read them all. This is all from last year. That's going to be a waste of time reading them all. But the big schedule of events they're going to be covering, both final tables and just streaming of the events as they were going on. This is on Twitch. This did not require you to spend any money. You just go on twitch.tv slash poker central and you watch. The statement from Sam Simmons, who was the vice president of content at Poker Central, said, year after year, our goal is to provide the highest quality poker content to as large of an audience as possible. To that end, we're proud to work with our longtime partners at Twitch to produce and distribute additional coverage of the WSOP. So... They're claiming their goal was to provide coverage to a large audience. Well, apparently not, because this year they are blocking that large audience from watching it for free. So let's uh, move forward now to this year. And uh, they have decided that the Twitch coverage is gone. This year, if you want to watch the coverage, and they're spending this as a positive, of course, you're going to need a Poker Central and CBS All Access Pass. Here's a, an article that is on PokerCentral.com, which is their the company that owns Poker Go. Today, Poker Central and CBS Today announced a partnership to live stream to live stream the gold bracelet events at the 50th annual World Series of Poker across platforms including PokerGo, Poker Central's direct uh, to, to consumer service, and CBS's all, CBS All Access 
uh, CBS's subscription video on demand and live streaming service from May 30th through July 16th, 2019, with additional coverage to air on CBS Sports Network and CBS Sports Digital Platforms. In a partnership reflecting an extensive cross-platform distribution strategy and the growing appetite for poker programming, Poker Central will produce 41 days of live coverage, including 25 days of poker to stream exclusively on CBS All Access, with eight days of coverage airing exclusively on Poker Go, and an additional eight days of live streaming to be aired on both CBS and Poker Central. In addition, CBS Sports Network will air highlight shows drawn from the 25 exclusive bracelet events streaming on CBS digital platforms. Highlights will also be available on CBSSports.com, the CBS Sports app, and CBS Sports HQ, the 24-7 streaming sports network. Fans will be guided through the action by legendary poker broadcasters Lon McCarron, Ali Najad, and David Tuckman. No Norman Chad. A rotating cast of professional poker players will provide color commentary throughout the series. A winner, the winner of each individual tournament will receive a coveted WSMP bracelet, considered one of the most esteemed prizes in poker. So, then they list the schedule. So basically, uh, you're not going to be able to watch this for free, is what they're saying. You need to have a, uh, a Poker Go pass and a CBS All Access Pass in order to to watch this. You need two passes, actually. It just looks like Poker Go isn't enough. You need CBS All Access and Poker Go subscriptions, which is pretty obnoxious. So much for free content to a large audience. They decided they're going to want to monetize this. They're, They're spinning it as a good thing. Unprecedented WSMP coverage. Yeah, if you want to pay for it. So if you make a final table, don't expect that big of an audience watching you this time. Which is sad. This has been the direction that poker, the World Series of Poker coverage has gone. Is it being on TV, it's, it's not much anymore. Now, other than the main event, you're going to see WSMP coverage through these streaming platforms. But at least before, you could see a lot of it for free through Twitch. Now you can't, and that's unfortunate. Not much more to say about that. Uh, I, I don't know if Poker Central is even making money. I've always thought it was a big loser, and it possibly is, and this might be their way of attempting to reverse that. I don't know if this is going to really get anyone anywhere. Uh, someone was posting something on Real Grinders about if you sign up with a new account, then they give you 30 days for free and you know, time to sign up with a new email address again. So, and people actually jumped all over him going, oh, what are you, you know, why don't you just pay for the stream, cheapskate? So I, it, it is, if that's true, I guess if you're, like I never signed up for it at all. So I guess if you've never signed up before, if you're going to, or if you're going to pull those shenanigans that guy was talking about, you can get 30 days for free and that encompasses a lot of the World Series, but whatever. I don't really watch much poker, to be honest. People always ask, oh, did you see this table? Oh, did you see that event? And I go, no. Well, why not? Because I'm just not into watching other people play poker. I I play enough myself and I talk about it enough on this show to where I just don't really feel like watching it. And, you know, if it's on in the background and I I see it, I'm kind of interested. But, like, I, I just don't have the desire to turn it on and watch it. I just don't. So I'm definitely not paying for it. If I could sign up for a free trial or something, maybe I would, but then I don't want a credit card auto build. Like maybe I, if I had a prepaid card I'm about to burn anyway, I'd do it because that, that's my favorite thing to do with these auto billing things. I, I sign up 
for a trial with a prepaid card, then then burn off the rest of the prepaid card, like paying my phone bill or something. And then when it tries to auto bill me, I don't have to remember anything. It just it just fails because the prepaid card is out of money. And then I get an email. Oh, we couldn't bill your card. And then I go, ha ha ha. Well, I'm not I'm not giving you a new card. F you. I'm leaving. I hate having to go cancel these things. It's such a pain. They make it so hard for you. Sometimes they purposely don't cancel it when you try to, so I don't want to deal with it. But uh, if I had a prepaid card available, I might sign up for that type of thing. Okay, so I'm going to take a little break here, both to refresh my throat with my biotin dry mouth rinse and also to go to the bathroom because I kind of need to do that too. And then we will come back and, and do our other topics. We have several topics left to go here. The topics we have include... You know what? Oh, there's another topic I forgot to list that i got to do. There's definitely a topic I've got to do. And that is uh, the CNBC special. Oh, see if I... Trader Ruski and Bad Guy were right. I shouldn't have wasted so much time talking about Negranu's wedding because now, now I'm kind of worn out and I, I don't really feel like giving the CNBC thing the, the time it deserves. But they did a special on CNBC about professional poker. Now, the rest of these topics aren't... They're, they're pretty quick topics. I may actually table the one about my tournament heartbreaks, even though I kind of wanted to do that. Yeah, there's just so many topics left. Damn it, it's one. The, the show should be almost over by now, and I've got like a ton of topics. I don't know how I wasted all this time. No wonder I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> the show should be over now. I should just end it. I should just end it uh, the way Brian Mikein used to do when we did our Dunk Down show. It looks like we have like six topics left, including that one about CNBC. That is annoying. Yeah, I think I'll have to talk about the CNBC special. Add that to the agenda so I don't forget to list it when we're doing the archives. And so I'm going to play this uh, Eric Bensamokin ad as I always do when I take a little break here. I'll be back shortly and, and we'll get the show done as, as, as well as I can with uh, the time I have left. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. 
And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Well, damn it, we have dead air. I did not get back fast. The one time I took too long. One time I took too long. Not quite fast enough. I, I just, like, I don't know. It just, like, the whole thing felt like it was taking too long, and I, I rushed back, and I'm like, no, I don't hear it playing in the background. <laughs> I came into the room, and it was silence. And I'm, I'm too lazy to, to go download the whole show and cut out the dead air. So enjoy the dead air. It's one of the... Big sins of radio to have dead air, and I try to avoid it, and the, the times I do, I'll usually go edit it out after the fact. I'm not going to do it. You, you can enjoy the dead air. So we're going to quickly talk about the first 50 honors that the WSOP is asking the public to vote for. You may say, what is the first 50 honors? What, what would that be? What is a first 50 honor? Well, if you go to WSOP.com slash promotions slash 50-first-honors slash NV, <laughs> how is that for a URL? WSOP.com slash promotions, all lowercase, slash 50-first-honors slash NV. That's real memorable. 50, by the way, is written out F-I-F-T-Y. Then you get to vote for seven categories. Those seven categories are Most Memorable WSOP TV Hand, Best Overall WSOP Performance Single Year, Most Likely to Succeed, that is a player currently 35 or under to win the most gold bracelets between 2020 and 2070. I think you got to be under 35. So I, I, I can't be most likely to succeed. I'm too old. I've, I've already failed, according to them. I'm too old to start on that. They're, they're assuming I'm not going to be around in 2070. They're saying, like, you got to be 35 or under, so at least in 2070 you, you may still be breathing. They're like, you know, guys my age in 2070 were going to be in the ground. It's probably true. Uh, number four, fan favorite player. Then I, I like this one. And you're, you're going to be voting for this, by the way. Uh, number five is fan's favorite bad boy. <laughs> The bad boy. You're voting for a freaking bad boy. Come on. 
This is an official WSOP thing, too. Uh, number six, most impressive main event win. And number seven, the four most important players in WSOP history. I don't know. How How about the guy that, that in his first World Series ever finished third and first in his two events? That's an important player, right? I think you should vote for that guy. I'm gonna, I'm going to go to this link, though. Um, apparently, there's some pre-listed choices, and you can write in votes as well. This is officially through the WSOP. This is not just some person putting this on or some third-party company putting it on. Uh, the funny thing is they're not actually doing this through WSOP.com, though. You start out in WSOP.com in that weird URL. Uh, then it ends up taking you to snapsurveys.com. <laughs> like, like, it would have been so hard to throw up just, like, some voting software on WSOP.com. They, they have to use snapsurveys.com. Yeah, everything's outsourced these days. Okay, so let's, let's go here. So the most memorable TV hand, you can you can do the uh, Matt Affleck versus Jonathan Duhamel into the 2010 main event. That's where uh, Matt Affleck cried. Uh, Sammy Farhad against Chris Moneymaker in 03. Johnny Chan versus Eric Seidel in 88. Connor Dreenan versus Carrie Katz in the big one for one drop. Uh, Aces versus Aces in 2014. Uh, Moneymaker versus Ivy in the 03 main event. Uh, full House over Full House. And Scotty Wynn, the final event the final hand of the main event in 98, or you can write in. Next, let's see. Most memorable TV hand. What's the same one, though? It's like the same... Hold on. Wait, we're stuck here? I, I, I've got to pick something. I can't skip it. I'm it's Like, he keeps doing this over and over. Okay, I'm just going to pick one. Say, uh... Let's just pick uh, Matt Affleck, because he cried. Okay, go on here. Best overall World Series performance, single year. Uh, George Danzer, three bracelets in, in, in 14. Sean D, but two bracelets, four final tables in, in 20 caches in 2018. Phil Helmuth in 93, three bracelets, four final tables. Uh, Phil Ivey, 02, three bracelets, seven t- final tables, seven caches. Jeff Lissandra in 09, three bra- bracelets, four final tables. And Negranu, 13, th- two bracelets, four final tables, 10 caches. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick, uh, Sean D, just, to piss off Negranu. Okay, let's move on here. Um, most likely to succeed. These are the people under twenty-five, under thirty-five. Uh, Justin Bonham, thirty-three years old. Joe Cada, thirty-one years old. Sean Deeb, thirty-three years old. Fedora Hulse, twenty-five years old. Jason Mercier, thirty-two years old. Dominic Nietzsche, twenty-eight years old. I, Jason Mercier, I don't, I, does he even play much anymore? I don't know. I, I, I'm going to have to go with. Uh, but these people have already succeeded, though. That's, that's just so weird. But the most success in the next 50 years. I, I could picture Fedora, Fedora Holtz just kind of burning out. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to go with Joe Cada. Just I, I kind of want to vote for Bonomo. He's probably the most deserving, but just because uh, he was a jerk to me for a while, I'm going to go with Cada. Okay, fan favorite. Your favorite player. Pick one or write in. Doyle Brunson, Antonio Asfandiari, Phil Helmuth, Maria Ho, Phil Ivy, Daniel Negreanu. How about none of the above? Who is my... I don't even have a favorite player. Like, to be honest, it's going to sound really uh, egotistical. My favorite player is me. Not that I think I'm the best player. It's just uh, if I'm going to root for someone, I'm going to root for myself. I'm not going to go, wow, I hope Helmuth wins a lot of bracelets this year. No, I, I hope I do well this year. That's who I root for is for myself to do well. Now, if, if I lose, there, there's there's people that I'll root for that I like, 
But one, I, I don't like star worship any other poker player. And, and two, really, that I, my thoughts about poker being a poker pro myself is I, I just think of myself wanting to succeed. I don't really think of people like this. Um, I, I'm not going to go as far as to write in myself. I, I don't know who to pick here. I'm just going to write in a fake name here. Let's see. Write in below. Okay. Write in vote. You know, I want to write in Alan Kessler. That's what I'm going to do. Alan Kessler gets my vote. He's not my favorite player, but I just, I just wanted to vote for him. Okay. WSOP's favorite bad boy. Jamie Gold, Phil Helmuth, Will Kasuf, Mike Matisau, Sean Shakan, and David Devil, Devilfish Elliott. Uh... How is John Robert not on here? Uh, I'm going to have to go with Wilka Souf because he appeared on this show. Even though he was a thief who stole from his friends. I'm uh, No, 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 no. Mike Madison. I, I, I missed him. Mike Madison. Going with him. He was on the show too, and he's not a thief. Though he owes people money, he's not a thief. Okay, moving on here. Most impressive main event win. Johnny Chan, 90, uh, 88. Uh, Jamie Gold, 06. Helmuth, 89. Martin Jacobson, 14. Chris Moneymaker, 03. Jack Trouse, 82. Stu Unger, 97. I, I, I think the most amazing, the, the ones early weren't as impressive because the field is much smaller. I actually think that Ryan Reese was the most impressive one, to be honest. So I'm going to write him in. Ryan Reese. Okay. The most four important players in WSOP history, Billy Baxter, Doyle Brunson, Johnny Chan, TJ Cloutier, Chris Ferguson, Ted Forrest, Phil Helmuth, John Hennigan, Phil Ivey. This looks like a list from 10 years ago. What about like newer players? Chris Moneymaker, Michael Mizraki, Johnny Moss, Daniel Negrani, Scotty Wynn, Puggy Pearson, Amarillo Slim Preston, David uh, Chip Reese, Eric Seidel, Vanessa Selps. Why is she on there? Come on. Uh, Stu Unger. I mean, is this the most important in WSOP history or in poker history? It's kind of two different things. I mean, there, there's some crossover, but Chris Moneymaker was the most important. He's not the best, but he's the most important. Do I have to pick four? Yeah, it's not letting me move on. It's forcing me to pick four. It's so stupid. You just let me pick one if I want. All right, let's see here. Who else are we going to pick? Um, let's pick Doyle Brunson, Chris Moneymaker, um... Stu Stu Unger will pick, and uh, uh, as much as I hate to, I'll put Helmuth down. Okay, there we go. Moving on. Oh, so so they can enter me into a drawing, including a mini main event seat. They can't give a real main event seat. It has to be the mini main event, which is like a, like a thousand dollar event, or a summer saver seat, or I can win WSOP merchandise. Please fill in the following information. Okay, I'm going to have to do it now. I went through the damn survey. I'm going to. I'm going to. I want to be in the drawing now. They better not spam me, or I'm going to freaking kill them. It's a different company. It's scaring me. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm going to see if it spams me. I'm going to give a custom address. Here we go. WSOP survey at raregamepiece.com. That's a real email address I can receive email on. In fact, I'm going to make it a little different than the WSOP survey, just in case any of you think you're going to be clever and sign me up for spam. I'm going to make it a little different. So I'm not going to tell you what it is. 
those are all the questions. Thank you for your time. Submit, and we're done. Okay, thank you guys for being with me as I do this survey. So you can do it too. WSOP.com slash promotion slash the word 50 dash first F-I-R-S-T dash honors slash N-V, all lowercase. Ha! By the way, there is going to be a banquet after these winners are determined. There's going to be an award ceremony in the Brasilia Room. They're going to convert it into a banquet hall. The Brasilia Room is one of the places where the World Series takes place. They're going to shut it down on June 29th and turn it into a, a banquet hall. And only certain people are going to be invited to this award ceremony. Those certain people will be WSOP gold bracelet winners and other VIPs. So that means I can go. I can actually go. I got an email about this. Like, not a personal email, but they, I saw the press release about this. I'm like, oh, I can go to this. Like, I, I almost want to go just because hardly any of you can. Just because I got a bracelet. Like, a, this is one of the few things I can actually do in, in practical ways with a bracelet. So I can actually, remember that awful event, like the bracelet bounty event? Like, there's no way I was going to play that. But, uh, uh, maybe I'll go to this banquet if it doesn't interfere with other events I'm playing. Do I get an event? I think I may have an event on the 29th, though. I may, I may not be able to just because I have an event on the 29th. Let's see. I kind of want to just go. Just, just to eat the free food at the banquet. And, uh, and then just kind of feel like I'm above everybody because I got a bracelet and I can get in and they can't. Let's see here. Where is, uh, let's see. Here's my schedule. I forgot my own schedule. Oh, it's the 1500 limit hold'em event. No, I'm not going to be able to make it unless I run really bad. Because uh, it starts at 8, and the 1500 event starts at 3 p.m., and the first few levels are kind of meaningless. I guess there's a chance I can bust by 8. Maybe I should try to bust by 8 so I can uh, go to this banquet. I, I guess there'll be like a, a consolation prize at the banquet if I bust really early. Last year, I busted really early. Last year, I think I did bust by 8. I ran pretty bad last year in that event. Which is funny, like, for, for a lot of years I did pretty well in that event where I got pretty deep. Some of the years I cashed, some of the years I didn't. But last year I just got crushed. Okay, so, uh, moving on here. What's our next topic? Oh, uh, we're gonna talk about the CNBC special now. Which was not, it's another bonus topic, by the way. We were, we're not gonna have, uh, this topic before, but I meant to have the topic and then I just kind of got reminded. A lot of people actually want to hear me talk about this topic. So I'm going to. CNBC did a documentary on poker staking. And it's called The Money Behind Pro Poker. Who makes money from professional poker? And there's a number of people you probably have heard of in this, including former and perhaps sometimes current regular poker fraud alert listener, Ryan LaPlante. I'm playing it here for you guys here. For nearly two decades, ESPN broadcasts and an accountant named Moneymaker have given rise to a generation of poker players 
dreaming of turning professional and earning millions. I think everybody's just chasing those big six-figure, seven-figure scores. But poker is a game of high risk. It's worse than the stock market to a very significant degree. And that's that's uh, Ryan LaPlante. Who, by the way, he's already shaved his head. And he's a young guy. He's like uh, 28 or something. I, I, I guess poor Ryan has lost uh, enough hair where he had to do that. That kind of sucks. It has happened to my uncle, by the way, where, where you just, he, he, my uncle was like mostly bald by 23. And that kind of scared me because usually you inherit your baldness gene from the males on your mother's side. And it's actually my mother's brother. And he was like mostly bald by 23. So I was like, oh crap, this is going to happen to me. And then it seemed to, I, I started to lose hair on the top of my head at 27. So I pictured by like 35, I was going to be bald, but it's moved very slowly. And I I came to the discovery that being tall is actually very helpful for that because if I'm not sitting down, it's hard to see that I'm going bald. Like if if you just meet me walking around the Rio, you're you're not going to see that I'm going bald. You'll see, you'll see that my hairline is, is, is not where it used to be. You'll see this further back, but but, uh, just about every guy my age has that situation going on, but, but it still looks like I have hair. And you can't see the bald spot on top, which is substantially larger than it was when I was 27 when it just started. But it's I, I, I have way more hair right now than I expected 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I thought I was really going to be bald very soon, and it's moved very slowly. And then I see that guys like Ryan LaPlante are like way younger than me, already had to shave their head because they're going bald. And I go, okay, you know, maybe I'm, I'm doing pretty well there. And high reward. I took home about $700,000. That money was won despite never entering a casino. Poker is for sure not always what it seems. I, I don't like when they say never entering a casino. Y- yes, you are. A poker's in a casino. <laughs> you can call it a poker room in some cases, but it's 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 a it's a game. It's a gambling game in casinos or poker rooms, which are kind of interchangeable. Except poker rooms sometimes aren't allowed to have casino games. I I don't like when they say never setting foot in the casino. Makes it sexier when you think that a player's taking home, you know, $10 million. In reality, a lot of these players aren't taking home even half that sometimes. Apparently, some players um, agree to sell a part of their winnings in return for guaranteed cash up front. So, how did you do that, and how much of the, what is it, eight, almost $9 million? They're from- asking this to recent winner John Sin. You actually keep um, after tax. It's called staking. Poker staking is having someone put up money for another poker player to use. That's attorney uh, Mac Verstandig, who does a lot of uh, lawsuits for people involved with poker. I've talked about him a lot. So he's in this video. Normally to enter a poker tournament. I did sell some pieces to some friends just to uh, to give them sweats. That's uh, John Sin talking about how he didn't keep his whole... uh, World Series of Poker main event score that he had sold pieces. Pretty much everybody I know that is in poker. I'm not sure who this guy is. They keep quoting. I don't know who this guy is. Or is staked full time. I, I really don't know anybody who, who doesn't do it once in a while. Yeah. yeah. So this guy's saying he he knows like nobody who plays tournaments and isn't selling action or is staked full time. I wouldn't go that far, but there are a lot of people who are selling action in some way or trading action. And look, I I am. <laughs> Every year I sell action to you guys. And and I do it because I want to control the variance. Especially I do it because there's I'm not a regular tournament player, so I, I don't want those few tournaments to take a big bite out of me if I get beat. 
Backing and staking are the financial lifeblood of tournament poker. For years, it took place between poker professionals. But today, entrepreneurial players hope to open it to the world. We wanted to make it really simple for both the pros, the players, and the people, the fans, to get in on some action or sell some action, whatever side you're on. With more access comes regulation and uncertainty. It was an investigation trying to figure out this business model. From fans to amateurs to pros, staking is the most common method of success and survival in poker. This is the business of poker staking, and it's showing these like cheap-looking chips hitting the felt. They always use cheap-looking chips on TV. I don't know why nobody can buy like nice chips for these broadcasts. Obligatory shot of Las Vegas trip for a living is incredibly tricky. A lot of people come out to Las Vegas with absolutely bright-eyed dreams. And leave on a Greyhound bus not that many years That's later. That's Mac versus again. Come to pass. The amount of variance involved in, in tournaments is astronomical. It's it's honestly, it's worse than the stock market to a very significant degree. So a lot of professional poker players sit back and say, okay, I know I can make money if I enter as many poker tournaments as possible because the law of large numbers is then on my side. And having the financial wherewithal to withstand that can be difficult. Whether online or at a casino, players must put up a buy-in, the minimum amount to sit at a table. Okay, so you guys all know that part. I'm going to skip ahead. You can watch this on YouTube. It's called it's called Who Makes Money from Professional Poker. Just search for that. Uh, but if you watch this, you're going to see something interesting, and that is that they start talking about a site called Ustake. Now, Ustake, if you remember, is a site that Calwatt, former poker fraud alert radio host uh, worked on and in fact uh, he merged his uh, or not merged his, Tasty Steaks was actually owned by Ustake at one point he created Tasty Steaks which is a free site still is and Ustake bought it and also bought him to uh, work on it and he had some kind of out clause. I forgot what it was, but if they, if they don't get to a certain point or do certain things, then he gets to get out, and, and he did. And he talked about that on this show. So Ustake ran into some trouble where they – because you see, Tasty Steaks, you just – they don't make any money. Tasty Steaks, you just uh, list your package on there, and all the financial transactions are between the person listing it for free and the people buying pieces of them. And Tasty Steaks doesn't get involved. They don't make a penny. They don't they don't have any involvement in any of this. They're just a, a site where people basically find each other who want to buy pieces and sell pieces. So they, they have no legal liability. But Ustake – they were running into some legal issues because this could be interpreted as like selling stock and uh, there were some issues with them running afoul of the Security and Exchange Commission. And so so Ustake gets covered in this and it starts to sound like, and some people are suspecting, that this is actually a paid or partially paid advertorial for Ustake. And that's why... Uh, people who were involved in, in Ustake are in this as, as are people like Mac Verstandig who uh, who helped defend them. Player and usually for a markup, think of it as a service fee. If the player wins or catches, talking it, about markup here. I'm gonna sk- skip that. You guys all understand that. Cannoli and I had I think five other guys who we bought. We split up a piece with. Um, and it, I just remember when he made that final table. It, it was so exciting because like guaranteed a million. 
I had around 15%. You're talking about a $1,500 investment roughly, who's guaranteed a million now. It was, it was very, very fun. Alternately, a player can agree to a long-term backing deal, which means a backer or the investor fronts all of the money for the games a player enters. Revenue is split 50-50. Lisa Costello is part of a stable or a group of poker players backed by one or more people. Each poker player in the stable is called a horse. At this point in time, I have been playing <laughs> full-time for about a year. I don't know who she is, Lisa Costello. Let's speed this up here. They're just explaining poker staking here. Let's get to the legal part. That's what I want to play here. If a cult as it can be to turn a profit in poker, backing arrangements do pay off. Under them, I've probably cashed for $2.5 million. It's Ryan LaPlante. I've had a bracelet. Four World Series of Poker final tables. I've won hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars online. The last two and a half years alone, I'm probably profiting around a million dollars, pure profit, the tables. So it's been a very good, you know, deal for both of us. If I had the opportunity, I don't think it mattered um, how much I made in poker. I would love to always be staked. For other so you can tell this is really putting staking in a positive light, both for the stakers and for the people who are getting staked. You even had that Lisa Casella saying, no matter how much I made, I'd still want to be backed. Anywhere from 50000 to 200000 invested at once, so the players will be holding that amount of money, or even more of that will be in makeup. An agreement can end at any time. However... Yeah, they're still discussing the, the specifics of staking. Let's get past. I'm trying to find the legal thing here that happened. It's towards the end here, I believe. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Can't do all, but um, I can tell you that we've got uh, well over 14 safely and securely and transparently. Right. Right. So let me go a little bit further dollars back. in buying and selling action. In 2018, we sold a total of six million dollars in total action that we sold on our platform and we'll usually take around a 10 percent transaction fee some of those are promotional packages where we won't take any fee at all we'll take five percent fees so our revenue overall is going to be between that you know they're discussing that you stake here thousand in revenue on the six million in sales there's also you stake founded in october oh, sorry, I was, this is you stake he was talking about something else before that i'm not sure what he was talking about 2013 it takes an open approach you stake is a online platform that allows fans from across the world to go ahead and back poker players. And it's for any poker player. We don't just have pros. We have pros, we have semi-pros, we have recreational players. So it basically gives anybody a chance to try to raise money to play in events. It's really allowing folks to safely and securely and transparently back somebody and know what's happening and know they're going to get paid. Backers and players come from 109 different countries. Despite a smaller user base, Ustake also attracts top players to sell action, including Greg Raymer, Todd Brunson, Phil Helmuth, Johnny Chan, and Mike Matisau. I can give some numbers. It's a private company, so I can't do all, but um, I can tell you that we've got uh, well over 14,000 users on our system today. We've been growing that about uh, 4x year over year. Our revenue has been going up. We've been pretty much doubling uh, almost every year. Staking may not have been new for the poker community, but it was for the mainstream. And with any new concept, problems can arise. Not long after I became general counsel to use stake, 
and we were taking care to sort of button up all of its affairs and make sure everything was squeaky clean in case prying eyes ever looked at its books. We discovered that prying eyes were, in fact, going to be looking at its books. Eustake received a subpoena from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, which had launched an investigation into its activities. It was a... So so we're going to hear about their legal problems, which we talked about before on this show, but... You notice there's a lot of talk with this Eustake, and they were saying which these big names that are on the site. It, I, I can understand the suspicion some people have that it does seem like somewhat of an advertorial for Eustake and this other site. I don't know which one it was that the other guy was talking about, but may, maybe they paid into this for coverage. This this seems a little too specific to certain sites without it being as newsworthy as it should be. Like I can see mentioning them, like Eustake and whatever else are, are are doing this and quickly showing them, but there's a lot of detail on these, almost like it is advertising them, and it, that wouldn't surprise me if that's going on here. Investigation by the SEC into Eustake and the business. And the SEC was basically looking into whether or not Eustake was involved in the purchase and sale of securities, because people are buying pieces of poker players and those poker players are going to go make or lose money for their backer based on what happens in a game. Up to that point, we had gotten quite a bit of press, so I don't know if that's what draw their attention to it. Eustake was ready for this scrutiny because it was a squeaky clean operation that was doing everything above board. So the first thing we did was assess the scope of the subpoena, produce documents, and every time the SEC said jump, we said how high. We turned over... I believe tens of thousands of pages of documents. Long story short, it took forever. So then we finally said, you know what? You know, there's a couple outcomes that come from this. So let us put an application in to FINRA, and FINRA being the licensing arm, basically, of the SEC. It's a financial industry uh, regulatory, uh, what is the A? Authority, that's right. Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. So we put an application in for a crowdfunding license. And I get a phone call from FINRA a couple weeks later saying, please withdraw your application. And my jaw sort of hits the ground. I don't really know why they do this. And I press the guy and I said, why? He says, well, it's not really a security. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, that's strange. So <laughs> look at the guy from FINRA on the phone. I say, hold on one second. Call my associate. Tell her to come into the room. And I say, sir, please repeat that. And he says, we don't think it's a security because you can't fill out a balance sheet. And that's true. You're not buying and selling a piece of an entity. A poker player doesn't have a balance sheet. A poker player cannot go on the New York Stock Exchange, right? Like if a poker player had to list his or her assets, we're pretty much talking about kidneys and other vital organs, which I'm fairly confident you can't sell in the United States anyway. To show good faith, we went dark. The site was still there, people could still post, but we did no overt advertising at all. No social, nothing. We just went quiet. Eustake wasn't getting answers in a timely fashion and losing money. That's when their attorney made a decision that was unprecedented. I said, all right, we want to bring an end to this. Let's file a lawsuit against the SEC seeking a declaratory judgment, which is a judicial decree, basically, that staking is not the purchase or sale of a security. And I think this caught a lot of people off guard because it's always the SEC that's going out and suing someone. We started going through that process, and that's when the SEC came back and said, no, it's okay. We're dropping everything. You're good to go. And we reached an agreement that we would dismiss the case, so no precedent was made. Investigation's over. 
And it is the SEC's stated position, as sought in discovery in federal court, that Ustake was not dealing in securities. So that's interesting. In fact, I didn't follow this. I didn't know this. But yeah, it looked like they ended on both ends. They they filed a, they they used the strategy of the best defense is a good offense, and they sued the SEC. And the SEC said, "Oh, you know what? Uh, we're just going to drop it. We're we're done investigating you. And, uh, no issue anymore. Goodbye. Just forget this whole thing. And uh, it, only though if you if you drop it on your end, you drop it on your end, we're going to drop the investigation." And they did. And they did this as he said. They didn't want to set a precedent by any kind of uh, decision. This was uh, just dropping. So it's not that uh, they beat the SEC. The SEC is uh, just withdrew the whole thing, and they withdrew their lawsuit also. So this way they they can't point to that they beat the SEC in a lawsuit about this, but just that both sides are walking away as if this all never happened. So that's... Uh, From the year before to the year we went dark, we dropped 2x in revenue. From the time we went back live... Up, we went up 5x from the year that we were dark. It had a massive effect on us, absolutely. There's no judicial decree saying we won, but we won. The dream of playing poker professionally and taking home stacks of money on live TV draws many to Las Vegas. And staking is one way to ensure you never lose all of your chips. I think you can run much higher edges in, in buying pieces and action and people than you can in pretty much any other industry when it comes to investing and buying action. Real estate, you name it. I think poker runs some of the highest edges. <laughs> Come on, Ryan. Come on. It, it, it has higher edges in real est- than real estate or any other industry? In poker staking? No. It, it, it doesn't, actually. There's a lot of risk in this. And the rewards are all over the place. There's tons of variance. Uh, there's tons of ways to lose. The horse who's good at the moment could just be running well or could have a play style that doesn't translate well or, or could have a kind of a loss in confidence when he goes through a dry spell. And someone who's – you've seen it in poker. Someone who's great today isn't very good next year or the year after that. And not just from bad luck, just that something changes about them, something – the game changes and they don't. There's a lot of ways that people change in, in their value in these tournaments. And sometimes it's just there's people who are succeeding thanks to dumb luck and aren't that good. And their temporary success has masked that. And eventually time shows the truth. So you can't say that. And staking, the problem is that you're putting up a lot of money and only getting a portion of it back. So you're putting up all the money. You're, you're getting only a portion back. So the person has to be a consistent winner or, or uh, you're going to lose. And that's the problem here. You're getting only a piece of the profits, but you're taking all the risks. And this is only good if you have someone who is going to be a long-term winner. And it's much easier said than done. So I'm not saying that you can't make money backing or staking. But it's, it's a lot harder than what Ryan's saying. It doesn't have higher edges than real estate and other industries. If you're careful in something like real estate... Uh, your chance of losing money is not that high. You you have to have enough capital to invest in it, and you have to make some good decisions, and you have to be careful not to buy on bubbles. So if you're going to be investing in real estate when things have uh, 
shot up and the property values don't make any sense, you're taking a risk and there may be a crash. But uh, but look, even even if you if you held on in real estate after it crashed in 08, the property values are back above right now what they were on the bubble in a lot of places, even adjusted for inflation. It's 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 past where it was uh, when it crashed in some places already. Now the, the hardest hit ones aren't yet, but then uh, that was the worst crash that we've seen in a very long time. So that's to say that the, the edges are higher than real estate in any other industry is not true. This is still an unproven way to consistently make money, and there's a lot of risk and variance to it. It's kind of a weird video. They're just. It seems like they're really trying hard to promote U-Stake and uh, whatever this other... What was this other one here? Um, I'm not even sure. Uh, let's see. Stake Kings has close to 50,000... Oh, Stake Kings, that's right. So, it looks like almost a dual advertorial between Stake Kings and Ustake. Like they both put money into this and CNBC covered it and first did a whole primer on what staking is and how it works. They did a good job explaining it. And then they get to these individual companies and then at the end of this, you're like, okay, cool. I want to I buy a piece of one of these guys. And then you go to Stake Kings or you go to Ustake and you buy a piece. Pretty sweet. If, if, if they didn't pay to be on this, then they got a sweet deal because this really is like a free advertisement. To those that uh, accused them of this, I, I understand it. I understand why this is very suspicious. And this is kind of the future of advertising, is advertising in ways that don't appear to be ads. That's why these Instagram models make so much money, by backdoor promotion of products. You just see an Instagram model using a certain product and because you respect them, I don't know why, but because you respect them, uh, you want to use that product too without them directly advertising it to you. So here you're learning about poker staking. You're learning about how great it is and how much potential for profit there is and how high the edges are. And then you're directed to one of these two companies to do it. So I really wouldn't be surprised if they paid CNBC for this. So if you want to learn about uh, staking or about these two companies, you can watch it. But that looks like an advertorial to me. A cleverly placed one, but an advertorial nonetheless. Okay, moving on here past our bonus topic. Where are we? I know we have some more topics to do. It's 2.30 a.m., damn it. Okay, yeah, we're going to talk about the resort fees on Booking.com, an interesting development which could end up affecting resort fees in the future. We'll see if this is the beginning of the downfall of resort fees. As I have said many times, resort fees are not what they appear to be. Resort fees, in reality are just the standard hotel rate, chopped off of the standard hotel rate, and hidden. So if they were going to charge $120 a night for the room, 
they change the room to $90 a night and charge you a $30 resort fee. You're paying the same $120. The problem with it is that it's not properly disclosed to you. It's hidden in the fine print. And uh, when you do searches online, you see such and such hotel for $90 a night. You say, oh, sweet, what a great price. And then when you get there, you realize it was another 30 on top of that that you have to pay, which they buried in the fine print. They have to put it somewhere. If they don't list the, the 30 anywhere when you're booking, then you're not responsible for it. But they always do. They know that by now. And even if you, you understand that, even if you find somewhere in the fine print that it's another 30, you, you don't find that out until you get all the way near the end of the booking process and you, you kind of don't feel like backing out and searching for another hotel at that point, especially because they all have resort fees. So this has been a trick in the hotel industry to make themselves appear cheaper than they are and get uh, more bookings than they otherwise would. And every hotel does it, otherwise they don't sell, they don't appear uh, well, I shouldn't say every hotel. In certain places, like Vegas, almost every hotel does it, because if they don't, then the competition does it, and then they fall behind the competition in these uh, search engines online. So they all kind of feel like they have to. In, in some other cities, there aren't resort fees, but they're, they're becoming more and more common, as I'm sure you guys know. And it, it, it's, it's, it's a trick. It shouldn't be allowed. They should just have to list the price, and that's it. There shouldn't be quote, resort fees if they are mandatory. Any mandatory... Uh, price that you have to pay to the hotel should be disclosed very clearly when you're searching. It should be added up and provided to you. The only thing I can see leaving out is the government tax because at least the hotel is not benefiting from it and every hotel has to pay the exact same percentage of tax. Uh, and, and so that doesn't give anyone a competitive advantage over anybody else. And uh, And people expect there's going to be tax. And that's set by the municipality, not by the hotels. So resort fees are crap. They they are not making your hotels more expensive. They are just misleading you. That's important to understand. Some people think they're they're paying a thirty dollar resort fee. That means they're paying thirty dollars extra for the room. No, they're actually lopping that thirty dollars off the price of the room and moving it to the resort fee. The only problem is the lack of disclosure and the trickery. But there's one other way that they've been gaining from the resort fees that you may not be thinking about that doesn't directly affect you, and that is the commission. When you use a site like Booking.com or Orbits.com to book a hotel, those sites are actually acting as travel agents. You may not think of them as travel agents, but they are travel agents. And travel agents are entitled to a certain commission. I think usually around 10% or something. But the hotel has to pay a commission to the travel agency for making the booking. This is why hotels have been strongly encouraging you to book directly with them so they don't have to pay any commission to anyone. They, they can't force you to, but they, they strongly press you to do this so they don't have to pay a travel agent to do it. They don't have to pay the commission. The resort fees have been a way around commission, where they're not paying commission on the resort fees because the resort fees are actually paid at the time when you show up to the hotel. and While the base rate for the hotel is paid in advance sometimes, or at least uh, booked in advance, where resort fees are not. You'll have to pay them once you get there, but they're not officially part of the advance booking. So hotels have not been paying any commission on resort fees. Well, if you think about it, that means they're screwing the travel agents because it is part of the base hotel rate. It's just chopped off and moved elsewhere. 
So that's a bunch of crap, and they've been screwing the booking agencies for all this time. Now, it actually, since resort fees have been around for almost 15 years, they're now in, in these contracts with, with sites like Booking.com, there are agreements that the hotels will have to pay resort fee, uh, the commission on resort fees, but until now, nobody was enforcing it. So nobody's been paying it. Hotels just haven't been paying it, and these sites like Booking.com and Orbitz and all them, they, they have not been asking for it. It was technically in the contract, but they were not enforcing it. They were just letting it go. Booking.com decided enough is enough. Since this is not going to affect their competitive edge, since the, this is not something being paid by the, the, the consumer, this is not being paid by the, the guest at the hotel, this is a matter between the travel agencies and the hotels, Booking.com says, no more. You're not ripping us off anymore. We are going to charge you commission on resort fees going forward. The same way as we would charge commission for the base hotel fees. And if you don't like it, tough luck. It's in our contract and we're tired of getting screwed. And you're going to be paying that to us. And that's it. The jig is up. So Booking.com has been notifying hotels that they're going to start charging them commissions on resort fees. And if they have charges for Wi-Fi or other essential services, that they're going to start charging commission for those too. I don't know how they're going to manage the Wi-Fi part because not everybody would pay for that. The resort fee is a required fee. I don't understand how they're... going to charge for something that people may or may not buy. But um, it's possible they're doing this so they don't like do something like, well, we're going to eliminate the resort fee, but it's a $30 fee for Wi-Fi and just assume that most people are going to get it. So it it looks like there's certain things that they assume could replace resort fees and they're already trying to prevent that. And uh, But they're going to start doing this, and there's no other major travel agency, online or other, that has been forcing hotels to pay commission on resort fees until now. So if this catches on, if Orbitz and the other ones start doing this as well, this is going to take away one of the incentives that hotels have for charging resort fees. And the way this could destroy resort fees for good is that with this gone, with the commission avoidance gone, the only remaining benefit to a resort fee is that people will book believing the price to be lower until they find out later into the booking or maybe even when they get there that there's this resort fee. But this would not be necessary if everybody were to just stop charging resort fees. The only reason a lot of them are doing it is to keep up with the other hotels who are doing it. They don't want to fall behind in the search engines by price. They don't want to be listed as the $120 hotel, which is more expensive than the $90 hotel. If the $90 hotel is really $90 plus a $30 resort fee, they're really charging the same thing, and they look like they're more expensive. That's what they don't want. But if, if, if basically the industry, the hotel industry decides, well, look, now that we're going to have to pay commission on this, let's screw it. How about just all of us stop doing it? And they kind of come to an agreement they're all going to stop doing it. Then this could be the end of it. 
like the industry itself could decide we're gonna we're gonna be done with the resort fees and we're gonna that this is gonna be over. Because before this, with, with this commission avoidance, this was a source of I shouldn't say revenue, but it was a source of an actual reduction of a hard expense, and that is commission. They actually were paying substantially less commission to these travel agencies, money out of their pockets. They were paying less of that thanks to the resort fees. But if that goes away, if they're forced to pay the same thing either way, whether they have resort fee or don't, then a a major benefit is gone. And if it's just a matter of tricking the consumer, they may not want to because there's a downside of tricking the consumer, and that is the consumer is getting pissed off. People hate resort fees. It's a hassle with the staff having to constantly argue with guests about this. If you talk to someone at a hotel with a resort fee who works there, ask them how many times people argue about this and how many heated, angry arguments they've had to have with people about them. I've watched it. I've watched it at Caesars properties where people come up and go, what? I didn't know about this. This is insane. $40 for a resort fee per night? What the hell is this? I didn't agree to this. And they, they say, argue, argue, argue. I saw this price. I didn't know it's plus $40. I mean, you better take this off. No, sorry, sir, we can't. You better take this off. I mean, I see these heated arguments, which they must have to deal with day after day after day, guest after guest after guest. It must be so stressful for the front desk staff. I actually feel sorry for them having to deal with these resort fees. And at some point, the hotels may say, well, we're not saving money from it anymore, and, and, and tricking the hotel guest isn't worth it because of the bad will we're creating and the hassle we're creating for our employees, so screw it, let's just do away with this concept. And I'm hoping that's where it goes, because resort fees are basically a big scam. And they're meant to mislead the consumer. And anything that's meant to mislead the consumer is a terrible thing. And I hope it goes away. Good for you, booking.com. And the best thing is this won't even affect anybody directly or indirectly who stays at a hotel. They're not going to, you know, hotels are not going to raise prices because of this. Uh, you're not going to be charged any additional fees. This is just a way that the hotels have been screwing the travel agencies and booking.com is closing the door on that saying, no more. You're not doing that anymore. And I can picture that other companies may follow. So good for them. Well, with World Series of Poker coming up, I may have some unfortunate stories, some tournament heartbreaks. And I definitely had some, my share of them, over my poker career, even though I'm not a regular poker tournament player. I've definitely had some heartbreaks that have been very frustrating. So I'm going to tell you about them, and... I think I have seven of them that I've uh, prepared to discuss. won't take too long on any of them, especially because I want to get this show over with. It's 2.41 a.m. But here are my... Actually, eight, not seven. Here are my eight biggest tournament heartbreaks in my poker career. These are the most soul-crushing hands or situations that I've had to deal with in tournament poker. And each time, I have to tell you, I walked away feeling awful. I felt like I never wanted to play into the tournament again when these occurred. I, I asked myself, why do I do this? Why do, why do I torture myself this way? Number one, February 2007, the $5,000 WSOP Circuit main event. I've talked about this before on this show. It was at Harris Rincon in northern San Diego County. 
surprisingly tough field. I was told that everybody was at the LAPC at the time and that there there wouldn't be a lot of good players there. I was told incorrectly there were a lot of good players over there. In fact, there were not many fish at all. It was a very tough field, and somehow, despite the fact that I never had a big stack, I was able to survive and get past a lot of people. They were only paying 18 spots, and there were 23 people left. And I even had an okay stack, not a big stack. In fact, I was below average, but I was not a short stack. $11,000, I believe, was the minimum cash there. 11000 10000 something like that. Something low five figures was the minimum cash there at this $5,000 main event at the Harris Rincon. 23 people left. Hundreds of thousands up top. I had nine native diamonds on the button. Shane Schlager. In the cutoff to my direct right, open limped in the cutoff. Never seen him do that before. Usually a very aggressive player. Open limping in the cutoff. So what the hell is this? And I, I thought, you know what? He, I just can't see him doing this with aces. I mean, that's just, if he limp re-raises from here, it's going to look too obvious. People are going to dump it. Like I, In the cutoff, I, I just couldn't understand the limp. It was weird. It was the only weird thing I ever saw him do. So he limped. I go, well, I mean, maybe I can just take it here. So I... I, I Three bet him, or sorry, I didn't three bet. I, I raised to nine with nine eight of diamonds on the button, and small blind folded. The short stacked Gavin Smith called in the big blind. Shane called, so it was no limpery raise here. I had nine eight of diamonds, and the flop came all diamonds. Amazing. I was thinking, wow, if I can get action here and fade any kind of bad beat, I am going to have a nice deck. Check to me, I bet, and they both called super quickly. So I think, okay, they probably both have diamonds. Or maybe they've got diamonds and some kind of pair. Surprised that Gavin wasn't just shoving at some point. I'm going, why, why is he not just going all in if he's got a piece of this? He's got a short stack. If the turn came a diamond, I would have laid it down. I would have only had the nine high single card flush and it in fact, it would have been better for me if it did. But instead, it was an off-suited, non-pairing card, which means it didn't change anything. No way my hand got worse. And the only thing I would be behind at this point would be a higher flush. The card also possibly made some straights, which I hope it did for them. Check to me again. Well, the pot was big enough to where now I had to stick it all in. I couldn't let them draw cheap to these diamonds anymore. Or maybe if they had two pair or something like that. I, whatever it was, I couldn't let them draw cheap to beat me. So I had to stick it in. All in, I said. Snap call from Gavin. Immediate snap call. Snap call from Shane. I go, what the heck? What could they have here? How could they have just snapped so fast? Well, Gavin had ace, ten of diamonds. And Shane had queen, four of diamonds. Flush over flush over flush on the flop. Yeah. I think I blew out your ear. I think I played that too loud. Flush over flush over flush on the flop. Can you believe that? Terrible. So that was it. I was gone. I was drawing dead. And I walked away just feeling awful. I couldn't believe it. I was in denial that it was over like that. It's one thing to get it in and they call with the ace high 
flush draw and hit the diamond. But here, the flush over flush over flush on the flop, the only time I'd ever seen that in my life, not just hands I'm in, but hands anyone was in at my table. I've never seen anyone. I've never seen it flush over flush over flush on the flop situation prior to that, nor since. And I have to be on the wrong end of it, and it has to be at a 5K event near the bubble. Terrible. Also in 2007, number two, the WSOP 1K with rebuys. This was a memorable event for several reasons. Daniel Negreanu was said to have bought in 48 times without cashing. 48 times. And also, money was reportedly stolen from the prize pool by WSOP floormen because you could rebuy an add-on there and there was no record of you doing it. They would just take the cash and hand you the chips and they just were uh, allegedly taking chips, uh, uh, just pocketing some of the money and explaining the difference in chips by color-ups. So, uh, pretty bad. This was also going to be a TV final table. And they were going to televise the final table once it got down to nine, even though they consolidate to one table with ten left. Full Tilt, which had not been disgraced yet, which they would be four years later, but Full Tilt agreed to pay me $15,000 to wear their hat on TV if I made the final table, plus bonuses if I got deeper. Why did they agree to this with me? Because there were ten people left, and I was one of the ten. Shane Schlager was actually there, too. He was part of both stories, but he he was not part of the hand I'm about to tell you about. A player named Barry Kales from Hawaii was in the small blind. He was a recreational player. Me and him were the two shortest stacks. Neither of us were, like, really short. We were just the shortest two, and we were kind of short. He was in the small, I was in the big. It folded to him, and he raised. I looked down and saw red pocket queens. I three-bet him. He went all in. I called. It was you know, That part played itself. He had ace-king of clubs. So this part, very standard. We're going to get the money in every time like that with the two stacks we had. We had almost identical stacks. He had me covered by the tiniest bit. He had such a tiny bit less than me that had he... And they, they had just counted the stacks when we sat at the table, so I knew exactly how much he had, so we didn't have to count it out. Uh, but I knew, had he lost the hand to me, he would have been so crippled, it would have been just about impossible to come back. So I would have just, just about have been assured of making the final table. So he had ace-king suited, I had queens, we do our race, and flop, all blanks, and he's not even, uh, he, there's one club on the flop, other than that it was safe, no ace or king. No straight draw for him. Turn now makes it impossible for him. He doesn't have to get a second club on the turn, so now he can't make a flush. Only thing I've got to fade on the river is an ace or king. And an ace of spades hits the river. Just like Barry Greenstein's book, Ace on the River, the Ace of Spades, that's what it was. The Ace of Spades on the river, and I was gone. I walked away. I threw my hat down in disgust and then briskly walked out of the room without saying a word to anyone. I didn't even collect my 23000 that I cashed there. I just walked out quickly and figured I'll come back later to get the money. At the televised final table, the play was unexpectedly crazy. People were just going off. I don't know why. People were just going crazy at that final table. Several people with large stacks melted down and just fell off. Barry Kales, he just kind of sat there and watched everybody just throw away their chips and finish third despite the fact that he barely played a hand. He got 235k. I only got 23. All thanks to an ace on the river. 
I also only bought in once. No rebuy, no add-on for me. July 2006, let's go back further in time. Day two of the Limit Hold'em shootout at the World Series of Poker. I'd easily won my first table on day one. Day two is now the second table. Nine people, just like the first day. I was doing pretty well, but there is a fairly unknown at the time East Coast player who was doing even better, named Rep Porter. Nobody, I shouldn't say nobody knew who he was, but he was not that well known in July 2006. We got down to heads up, and Rep was leading about 60 to 40 percentage chips. So he, he did go into heads up play with me with an advantage, but not a big one. Whoever won this would go on to a six-handed final table the next day. The other people were, I believe, already determined. I think we were. I think we were the last two to be playing. And aside from Tom Schneider, the donkey bomber, who is not even really a limit hold'em player for the most part, aside from him, the other four were unknown. So it was going to be me or Rep against four unknowns and Tom Schneider. That was a great spot for us at six-handed limit hold'em. Both of us being uh, very good limit hold'em players. Well, I started off well against Rep, and I, I ground him down to a short stack. Not a tiny stack, but kind of a, a shorter stack to where if he lost a substantial hand, that he was going to be in huge trouble. I'm on the button. I look down and see pocket queens. So I raise, he three bets, I four bet, he called. Remember, this is limit hold'em, so there are no amounts to three bet, no going all in, just raising fixed amounts. So four bets uh, by me on the uh, pre-flop, he calls. Flop comes all low, he check raises me. I'm not deterred. I had seen from his style that he likes to try to check-raise boards that look bad for the raiser, like a, a rag board. He likes to check-raise it and hope you have ace-king and you're going to lay it down. So I wasn't even that worried that he hit this flop. I three-bet him and he called. Turn came a jack. He check-raised me again. Now, what if he's slow-playing playing a set? What if yeah, There's a lot of way. What if he had aces? What if he had kings? What if he hit something with a jack that made him a two-pair? Well, looking at the texture of the board and seeing his play before, and just I just had the feeling that he check-raised me with crap, that he check-raised me with king-jack or ace-jack, and that the jack hit him after he was bluffing, and that he thought he now had the best hand with that jack hitting. That's really what I thought. So I three-bet him. I'm thinking, please don't four-bet me, please don't four-bet me. Well, he called, so I go, okay, if I'm three-betting him here, and he doesn't have, he's not four-betting me, he probably does not have two pair or better. So I thought it was a very good chance, very, very good chance that I made the right decision, and I'm ahead of him. Pot's already getting pretty big, as you might guess. He called, as I said, and uh, I put him on ace-jack or king-jack at that time. So I'm like, please, no ace or king on the river. No ace or king on the river. The river comes a king. And he fires out. And my heart just sunk. I go, no! <laughs> He's got freaking King Jack! And he check-raised the flop with nothing, hit the turn and check-raised, and I three-bet him again. And now he gets the freaking King on the river, and he's firing out because he's afraid I'm going to check back, which I would have. So I made the crying call, and sure enough, he showed King Jack. Had that king not fallen, he definitely would have called the river. And if he didn't get the king or jack on the river, he would have called and he would have been crippled. He was really down to almost nothing. 
oddly enough, I wish I still had the picture, but someone took a picture of the event just just as it was a photographer, like an independent photographer. He took a picture of the event like moments before this happened, so you could see how few chips he had in front of him. I saw this afterwards, like, oh my god, look what he was down to. There's just about no way he would have won. He would have been so crippled, and I would have gone on to that six-handed final table with four nobodies and Tom Schneider. Instead, he went on to win just about every hand after that. So he won that huge pot and then won like just about every hand after that, and I was gone. Number five, or number four, sorry, number four. 2010 World Series of Poker, main event. 91 players left, and I was one of them. And the reality of the situation was starting to sink in that I was just 90 players away from being the main event champion, taking home $9 million, and even getting $1 million from poker stars for wearing their gear because I had a contract with them that if I won the main event wearing their hat, that they were going to reward me with $100 billion. No, but, uh, $1 million they're going to give me for winning the main event, wearing their hat, and, and a lot of other money they would have given me along the way. I even got $7,500 uh, right off the bat just for uh, signing the contract. So it would have been $10 bucks to me right there for winning that main event just 90 players away. But I had only about half of average stack, so I had to improve my stack a bit. I had been short much before, not just now with a half average stack, but I had been short before, but doubled to about average once against this European guy named Nicholas Torell, who was from uh, from Sweden. That's Switzerland, from Sweden, and he he gave off so many tells. At first, I thought, no, you know this. this this guy's got to be giving false tells to screw with me. No, this is really, it turned out to be his first live tournament. He was only an online player and he, boy, he gave off tells this guy. And I noticed that in a previous hand, like he gave off tells. I caught them. I, I put in a lot of action against him and I was right with the tells and I, I, I doubled up and got myself to average. Then I lost some hands. So I was back to like half of average. Well, I'm facing him again. I'm under the gun. I raised the Queens. An aggressive young guy to my left uh, three bets me, but I'm thinking, okay, this guy, I've seen him three bet with a lot of crap, so I, I wasn't that worried Queens was behind. Uh, but then it got to Nicholas Terrell on the button, the tell box there, and he looks very unhappy. And not like he's making, not like he's trying to give false tells or trying to confuse me. He looked really unhappy and confused, like, he wanted to play the hand, but he wasn't sure if he should, but he couldn't bring himself to fold. He totally had that look going on. Could tell it was not an act. Finally, he goes all in. I go, this guy doesn't have kings or aces, or he's not going to act like this. This guy, this guy had to have noticed, you know, I, I raise, and, and this kid to my left three bets me, who, who's coming in so many hands. He can't, he, he's got to be thrilled to pick up kings or aces here. There's no way this is making him so unhappy. He's got to have queens. You know, the other queens, jacks, or ace-king. It's got to be one of these three. So I go, wait a minute, how can I lay this down? As much as I don't want to like race this out, I- I'm half of average. I need to get some chips here. And if, if, if someone's going all in on me, who I'm sure does not have kings or aces, and I'm holding queens, how can I pass this up? Now, had I known he was, if, if, if he, if, you know, let's say someone said he has ace-king, and I knew for sure, then I probably wouldn't race it out just because uh, I, I don't want to, race my tournament life off in that spot in the main event with 90 people. But, but you know, let's, uh, he could have easily had jacks. 
So I could either be a slight favorite with queens. I could be a huge favorite against jacks. Or I could be a slight favorite against the ace-king, that is. If he has queens, we're pretty much chopping. And against jacks, I'm crushing him. But I know he doesn't have kings or aces. I just know it. So I said, okay, I've got to call the all-in, even though we had about the same stack. He had a tiny bit less than me. So I called. He has ace-king. Well, just like the other story with ace-king against queens, it didn't go well for me, except it wasn't on the river. Right on the flop, the ace... And that was all she wrote. I was crippled. I was going to need a miracle to survive. It took a few hands to do it. But I busted with Ace-9. I think it was against David Benjamin. I busted with Ace-9. And the only small bright side was the 91 players that were left turned to 88 players. I went out 88th place. And that was another pay jump, which is, I think, like seven or 8000 bucks. So I, I ended up cashing 80K there instead of, like, 72K. That was the, the one bright side was that I didn't completely bust against him, so I was able to survive a few more hands and three players fell off in that time. But still very disappointing. That was my only deep run ever in the main event. Number five. The main event 2013. Now, I think I played the 2010 version very well, but I think I played the 2013 event even better. I had mediocre cards most of the time, but I read every hand in every situation so well that I, I was betting people off when they when I had nothing, when I could tell they didn't have it, and I was folding a lot of uh, big hands when I knew they had me. I was making all the right decisions, and I, I came into day three, and uh, I had an, uh, an okay stack. At one point on day three, which was actually a pretty tough table I got, I had an opponent really upset when someone raised early who was fairly tight. I three-bet that person. And then another guy four-bets. Not even that big. Kind of like a moderate-sized four-bet. Not a tiny four-bet, but a moderate-sized four-bet. And I had ace-king. So I thought about it. and you know, It came back to me. The original raiser folded. It came back to me. And I tossed the ace-king. I didn't show ace-king, but the... Uh, the guy looks so unhappy who forbet. He looks so unhappy. And I could tell he must have had aces. And he's like, you weren't doing that with nothing, were you? You, you He kept asking me, you weren't doing that with nothing. You, you weren't just like the three-betting that guy. I mean, I, I can't see you three-betting that guy. I haven't seen you do something like that. Like the, you, he's, like, he's actually saying this out loud the day. We're like, this guy, you know, I, I don't see you just three-betting with crap there. Like, you had to have had a hand. How did you lay that down so fast? You know, what, what could you have had there that you laid down so fast? He, the guy was so upset. I could tell that he was annoyed that he four-bet with aces and that he got no action even pre-flop. Well, we go to a break, and we're in the same elevator. It just so happens to be in the Rio. And he tells me that he had aces and how upset he is. And he says, am I that obvious? Am I like, uh, do I just give off a million tells? What's my problem? How did you lay that down? You must have had something good. How did you do it? How did Like, he was so upset about it. It just made me feel so good that, that I made a good lay down with ace-king against aces. Didn't even see the flop. Didn't even want to see the flop. I just, I knew it. I knew he had aces. I just, I felt like I was reading everybody perfect. Unfortunately, I stopped winning hands. I was just missing everything. So my stack was dwindling down, and we're, we're getting pretty close to the money, but my stack's dwindling down. Well, a guy limped in middle position. Different guy now. A guy fairly new to the table, but he limps, uh, limps in middle position. Open limps in middle position. 
No limper after him. I look down, I've, I've got ace-king. Well, at this point, uh, I'm short enough stacked or I've got to go in with it. Because even if they just fold out, that's great for me. I take the two limps and the blinds, and I really need it at this point. I wasn't so short where ace-king shoving was obvious. There was I could have just raised. I forgot how many big blinds I had, but uh, it was kind of marginal whether I shove or or, uh, or whether I just uh, raise them. But I figured with two limpers, I have to do it. If it was if it was one limper, I would have just raised. But since it was two limpers, I shoved. Well, the first limper snap called. Just instantly called when it came back to him. And that was not very good. I'm sure you know what he had. The other guy folded. The snap calling limper had pocket aces. Ace king against pocket aces is 5%. I did not hit that 5% win. And I was out. Obviously not a bad beat. But I was so upset about this. Because all those days, those three long days of hard work down the drain in one hand. So many hands where I did the exact right thing and read everybody perfectly and figured out when I should put the money in and when I shouldn't and when I should steal the pot and when I should give up with a good hand where I think I'm beat and turned out to be right every time and patting myself on the back for getting as far as I did with mediocre cards and all of that and it just had to come down that way. I thought to myself, why couldn't there have just been one limper instead of two? Then I would have raised, he would have limp re-raised me, and I would have tossed the ace-king. Or, you know, there, there's so many different ways that, that I could have gotten out of this without losing all my chips. It just had to be that uh, it was these two limpers, the first of which had aces, and I go all in. The only way I was going to go all in with two limpers, not not be, not because of uh, one limper. And it was all gone, and everything I had done was gone, and I was so upset. So I walked away in like shock. I can't believe it's over. Like I can't believe this is just it. That's it. Everything I've done is is is, is the waste of time, and ten thousand dollars. So I walked away, and then. Before I could get out of the room, I felt like a sickness come over me. And it w- this is actually my first ever panic attack. I never had a panic attack in my life before. This is my first ever panic attack. And like, what the hell's wrong with me? Like, I feel like I, to, I can't even walk anymore. So I had to like sit down. So I'm sitting down in, at, at an empty table and security ran over and goes, sir, you can't sit here at an empty table. Like, oh crap. So I, I got up and I, I dragged myself over to like a table that was sitting outside the poker room and I, I sat there. It was like a, a vendor table that had been abandoned because it was late. And I just sat and I had to wait about 10 or 15 minutes till I had the energy to stand up and walk back to my room. I was incredibly upset about this. Incredibly upset. Wasn't a bad beat, obviously, but just incredibly upset the way it came down and that everything I had done just was down the drain because of the way that came down. It's not a bad beat, but very, very heartbreaking. Number six. June 2012, the WSOP 5K 
Limit Hold'em event. I wanted to come to the World Series of Poker earlier than I did that year, but uh, I was having problems uh, finding someone to watch Benjamin while I was gone. His mom was unavailable because she was at work. I had trouble finding someone to watch him. So I could not come to the World Series until I was able to arrange someone watching him, which was uh, not till the middle of June. So I came kind of in the middle of the World Series that year. That was my first event, was the 5K Limit Hold'em event. And I was kind of up and down in that event, but I started doing well in the, at one point and was able to survive through most of the field. They were paying 18 spots. They were still only paying 10% of the field at this point. They were only paying 18 spots. There were 19 19 people left. But I didn't look like I was going to be the bubble boy because I had about an average deck. The blinds were big. I was slightly below average, but the blinds were big. But uh, I I was doing fine, and I I could have easily folded to the money, which was going to be 11K. But I was dealt four premium hands. And I don't mean like aces, but I, I think I got ace-king and pocket nines and ace-queens. I, like I, I there's no way I was going to fold those. Like, it's, it's folded to me, and it's not even a full table here because it's 19 players, so it's like six, six, seven. I think we had six at our table, so like six-handed, I'm going to really uh, fold open-fold ace-queen or nines because I, I'm, I'm trying to make it to the bubble, I and mean, you, can't, you can't play that way. So I said, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to throw away... Uh, chips on crap, but but I'm I'm not gonna I'm gonna play out the the good hands as a, the way I'm supposed to. Well, unfortunately, I lost the first two. Just uh, didn't lose huge pots, but I lost them both. But they weren't like small pots either. Kind of like where uh, I, I hit enough of each where to where I had to stay to the end and lose. And. Uh, then I had Ace Queen on the on the button against Ray Dekargani, who was on the big blind. So I raised. He called the big blind. Small blind had folded. Just the two of us. The flop came regs. He checked. I bet, and he called. And then the turn came a queen. You'd think I go, oh sweet, I've got it now. Well, I had the feeling that Ray was slow playing something. I had. The, I, I I don't even remember. How I got the feeling. I mean, Limit Hold'em, that's usually an auto bet in that spot. But there was something there. I just felt, you know what? I have a feeling I'm behind. I've got top pair, best kicker here against the big blind. I have a feeling I'm behind. I don't know what it was. I had a feeling I was behind. So I checked it. I actually checked it back with the, with the queen hitting the turn being the highest card on the board. And nothing scary like a straighter flush possible. River was some blank. He fired the river. I just called. He flips over two pair that he had flopped. I was very proud of myself for that turn check. He was going to check raise me, and I, I got out of two big bets there by checking behind. Promise I still lost the hand. I was getting very short. Got it all in with ace-king against the six-deuce offsuit in the big blind. A guy who just couldn't give it up. A very loose player who could not give up the six-deuce offsuit in the big blind. Flop came ace-six-two. <laughs> and I didn't improve. And I was the stone bubble boy. Uh, Poker Stars All-Star from Germany, Boomslang, who won a lot of money on there, he came in 20th, also in kind of a crappy way. So 
he saw what happened to me and came up to me and talked about how disappointed he was too and said that uh, we we should go get drunk together. Even though I'm a non-drinker, I almost did. I almost said, yeah, let's do it. But my stomach hurt too much from the being upset about this. And I told him, uh, you know what? My stomach hurts. I can't do it. And I went back to my room. A year later in 2013, coming back to the World Series of Poker, I said, my goal this year is to avenge this bubble where I had almost an average stack and lost all four hands to be the bubble boy. I'm going to final table this event. That was my goal, to final table this event. And that's exactly what I did in 2013, finishing fifth. Number seven, June 2009, the WSOP $1,500 No Limit Hold'em six-handed event. I don't usually enter these, but I entered uh, the six-handed No Limit Hold'em. Pretty tough event. Easily made the money, though. And with 94 people left, I had about an average stack. I had ace 10. I was six-handed. I open-raised. Got... uh, I think either two or three opponents called. Flop came 10-7-3, rainbow. I was in the latest position. It was checked to me. I continuation bet. One of the other opponents went all in, and the other two folded, or other one or two folded. So it was just me and Mr. All-In there, who check-raised me, 10-7-3. Well, I could be against the set. I could be against 10-7, probably not 10-3. Probably not 7-3. Do I lay it down here? I'd have plenty of chips left if I lay it down. It's not like I was short. I was average coming into the hand. Hadn't put that many chips in yet. So I sat there thinking and thinking, and I realized this just seems like he's not ahead of me. Yeah, I guess he could have had sevens or threes, but... Maybe ten seven, but I just I think there's a higher chance that he's got. Um, or sorry, I didn't have ace ten. I had king ten. That's what it was. So I had to worry about ace ten also. That was the other problem. Or was it king? You know what? I I had I had ace ten. I did have ace ten. So if I had a shorter stack, this is a snap call. If I if we both had big stacks, then I'd have to fold this. You can't put a big stack in in this spot unless the person's known to be really wild. But with an average stack with the size the blinds were, it was it was a tough it was just enough chips where I had to make a decision here. So I put it in and hoped I wasn't gonna look stupid with the guy showing me sevens or threes, and he looked so unhappy when I called. And he turned over Queen Ten. And I thought, oh sweet I made the right decision. I made the right decision. I'm still not sure if I had ace-10 or or king-10, but I know he had queen-10. And I knew I was going to have double average when this hand was over with 94 left. He had more chips than I did. I was going to have double average, and I was really looking forward to taking this big stack into the rest of the event. Until a queen hit the turn. No help on the river, and I'm out in 94th place. As I'm walking out, they're holding a bracelet ceremony, and the Star-Spangled Banner is playing. And I tell you, have a moment like that, and then you have the Star-Spangled Banner playing as your for your exit music that's not very fun. 
Similar story, number eight, the Aruba Poker Classic put on by UB. They actually bought me in. This is just as the super user scandal was starting to unfold at AP, not at UB yet, even though it was happening there. Nobody knew it yet. I was given a free seat for this uh, 6K buy-in event. I didn't get many cards, but I was running over the tables because, boy, that was a weak field. They had a lot of recreational players that had won their way in through satellites, and these were not good players. I mean, they ranged between kind of mediocre to awful. I wasn't the best no-limit tournament player then in 2007, but, you know, I was competent enough to get 10th place in that 1K with rebuys, and and here, against these fish, it wasn't all fish, but a lot of fish, I was just crushing them. So, despite getting, like, no cards, I was just stealing enough chips to have a kind of, like, perpetually short-to-average type of stack. I could never get run it up, because I just wasn't winning hands, but I was just keeping myself afloat doing that. We're getting near the money. Uh, one player at my table, by the way, called me the, uh, the on day two, called me the, quote, short big stack, because it, uh, he said I was playing like a big stack, even though I was a short stack. And I was. Well, the oldest guy at the tournament was 76 years old. And he looked like he was 86, and he acted like he was 86. This guy was the stereotypical old man at the poker table. He shook his, his hands shook as he as he bet. He was slow. He was very passive. He was often confused. How he made it this far, I have no idea. But but he was to my direct left. Kind of the best player to have to your direct left, to be honest. Folded to me, ace five offsuit on the button. I raised. He called from the small blind. Big blind folded. It's me versus the old guy. Flop. Queen 5-5. Five, five. Very, very nice for ace-5. He checks. I bet. He goes all in. I go, oh, sweet. I knew he didn't have queens. This guy is not going to slow play queens. I know he's going to have three bet the queens. He's either got queen-5, which I didn't think he had, or he's way behind me with anything else. He doesn't have queens for sure. He doesn't have queen five. Think about it. I've got ace five. What, what can he have that uh, isn't crushed by me? Nothing. So I, I snap called, expected to double up and finally have a decent stack there. He hit king five. Good. I bet you know what hit the turn. The freaking king. No help on the river and I busted there again close to the money for, like, that would have been like $12,000, and I walked away in frustration. A player from the table, I didn't know him, but a, table from the, a player from the table ran up to me and said, uh, hey, I just want to let you know you were the best player at the table by far. You deserved way better than this. So I, that felt so nice to hear, because I, I didn't think I was that good, and I just, um, to hear this, at an, at an, yeah, even though I that same year I had gotten uh, to 10th place, in uh, a no limit event at the World Series, I just felt like uh, I wasn't seen as like the, one of the good players in the no limit events. So to hear this, like a guy actually takes time to come up to me and tells me that I was the best player at the table and deserved to win, like uh, that was, that felt really good. So I thanked him, but it still wasn't much of a consolation. Especially because most of the good players were already out, so there was a really weak field left, and I would have loved to have had some chips to play in that one. So those are my eight most heartbreaking individual poker hands. I've had heartbreaking situations where I've just 
melted off chips when I just lose a bunch of consecutive hands in a row. But uh, aside from that one with the uh, with the limit hold in 5K where I lost four in a row to bubble it, uh, the rest of these were just single hands, and that's what I was trying to focus on for this story. So I hope you enjoyed this depressing segment about uh, tournament poker heartbreaks. Uh, I hope I will not make number nine this year at the World Series of Poker, and I, but I hope if I do, it's at a final table and not uh, not a bubble. I hope it'll at least be an upside to this. Party Poker is coming to Nevada. Part, and that's uh, surprising to me. I don't understand it, but I think they are. Here, here's what's going on. This is something I never expected. GVC Holdings, which owns Party, has requested and received conditional approval from the Nevada Gaming Commission. They put in several applications, but uh, one of them was an application for an interactive gaming license. And there's only one reason why they would request that in Nevada, and that is that they want to operate an interactive gaming site for real money in the state of Nevada. And since there is no casino gaming online allowed in Nevada, it seems that what they're doing here is they're going to try to enter the Nevada market with party poker. It also seems that they're going to partner with MGM, that uh, Party Poker is going to be an MGM site. WSOP.com is actually the 888 software, so that's who Caesars is using. So MGM is going to finally enter the online poker market, probably. They, they have not had an online poker presence in Nevada. They're going to finally do that in Nevada. But they were granted this conditional approval. And interestingly enough, they also uh, granted approval to Ladbrokes, which is something GVC also owns. It's another site in in, uh, Europe. So there's also a possibility that uh, Ladbrokes is going to uh, be in Nevada in some way, especially through sports betting. They're, that's a better-known sports betting brand, and there's, there's some thoughts that Ladbrokes are going to be uh, competing with William Hill, which is also a, a UK brand, but is, is very prevalent in Nevada. And they have uh, sports books and kiosks in Nevada, and maybe Ladbrokes is going to be uh, the brand competing with them. So it's with Party Poker returning to Nevada, which you haven't been able to play Party Poker in Nevada since 2006 before the UIGEA, when Party Poker uh, bailed out of the U.S. market. Uh, it's not the same Party Poker as back in 06. There's been a number of different owners since then. But the question is, why? Why are they doing this? I mean, I guess the part of wanting to run the sports betting kiosk, if that's what they're going to do under the Ladbrokes brand, makes sense. But why would Party want to come to Nevada 
and run online poker when online poker in Nevada has been a tremendous failure. The problem is the state just doesn't have a big enough population, and the people visiting Nevada just don't seem to want to play online poker. They want to go play real poker or real casino games. They, they don't want to sit in their room and play online poker. Taking a look at Poker Scout, WSOP.com, which actually is for Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware, it's a combined network, they only have uh, an average of, of 220 cash players online. Right now it's 87, but we're in the middle of the night. So, but 220 on average, which is, and it's been kind of stuck there for a long time. So is this what Party wants to enter? Is this is this where, where Party is, is trying to get? Now, yes, Party Poker also has some uh, kind of sad brands like Party Poker Europe, which only has uh, 325 players on average. But uh, the regular Party Poker has uh, about 1,050 on average, according to Poker Scout. Poker Stars is the leader, by the way, with uh, 7,200 players on average playing cash. But it's hard to believe that Party Poker wants to waste their time with the Nevada market. And by the way, most of these games that run on uh, WSOP are, are microstakes, so there's very little rake taken from them. So the problem is uh, they're not going to make money. In fact, they're going to lose money if they have the same success, and I put that in quotes, success, as WSOP.com has. So the question here is why are they doing it? And the answer is, I don't know, except perhaps they are positioning themselves. If more states legalize online poker, that they're in just in the position to offer it in Nevada. They may not want to do it right now. Maybe they just want to have the approval and be able to run when they want to run. I believe WSOP.com is still losing money. I was told it was losing money a while ago. I don't know if it still is, but I, I don't think it's making money. It's just the traffic's too low, and most of the traffic's microstakes. I, I, some of it is through mismanagement, to be honest, but uh, some of it's also because the market just doesn't have much promise in it in Nevada. Now, in order to get these conditional approvals, they did have to disassociate with uh, various uh, operations having uh, from Turkey, where, uh, for example, Ladbrokes had some uh, operations in Turkey that uh, were uh, causing some trouble. They had eventually ditched that at some point, but uh, it was said that they, that they were too slow to disassociate from these uh, Turkish operations that had uh, falsified credit card transactions, and that there was a lot of internal fraud within these sites in Turkey, and that... Uh, um, so they... There was some question raised at the hearing, the Nevada Gaming Commission, about this stuff that went on in Turkey and how GVC Holdings 
the owner of Ladbrokes uh, wasn't that quick to act as it was going on. And that when the CEO of GVC Holdings seemed to uh, blame this on, on, on other parties that caused this to happen, uh, someone at the NGC said to the CEO of GVC Holdings, I'm at a loss to understand where exactly did the buck, the buck stop in the company it didn't, if it didn't stop with you, and why are we to be assured that going forward you're going to be at the helm of the company in a different manner than what transpired over the past several years? So that particular board member of the Nevada Gaming Commission actually voted against the approvals for GVC, but the other two people on the board voted for the approvals and that made it uh, two to one and that was enough to get the approvals for the GVC. So this other guy on, on the GVC, Terry Johnson, was very anti them. He felt that they handled the turkey stuff so awfully that uh, and, and that the CEO was not uh, taking responsibility for it and just blaming other people. And he's going, look, if, if, if you as the CEO can't take responsibility for what happened there, then we're going to see the same thing happening here if you guys screw up. But the other two members on the Nevada Gaming Commission board were not convinced, and on May 8th, they granted those uh, conditional licenses. So we might see party poker soon, or at least uh, they will have the ability to operate. Now, there are two online poker sites, or two existing online poker licenses that exist in Nevada. One of them is WSOP.com. What do you think the other one is? It's not Ultimate Gaming. It's not Ultimate Bet. It's not Ultimate Poker. That's gone. It's real gaming run by the South Point. They were the first to get a license. They were supposed to be first to market, then they did nothing with it. And a long time later, they came up, and it was a complete fail. They never got any players. Like, the games absolutely never ran. They had, like, like one person on Literally, like with like one or two people on the whole site, it never got going. I don't know why they even bothered. It was so weird. So there were never any games on real gaming. So there really is only one site in Nevada. Maybe there will be two soon with Party Poker. It'd be kind of weird playing on Party again after all this time. I feel like I'm back in the mid two thousands. Two more states have legalized sports betting. I mentioned last week that Montana had done so to be the first new state with legalized sports betting in 2019. We now have two more states. Indiana and Iowa have legalized sports betting. And that brings the number to three states that have legalized sports betting in 2019, all of them being quite recently. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb signed Senate Bill 552, and they're going to start accepting sports betting applications on July 1st. The Senate and House there were having trouble agreeing on the details. Eventually they did. It had to do with mobile betting, but... uh, uh, the House did not want mobile betting, 
And after back and forth, they, they finally agreed to keep the mobile betting in there. The governor wrote, Gaming is a highly regulated industry that once had little competition, but now does from surrounding states and new technology. By modernizing our laws, the legislation will spur positive economic growth for our state for an industry that employs over 11,000 Hoosiers, referring to Indiana residents. Additionally, it will bring in new revenue and create hundreds of new jobs, both permanent and in construction. I will direct the Indiana Gaming Commission to monitor for potential effects of this bill so that we can make necessary changes in future legislative sessions. You can't bet in Indiana just yet, but they're going to be accepting applications pretty soon, and I guess it'll be online after not too long. In Iowa, it officially became legal on Monday, May 13th, about a week and a half ago. Governor Kim Reynolds signed Senate File 617. Regulations haven't been written yet, so don't expect to be betting there right now. Uh, there was some concern about uh, consumer safety, but they also were trying to figure out how much revenue they're going to get from it. Pat Garrett, a, spots, a spokeswoman for, or spokesman, I thought Pat was a woman, it's actually a dude, a spokesman for uh, the governor, said, Governor Reynolds believes legalizing sports betting will bring this practice out of the unregulated black market. This law will regulate tax and police sports betting in a safe and responsible way. This will be overseen by the Iowa Racing and Gaming Commission, but they do not have a regulatory structure yet for the sports betting there. At best, you're going to see it around August, but it could be later than this. The administrator of the Iowa Racing and Gaming Commission, Brian Ohorico, said uh, if everything goes smoothly, it's reasonable to expect bets will be taken before football season. And that is the big time for sports betting. A lot of betting on the NFL. So they are looking for that to be the time they come up online. They may not, but they're going to try to do that. They already have figured out what the licensing fee is going to be in Iowa. It's going to be $45,000 and then 10000 for renewals. And there's going to be a sports betting tax of 6.75% that uh, the licensees are going to have to pay. Only casinos that exist already in Iowa, land-based casinos that is, will be able to get sportsbook licenses. And uh, by the way, in Indiana, the the uh, license fee is a little bit higher at 50K and the, the tax rate is 9.5%, which is a lot higher. In order to bet online in Iowa on sports, they're going to have to register at a brick-and-mortar casino and prove their identity. They can't just sign up online. So that's uh, two more states we can add to the list of sports. Bank. That shows you how quickly we're expanding sports. But just when it seems to have slowed down, it is not. And... Uh, Let's see, let me get, get the list, the full list here of, uh, I have this somewhere. Should have brought it up before the show, but I have a list here of all the states that have legalized sports betting. 
see if I can find it. Uh, why can't I find this? Too many bookmarks here. Ugh. I don't know where it is. Let's see if I can Google it. I think I found it. Yeah, I found it. So right now we have legal sports betting in Nevada, New Mexico, Mississippi, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, Rhode Island. And those are the places where you can actually bet on sports. Then there are six states where it's been legalized, but there's no betting yet. And that's uh, Montana, Iowa, Indiana, Arkansas, Washington, D.C., and uh, New York. Everywhere else, there is nothing yet. The... States that have had no action at all to legalize sports betting, there are six of them, or seven of them. Those seven are Alaska, Idaho, Wyoming, Utah, Nebraska, Wisconsin, and Florida. Florida is the most surprising. Hawaii, you would think, also would be on that list, but they're not. They actually have had uh, bills introduced to legalize sports betting there, but nothing has passed, but I'm surprised that even happened there. Hawaii and Utah are the most anti-gambling states. It's not surprising to see Wyoming and Idaho also not allowing it and not trying to allow it. But uh, Florida, I'm surprised. They, they have a lot of casinos in Florida. I'm surprised they haven't made any attempt to legalize sports betting yet, but they have not. Yeah, in Hawaii, there was a bill 1107 introduced to the legislature in January, and it said it's the best interest of the, it's in the best interest of the state and its citizens to regulate this existing activity by authorizing and implementing a secure, responsible legal system for sports wagering. That would be interesting if there ends up being some kind of gambling in Hawaii because they're very, very anti-gambling there. By the way, Utah is so anti-gambling, they actually have, in the state's constitution, an anti-gambling law, where it's just absolutely, positively illegal to gamble in any way, shape, or form in the state. No lotteries, no table games, no sports betting, no poker, nothing. The state's constitution says no form of gambling or anything that resembles gambling allowed in the state of Utah. Strangely enough, the state that is right on the border with Nevada. So they don't have to go very far, especially the people in southern uh, Utah or ones in uh, northwest Utah where they can travel to uh, Nevada and that side. Southern Utah can go to Vegas. Boy, it's getting late here. 
Right now it is uh, 3.37. This is one of the later shows we've done in, in recent times. Can't imagine the ratings are too good. They're not, but uh, this will be caught in the archives. There's people waking up on the East Coast and they're seeing that the show's going on. They're probably going, what the heck? Is this a mistake? Is it really still on the air? Yeah, it's, we're on the air. This is live. Even the chat room's pretty much abandoned. We're almost done, though. The next topic we're going to talk about is uh, the final topic. This is explaining how to deposit Bitcoin, how to get Bitcoin, and how to cash out Bitcoin for real money. So let's say you want to gamble online in some way. You want to play poker. And yes, I said gamble. I'm not going to say poker's not gambling because it is. It is gambling. It's stupid to say it's not gambling. Stupid PPA claiming that. Let's say you want to play poker. Let's say you want to bet sports, whatever. You want to deposit through Bitcoin, which is the best way to do it these days. But you have no freaking idea how to do that. And it, it looks intimidating. You know, it's asking for a Bitcoin address with just like a, a, a long string of a bunch of numbers and letters that make no sense to you. It just looks like gibberish. It is gibberish. <laughs> so you're going, what is this? I don't understand it. I, I can't, I can't hold a Bitcoin. I, I, I don't understand what one is. I hear about them. I don't know how to use them. How do I get one? How do I use them? How do I send them? Okay. Here's how to do it. First of all, go to blockchain.info. Blockchain.info, exactly as it sounds. B-L-O-C-K-C-H-A-I-N.info. And create a free account. That is a Bitcoin wallet. A Bitcoin wallet, and you don't have to have an online wallet. Actually, I guess it's blockchain.com now. It's not .info anymore. It's blockchain.com. Info will forward you there, but just go to blockchain.com. And click sign up. And this is a wallet. And a wallet is exactly as it sounds. It's something that's going to be holding your Bitcoin. So blockchain is going to be holding your Bitcoin for you. You may wonder, does that mean blockchain could run away with my Bitcoin and disappear? Yes, they could. So I wouldn't recommend keeping staggering amounts of Bitcoin on blockchain. But uh, relatively small or moderate sums, you, you can keep on there and they've been around for a very long time so and they're not an exchange so there's less uh, less of a threat that they're going to screw you but any of these sites can screw you look what happened to Mt. Gox and they disappeared and screwed everybody but that's your best option right now this is not without risk but the risk isn't that high so blockchain.com go there sign up for a free account and now you will have a Bitcoin wallet. It's going to ask for some information, like uh, it's going to ask for your cell phone number. It's going to ask for an email address. Uh, you're going to access, so the way you're going to access your blockchain account when you log in, once you make the account, you're going to log in. It's going to give you a code you log in with. You're not going to log in your email with your email address. You're going to log in with what they call a wallet ID. And that's internal to blockchain. There's a, a wallet ID is meaningless in the Bitcoin world, but for blockchain.com, it, 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 that's how you log in. So you gotta save your wallet ID. Your computer 
may automatically save it for you through cookies, but if you ever clear your cookies, it'll be gone. So make sure you save your wallet ID. So you enter your, the wallet ID, which is like a long thing of a bunch of letters and numbers. You enter the password you set. Then it will sometimes send you a confirmation email you have to click on to get through. And sometimes it'll text your phone and you'll have to tell it what, uh, what it texted you to prove it's really you. So these are security features so people can't impersonate you. And that's your, your wallet. Now you may say, okay, that's great. I have a wallet, but how do I get Bitcoin into the wallet? Well, there's a few ways you can do this. You can receive Bitcoin from other people who have them. So if you know somebody who has Bitcoin and you say, hey, can I give you a thousand bucks and you send me a thousand bucks through Bitcoin? You can do that. You can just do informal transactions with, with friends and uh, exchange money that way. Of course, I only recommend doing this with people that you know and trust, especially if you're sending the money first. But uh, you, you can do that. You can buy it off other people you know. Don't ever buy it off people you don't know unless they send first. The good thing about Bitcoin is it can't be reversed. So, so once someone sends it to you, you don't have to worry about them screwing you and reversing it like they can on PayPal and other others, uh, other services like that. They, they can't reverse Bitcoin. Once you've received Bitcoin, it's yours. So then it's safe to pay the person. So you can buy it through others, and the way you would get your Bitcoin address is by clicking on the Receive button once you're logged into blockchain.com, and it'll give you this long address of a bunch of letters and numbers. Copy and paste that and send it to the person that is going to send you the Bitcoin. So if, you're, if your buddy Bill is going to send you $1,000 worth of Bitcoin in exchange of you sending him 1000 on uh, on Zelle or whatever, then your friend Bill, you'd send him that Bitcoin address that you you get by by clicking on the receive either receive or request button i forgot what it is on on blockchain and it'll give you that bitcoin address and you send it to bill and then he'll send you the bitcoin and you'll see when it gets received or you could buy bitcoin you can't do it through blockchain to buy bitcoin you need to go on a licensed exchange if you're in the US you can do it through an exchange called Coinbase, coinbase.com, and you can do it through an exchange called Gemini. I know of those two, and there may be others, but those are the two I know of. Gemini.com. They're, they're both pretty big and pretty trusted at this point. And there you can wire them money and buy Bitcoin that way. There is a small fee of like 1% to do it. Then you'll have Bitcoin in your wallet over there. Then you may say, well, wait a minute. Do I have a wallet now on Coinbase or Gemini? Why do I need this blockchain crap? Why don't I just take the Bitcoin in my wallet on Coinbase or Gemini and ship it over to the gambling site? Why do I need this blockchain crap? Well, because Coinbase and Gemini are very anti-gambling. And if you use their sites for gambling and ship Bitcoin directly to these online poker sites or online gambling sites, you will get your account closed. You'll get your money. They're not going to confiscate money from you, but they are going to close your account and you will not be able to use them again. So do not, do not, do not ever, ever, ever buy in or cash out directly to your Coinbase or Gemini account because they will catch it and they will disable your account. Blockchain is basically the middleman. 
So everything you do, you should do through blockchain. You, you should send, so let's say you buy Bitcoin on Coinbase. You need to send it to your, your own Bitcoin address from Coinbase to blockchain and then send it from blockchain to the gambling site because blockchain doesn't care where you send it to. They're, they're not anti-gambling. They're not in the U.S. So you use blockchain as the middleman. That's what I would suggest. That's what I insist you do because you, you were going to get your account closed on, on Coinbase or Gemini if you tried to you deposit or, or cash out directly between the gambling site and those. Blockchain always has to be in the middle. Don't ever get lazy with it. Always use blockchain in the middle. So if you want to deposit, you'd buy Bitcoin first with uh, Gemini or Coinbase, send the Bitcoin, get, you know, get your address on blockchain by doing, I think, receive a request, get the address, send from Coinbase to that address. Once it's received there, then you send it from there at, at blockchain to the gambling site. The way you deposit on the gambling site, you click deposit, you, you take the Bitcoin option, and then you enter the amount you want to deposit, and then it will tell you the exact number of Bitcoin that you need to send them. And they'll give you an address. Make sure you copy and paste that address properly. Go to your blockchain account, click send, enter that address, and then also copy and paste the exact amount of Bitcoin that you're going to send. So like if it's uh, today... If you're sending a thousand dollars, you're going to be sending like 0.113 uh, something, you know, 0.1305432 one uh, Bitcoin. Like a, it'd be something like that. I'm just approximating, but you would copy and paste that exact amount of Bitcoin that the gambling site wants to the amount that you're sending from blockchain, and make sure you're sending it to the address they specify. Make sure you copy and paste it properly. Make sure it shows up exactly as you put it there. And then you got to wait anywhere from like a few minutes to a few hours for it to show up there, and then you have the money there. Withdrawing, it's very easy. You just you just withdraw from the poker site, say withdraw Bitcoin. It'll ask you for your address. Again, you go back to blockchain and uh, press receive a request, get, get your own address, your own Bitcoin address, and enter that into the, po- into the site you're cashing out from. Make sure it copy and pasted correctly, and within whatever time it takes to cash out, the Bitcoin will show up in your account. How do you then convert that to real money? Well, then you send it from blockchain over to Coinbase or Gemini, and once it's over there, then you can convert it to U.S. dollars, I think at a 1% fee, and wire it back to your bank. And that's how you can use Bitcoin. Is this uh, a little bit of a pain in the ass? Yes. Is it instant? No. Is it as good as the old days on NetTeller when you could just instantly put money on and off sites super fast? No, but it's far better than anything else out there today to deposit and cash out from online poker sites. There are some advantages with using Bitcoin. Number one, there's often no fees or very low fees, whereas doing it with credit cards or other methods, there's big fees, both in and out. Number two, it's kind of universal. Any site that accepts Bitcoin, you can withdraw from one and then use that same Bitcoin to deposit back into another. There's going to be a few day delay in the whole thing, but uh, but at least you can do it. Uh, 
Now, as far as Bitcoin is concerned, any Bitcoin you hold will rise or fall in value depending on what's happening to the Bitcoin price. So keep that in mind. If you don't want to, if you don't want to risk holding the money in Bitcoin, then you're going to want to cash it out as fast as you can. If you don't mind gambling a bit with that and seeing where the money, the value of Bitcoin goes and just leave it in Bitcoin and see what happens. But if you don't want to go through that concern, just send it right over to Coinbase or Gemini and uh, from the, from your blockchain account always. Never do it through a poker site and then just cash out immediately. And you're not going to be exposed that much to the volatility of Bitcoin. So that's how you do it. And you can also do something similar to send or receive money using Bitcoin to people online that you may owe money to or that may owe you money. Another big advantage is it can't be reversed. Once it's there, it's there. There's no way to reverse it. That's a good feeling when you know the money's there. When you receive Bitcoin from people, you never have to worry about trusting them. Give me the Chino Ream sending you the Bitcoin. You won't have to worry about him screwing you. As long as he sends first and you verify it's there. Doesn't matter how shady the person is. You don't have to worry about it. Can you use Bitcoin to avoid paying taxes on your winnings? No. Gemini and... Coinbase are U.S. companies, and they have been instructed to report to the IRS when you make large cash-outs. So you're not going to hide using that. Have people avoided paying taxes by obtaining Bitcoin or cashing out in Bitcoin and then selling it under the table to other people? Yes. I'm not recommending you do that, but people have done that, where, uh, for example, uh, John Smith cashes out $50,000 from an online poker site in Bitcoin, and then while he's at the World Series of Poker, some other high-stakes players are like, you know what, I I really need some Bitcoin so I can buy into some of these uh, sites I gamble on. Hey, can I give you 50k cash for your 50k Bitcoin? Okay, and they make the transaction. Well, the IRS is never going to know about it. They'll, They'll never see that, so... John Smith's probably going to get away in that case with with uh, with avoiding paying taxes on those fifty k of winnings. But uh, at the same time, if John Smith was selling Bitcoin through Craigslist or whatever, or, or through this, uh, there's a site called Local Bitcoins where you can do this. But yeah, if you do it enough, then you might attract the attention of the IRS and they might get you. So beware of that if that is your idea of how you're going to use Bitcoin. The, the whole point here isn't to avoid paying taxes. The whole point here is to make depositing and withdrawing easy. Um, does the IRS have access to blockchain.com? No, they don't. Does blockchain.com report anything to them? No. Do Gemini and Coinbase report to them? Yes. Do the online poker sites like uh, Bovada, Ignition, America's Card Room, do they report to the IRS? No. Rule of thumb is if it's a U.S. company, it reports to the IRS. If it's uh, if it's not, then it does not. That's the general rule of thumb. 
just for your information. Uh, what are we interference? Where's this coming from? I think the wires are. Yeah, look at this. You can hear this. Can you hear this interference? I think the wires are just kind of crumpled up here, interfering with each other. All righty, we're done. This has been a long show. This show has been going on for uh, over six hours. We did start late. That's part of it. Didn't think it was going to end up this long, but it did. It's all because I, I talked too long about Amanda Leatherman and Dana Legrand. Well, that reminds me, I, I have all in the family to watch. And I heard that it's actually set in the 70s, which I, I think on one hand is good in that they're not going to try too hard to just make the whole thing a, an anti-Trump or anti-Republican propaganda piece. But at the same time, I, I think it's kind of creatively lazy. I think it would be much cooler to see a, an adaptation of All in the Family today. Like if you could transport all those characters into 2019, but like being the same age they were in the show. And th- I'd like most to see that, but, but not written from some sort of uh, super obvious political bias where they're just trying to use it as a vehicle to bash uh, the Republican Party that's really annoying to watch. And, and not even just because I'm a Republican myself. I, I've known Democrats who hate the bias they see in the entertainment media of trying to bash Republicans all the time. They just go, like, please stop doing that. We don't want to see this. It's, it's annoying. We're not watching TV for that reason. And I would feel the same way if it was reversed, if there's constant Democrat bashing, and if Hollywood was conservative, I, I would get annoyed to see that placed into TV shows and movies. Just Sometimes there's no place for politics, you know? Sometimes you just want to be entertained, and not everything has to be about politics. But I will watch it, being a, a big fan of All in the Family, and a, a moderate fan of the Jeffersons. They're, they're doing a remake of two episodes. Two what they call classic episodes, except the one they remade for All in the Family was not even a good episode. I don't know why they chose that one. Except the only thing is there was a reference to Nixon in it, which kind of could be applied to Trump in modern day, and I think they like that. It's always going to be something subtle with Trump bashing. It's kind of annoying. Like If you're going to bash Trump, at least bash Trump on things he deserves to be bashed for. Don't just find ways to attack him because you want to attack him. I think that's dumb. Okay, good night, everybody. We'll be back. I don't know when. Check Twitter. Twitter.com slash PokerFraudAlert for the next show. Sometime in early June, as the World Series is going, live from Las Vegas. Shalom.